He's the guy in charge He's the mayor at large With strict restrictions and harsh COVID warnings He'll put you in jail You'd have to make bail If you don't mask up when you are indoors inside But oh, oh, oh Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. That was It's Magic by Remy, who does a lot of parodies on Reason TV from a libertarian perspective. This one was making fun of Gavin Newsom and L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti for uh, posing with Magic Johnson in pictures maskless while making everybody else wear masks in Los Angeles and in the state of California. It's been a while since we've been on. Right now it's 9.06 p.m., March 18th, 2022, we're now in Pacific Daylight Time, and we have a free roll. Not like last week's free roll, which was 500 bucks. No, 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 no. This is 50 bucks. It's 10%, but this also is not the 10th anniversary anymore. So you take what you get. The money all came from Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room, so I thank him for both things. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. And that is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. And you have until 9.25 p.m. to get in with late registration with a full stack. I have a feeling it's going to be a small field because this show was supposed to be on last night. And I said, you know what? Let's just do it Friday. Let's go back to Friday. No point to do it Thursday. It's easier for me on Friday anyway. So here we are, Friday, March 18th. We were last on 16 days ago. I guess I should say 15 days ago, because you probably know by now that the last show we had was 13 hours. And I didn't miss a single minute of it. I was there from start to finish. Now, we had a lot of co-hosts, a lot of co-hosts from the past came back. Brandon Drexel Gerson was with us for many hours. Cal Watt was there for a long time. But we had a lot of co-hosts from the past come back, like Daredevil, like Northern California guy, like China Maniac. And they helped out as well. But the one person who was there the entire time was me. And some people wondered, how did I do that without going to the bathroom? And I did go to the bathroom. What I did is I actually called myself 
and then would quietly answer the phone where you couldn't hear and put myself on mute and run to the bathroom. And it worked while other people were talking. If I'm here myself, I can't do that. But when I have co-hosts and a number of people talking to each other, I can sometimes get away with it. But I was there the entire 13 hours. So what we decided to do was release it as a two-parter. First time I ever did that. First time I ever split up a single episode into two in the archives. But I figured 13 hours is just so oppressive to download and listen to. It's a huge file. It just seems like it's never going to end if you see 13 hours. So I said, okay, it's kind of like a double episode. So I'm just going to make it part one and part two. And then I will skip the following week. And that's what I did. Because I know some of you would listen to 50 hours a week. Like those who listen at work. Or we have some truck drivers who listen to the show. Who just have it on when they do their long haul truck driving. And that's nice. I'm glad I can be here with you for a lot of that. But most people don't have 13 hours in a week to listen to me. So rather than make people miss content, I just said, okay, we'll just skip a week and let everyone catch up and then come back. The planned return date was March 17th. Delayed it one day. So here we are on March 18th. This show will not be 13 hours. This show will not have a ton of co-hosts from the past. We may not have any co-hosts. So we'll see who shows up. And, uh, you know, if it's just me, it's just me. But I do want to thank everybody for joining us. People who were once co-hosts, people who are members of the forum, people who are listeners to the show. Kind of disappointed Team MLK didn't call in because he listened and he posted about the show, but he didn't call in, which is very disappointing. I would think in 13 hours he could find his way in. I'm happy we had all that. I'm happy we were able to do this show. I'm happy we got an interview with Mike Matisau, which was very interesting. Happy Sharif got to return, though the unanimous belief among our listeners is that it's a different Sharif. Someone took over Sharif. We have a different Sharif we're talking to who's pretending to be the original. But then again, I'm pretending to be Alvin Finkelstein and Colonel Fabersham, so... And no one's honest here. Let's be frank about this. Anyway, the free roll, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. You have until 925, 14 minutes left to get in with a full stack. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Please call in between topics, or otherwise I won't take the call. You can also text me at any time at that same phone number, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show. But if it's during, I may read the text on the air unless you ask me at the beginning not to do so. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 45 minutes from Vegas by car, about 30 degrees cooler than Vegas at all times, gets snow in the winter, The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. The call to listen line is not a number to call the show, but it is a number to call and listen to the show. It does not require a smartphone, an app, a data plan, the internet, a computer. No, 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 no. It's very low tech. Any phone that can dial in the United States or can dial the United States can use the call to listen line. And best of all, it never buffers, and it never freezes. 
And if you can make a call to the U.S. for free, then it is free unless you have T-Mobile in which it'll cost one cent per minute, which I don't get. That phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. It has been up for over six years, and we have about two million minutes listened to on the call to listen line. So it's very well used. Remember, we have a chat room. If you're listening live, you can go in the chat room. You need a form account in good standing. And if you want to know the rules for the free money for the free roll, go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. I want to tell you the ways you can listen to the archives. If you're not listening live, we are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, which also can be used to listen live. The Bullhorn app, which has its own call to listen line, or it could just be used to listen in regular app format, podcast format. iHeartMedia, Spotify. We are also on Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert radio podcast, and it will play. So a lot of different ways to listen. We're also on Audible now, by the way. So if you have Audible, you can now you listen to Poker Fraud Alert radio on there. If there's a way you want to listen to the show and it's not burdensome to me and it does not cost me a lot of money, let me know and I will add it. I want to make it easy for you to listen to the show, not difficult. Okay, now here's the agenda. The top story this week, a girl set up a guy. He thought it was a date. He thought he was going to get some action. She blindfolded him, which probably isn't a good idea with a girl that you just met. And then she tried to kill him. Was it an act of revenge? No. Was it a serial killing? No. Was it a spree or random killing? Not really. It was a political killing against a random person. So I'll tell you about that weird story. And I will tell you that if you use these dating apps, what you should watch out for. This is very unlikely to ever happen to you, but there's other things that might. High-stakes poker player Gal Gifrak has been charged with both illegal slot machine operation and money laundering at the Bicycle Casino in Los Angeles. Pretty big story there. He's been on a lot of these streams like uh, Hustler Casino Live and Live at the Bike. He got to be friends with Helmuth. I don't know how close, but Helmuth uh, has tweeted about him before. But he has been arrested and charged, and the charges look pretty serious, and I have a feeling he's going to be convicted. So we will talk about that story. I have an update on the story from two weeks ago about the Las Vegas Metro police officer who's been charged with not only robbing the Rio, where he was caught doing so, but he was charged with two other casino robberies that he got away with, at least for the moment. Dan Bilzerian has been fired as the GG Poker rep, or as a GG Poker rep. Obviously, Vanessa Cade was quite happy about that because she went off on him when he was signed to it in the first place. That's what kind of put her on the map on poker social media. And then shortly after that last year, she won a massive Poker Stars tournament for over a million bucks. So, of course, when he got fired, she followed up again with a big tournament win. So I'll tell you about both things. Then... 
The Return of Druffy Time Theater. I started to make this post on the forum. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to just post all the good stuff on the forum. Or I'm not going to post it on the forum and then repeat it on radio, as I sometimes do. This will be just for radio. So I decided to keep this to radio. And this is an accounting of my weird and sporadic history on terrestrial radio. Because I have been heard before, over the years, on terrestrial radio. And I don't just mean like little call-ins. I mean, I've had some long segments. So I will tell you about my weird history with terrestrial radio. And why I never ended up with a real show on terrestrial radio. The World Series of Poker has released its 2022 schedule. And they have ditched their vaccine requirement. So we will talk about that. Top Shelf Poker Room in Texas has been raided and shut down. A lot of people sending me that story. They want me to talk about it. I will. A WSOP bracelet winner who won right after me. I won Event 36 in 2005. Another guy won Event number 37 in 2005. Well, he has been arrested for a pretty high-profile situation. I have to say I'm glad the person arrested was event number 37 and not number 36. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here doing the show. But I'll tell you what he's accused of and how serious I believe it is. Finally, Caesars has closed a loophole. A loophole people have been using for years to remain diamond without playing at all. It was a loophole via the Wyndham status match, and it has been closed. So I will tell you about that as our final topic. We are not going to talk about the coronavirus this week. That's what we have on our agenda. I'm going to start off with our top story about that very weird story about the Tinder date that turned violent. Now, I will give you the spoiler right here that nobody was killed. So that's the good news. But nobody died here. But it was still... Uh, a very, very scary situation. I'm sure something this guy never possibly could have expected. So this occurred in Las Vegas. This occurred in the Sunset Station Hotel and Casino on March 5th. And that is located in uh, Henderson, Nevada. So a woman named Nika Nikubin, N-I-K-U, or N-I-K-A, is her first name, and then N-I-K-O-U-B-I-N is her last name, Nika Nikubin, 21 years old. She signed up for dating website Plenty of Fish. I didn't know Plenty of Fish was kind of a thing anymore. I knew that used to be a big dating site in the 2000s and part of the 2010s. Then I kind of stopped hearing about it. It seemed like all the dating was going through these apps, like Tinder. In fact, I thought it was Tinder at first when I heard this story, but it turns out it's actually uh, Plenty of Fish. Now, in my limited experience with Plenty of Fish, I was not very impressed with it. I never really liked these dating sites. Occasionally, I used them during my lifetime, but I didn't have much success on them. I had much more success in other forms of online dating, but dating sites never liked them. But Plenty of Fish was the one I liked the least. I found on Plenty of Fish, on average, the girls were the least attractive. And they also weren't very good uh, personality-wise either. So I'm not just being shallow here. 
I found that the girls on Plenty of Fish not only weren't that attractive, but they also tended to be dumb, trashy, ghetto. And when I say ghetto, this isn't a racial thing. I'm talking about uh, white women as well. Just not my type at all. And the few that were decent, they either just didn't answer you or were very arrogant. So I, I didn't like Plenty of Fish. I got off there pretty fast. I'll tell you a quick story about Plenty of Fish and why I deleted my account ultimately. This was in 2008, and I finally spoke to someone on Plenty of Fish that I liked. And then we spoke on the phone, and the conversation was pretty good for about 45 minutes. So I was thinking, okay, finally, finally I met someone decent. Now, maybe we'll meet in person and it won't work out, but at least I've gotten this far. Everybody else, I just didn't like. I didn't even bother to get their phone numbers because I just didn't like their profile or didn't like them in chat or I, I think I called one or two and the conversation was terrible. I ended after like 10 minutes, but this was a good one. This one I seemed pretty happy with and I thought we'd probably be beating. Anyway, about 45 minutes in, she drops the J word on me. And what is the J word? That would be Jesus. That's not a good thing for a Jew to hear. I really don't like dating anyone really religious, even my own religion. But if it is going to be someone who's religious, it would be my own religion. But I definitely don't want to date someone who's religious of another religion. So nothing against Christians. And I have a lot of good friends who are very religious Christians. So I have nothing against uh, Christianity. But I'm not Christian. And I would not want to date a religious Christian, and I would never convert to Christianity. Nor do I want to hear all this stuff about Jesus. It's like, you know, something I was not into at all. So the second I heard that, I'm like, oh, no. So I kind of clarified with her. I said, oh, so you're very religious? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Jesus is a huge part of my life. I'm like, shit. The one decent girl I speak to on here, she's a Jesus freak. Damn it. So I had to put an end to it. I didn't even tell her why. I kind of just got off the phone quickly and uh, I didn't call her back. You know, sometimes you have that incompatibility. So I was so frustrated that my only good experience of talking to anyone on there, 45 minutes into the call, turns out to be a Jesus freak, that I slammed down the phone, turned on my computer, went on plenty of fish, and pressed delete my account. Are you sure? Yes. And that was that. I kid you not. I, I really went right there and deleted my account. I was also kind of paranoid in those days that some people would recognize me for two things. Like, number one, I just didn't like people in my business saying, oh, look, Todd's on the dating side. Uh, I was living in Las Vegas, so I didn't want that seen and talked about. Not that it was scandalous I was on a dating site. But, you know, I I'd recently... Uh, Ended a long relationship, and I, I just didn't want this being talked about. So that was the first problem. Second problem was because poker was such a big thing back then, there were people around Vegas who I didn't know that knew me, like a lot of people. So like I just see people around town. They go, hey, Todd, how's poker going? Go, Who's this? Oh, no, no, I just know who you are. And I, I felt uncomfortable about that. So I also was kind of worried that like gold diggers would be targeting me on there. So I actually didn't post a picture for that reason. That probably hurt my ability to get responses because a lot of times girls won't talk to guys with no pictures. 
But that's why I posted no picture. Otherwise, I would have posted a picture. Anyway, I deleted my account there, but let's go back to this story. So she was on Plenty of Fish, this Nika Nikubin, and she met a guy on there, and they agreed to meet at Sunset Station. In fact, this wasn't just a typical date. They weren't going to go out to dinner and go to the movies or anything like that. They planned to get a room together. They planned to get a room together and have sex. So they met up there, and they did get a room at Sunset Station. They did go to the room together, and they, quote, began engaging in sexual activity. I have to imagine they were, you know, kissing, or probably uh, he took her shirt off. I, you know, probably the, it was working up to what appeared to be that they're going to have sex. So then Nika went over and turned off the lights, which, of course, is pretty normal. She put a blindfold on him, which he agreed to wear. I don't, I don't know what the premise was here. I don't know if this was uh, some sort of kink she claimed she had, or maybe if he was into it. But whatever it was, he agreed to put the blindfold on, and she turned off the lights. And then, instead of feeling her climb on top of him, he felt something else. A knife stabbing into his neck. Hmm. So, fortunately, I guess she didn't stab him hard enough or uh, in a place that would immediately kill him or incapacitate him. So, he pushed her off of him. Now, if she were smarter, she would have tied him up, too. See, he wasn't tied up. He was blindfolded. So, he, he was able to just rip off the blindfold and force her off of him and run out of there. And that's what he did. So, he ran out of the room and called 911. At this point, she uh, left the room as well. But she didn't leave. She didn't flee the scene. She actually told a hotel employee that she had just stabbed a man. So she, she goes down to the hotel. She's like, yeah, 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 I just stabbed a guy in my room. <laughs> so, and she waited there for the police to come. And of course, the police arrested her. And an investigator asked, why did you do it? What was the point of this whole thing? Why did you meet a dude off Plenty of Fish? And start engaging in sexual activity with him and blindfold him and then stab him in the neck and attempt to kill him. And she said that she wanted revenge. Now, revenge for what? Did he do something bad to someone who is friends with her or a family member or maybe even to her and he didn't realize who she was? No. They were strangers. And as far as I know, he didn't know anyone that she knew. No, this revenge was not against him personally. It was against the United States for killing Iranian General Soleimani in January 2020. Now, I have to imagine that if you gave this guy a chance to guess 10,000 ways that this date would go wrong, he would never guess that he was going to be stabbed in the neck in revenge for the United States killing Soleimani in January 2020. In fact, you give a million guesses, he wouldn't guess that one. So she is of Iranian descent, as you might guess from her name. And she decided that over two years after that happened, with Soleimani being killed, who was a terrorist, by the way. This wasn't like an innocent guy. This was a, a very, very bad man who was a terrorist who killed a lot of people. That was ordered by Donald Trump in January of 2020. It was a little bit controversial at the time, and 
some opponents of Trump, basically the Democratic Party, were criticizing this and were saying this is going to start up a full-scale war with Iran or they're going to retaliate in some very bad way that's going to kill a ton of Americans. So did that happen? Do you remember the big war we had with Iran since January 2020? Or the major act of terror they committed against the U.S.? You don't? That's because none of it ever happened. That's because Trump was actually correct that Iran was scared. So they did fire off some rockets at a U.S. base in the Middle East, but they even let the U.S. know that they were firing this rocket and to clear everyone out so nobody gets hurt. (laughs) That that was their response. That was like their... uh, fake vengeance because they wanted to make it look like to their people they were doing something back to the u.s but they didn't actually want to piss off the u.s to really go after them so they had to kind of like do a fake response as if they're standing up to the u.s without actually doing something that will really get the u.s that mad so they actually warned that this rocket attack was coming so nobody got killed in that so trump was correct and pretty quickly especially after that rocket attack pretty quickly everybody realized it And that was actually the peak of Trump's administration. In mid-January of 2020, Trump was quite likely to be reelected. Why? Well, because we hadn't heard of COVID yet. The economy was doing great. And every foreign policy decision that Trump made worked out, including this one. Even ones like this, some people doubted, it ended up working out. He made the right call. So... He looked like a shoo-in to be reelected, and the odds were reflecting it on the sports books. And then came something called COVID, and he didn't handle it all that well. And the media kept attacking him and making it look even worse. And that was that. And it wasn't even that close. And Trump lost the election. So I'm not going to make this a political speech, but the Soleimani thing was really the last good moment, not only the last good moment, but the peak of Trump's administration when it just seemed like everything was going well for him. And you don't really hear much about the Soleimani thing anymore because there really wasn't a consequence from it. It turned out that was a correct thing to do. The guy was a murderer. The guy was a terrorist. The guy deserved to die. Even the opponents of this attack admitted that Soleimani was a piece of shit. They, they weren't saying, oh, this is a great guy and you're just vilifying him. No, everyone in the U.S. basically agreed he was a piece of shit. But it was a matter of concern for some people what Iran might do back, and they, they didn't do anything back. So that ended up being a win. Except for this poor guy, this poor young guy, who two years later thought he was going to get laid in Sunset Station, and he gets stabbed in the neck by some crazy Iranian girl who thought she was getting revenge on the U.S. for this. When asked why she decided to do this, because, yeah, sure, she is of Iranian descent, and sure, they killed Soleimani two years ago, but why decide in 2022 to just stab some innocent guy over it? She said she listened to a song called Gravedigger, which gave her the motivation to carry out that revenge. But again, the revenge was against the U.S., not against this particular guy. He was just the vehicle she was going to use to get revenge against the U.S., just to murder a U.S. citizen. 
but she ended up not murdering him. In fact, he was he, he was healthy enough after being stabbed to be able to force her off and run out. I'm sure that uh, he still suffered some pretty bad injuries. You, know, you get a knife in your neck, it's not going to be trivial, but uh, fortunately, the guy was able to get up and leave under his own power. It's the only reason he didn't die. Nikubin faces charges of attempted murder, battery with a deadly weapon, and burglary. Not sure where the burglary part is. Now, her bail was only set at $60,000, which is crazy. Ray Davis had bail of uh, $500,000, and they set his bail to that amount simply because he was belligerent in court. He didn't even do anything that bad in court. He was just kind of belligerent. They set his bail to to $500,000 when they had him in Vegas for years, and uh, they didn't arrest him during all that time. Now, yeah, he was accused of uh, lewd acts with with two minors, so I'm not going to trivialize what he was accused of. But they knew where he was in Vegas for years and didn't arrest him. Then they arrest him, set his bail to 25K, and then move it to 500K because he was belligerent in court. That's that's so corrupt. But anyway, I don't understand how he was sitting there with 500K bail for being belligerent in court and a woman who tried to murder someone, a super crazy woman who should not be walking in free society, has a bail of 60,000, which I have to think can easily be raised. Like, How was she set... With any bail, this is totally a candidate to have no bail. This isn't even like she went after somebody she had a personal problem with. She went after a random, this was a terrorist attack, basically. It it was a lone wolf terrorist attack, but it was a terrorist attack on a U.S. citizen for something the U.S. government did two years ago. So how the hell can they justify releasing her when she tried to kill this guy? She stabbed him in the neck with a blindfold on. She thought she was killing him. She just wasn't successful. How do you set this at 60K? Now, I think this is possibly because of something that happens in court, and that is young female privilege. Actually, not just young female, just female privilege. That when females are accused of violent crimes, they get treated far better by the court system than males. And this is a call across all races. Now, it's true that pretty white females under 35 get treated the best in criminal court. But this girl's not white and 60,000 bail for that. I guarantee if I did that, if I lured somebody into a hotel room for sex, supposedly blindfolded them and stabbed them in the neck and said I was doing it for uh, revenge over something the U.S. did, there is no chance my bail would be 60K. There's no chance. But, you know, because it's a 21-year-old girl, they make the bail 60K. It's, it's very strange how the court system is where there's tremendous female privilege in criminal court. It's not discussed very much, but take a look. Males who are accused of the exact same crime with the exact same criminal history will get far harsher treatment at far harsher sentences and a far harsher conviction rate than females in the exact same spot. And it's like this everywhere, not just in Vegas. That's stupid. Why, why are they letting someone who's trying to commit terrorist acts and kill people, why do they have 60K bail? How do you, how do you explain that? <laughs> Crazy. Now, obviously you don't have to fear if you're using Tinder or Plenty of Fish or Bumble or whatever. Obviously you don't have to worry about meeting up with a girl who's going to stab you in the neck because of an 
Iranian terrorists being killed by the U.S. a few years ago. I mean, that's one of these things that's only going to happen once. But do you have anything to fear if you are a man who is meeting a woman from a dating site? Now, I met a lot of girls over time from online sources. This goes back to the mid-80s. Well, actually, the late 80s, actually, not the mid-80s. But going back to the late 80s, all the way up until the late 2000s, and I've been in a relationship since, so I haven't done it since then, but otherwise I still would be doing it. I was meeting girls in some way online where when we would meet up for romantic or sexual purposes that uh, we would not have met each other before in most cases. We'd be meeting for the first time, but also we would be meeting for the purpose of, of either dating or, or messing around sexually. And I used to have the attitude like, I have nothing to fear. I go, well, what, what's the girl going to do to me here? You know, if she tries to get violent, I'll just uh, overpower her and push her down and leave. And yeah, she could pull a gun on me or something, but you know, that's so unlikely, I thought. So I wasn't even the slightest bit worried. And I would sometimes go meet girls in the shadiest of situations. I'd go meet them like at 2 a.m., like in front of an apartment building in a bad area. And I wouldn't wonder, I, I wouldn't be that worried. I'd just go do it. And nothing bad ever happened to me, fortunately. But thinking back, it was actually kind of stupid. Now, not because of something like this, because the truth is that almost all violent crime is committed by males. Especially violent crime against males. Almost all of it is committed by other males. There is some female-on-female violent crime. Occasionally, there's female-on-male violent crime, like this. Though a lot of times, when that occurs, it's domestic violence. But if you take out the domestic violence, there is still some female-to-male violent crime, but it's pretty rare. So I wasn't that worried for that reason. And that part was correct, but where I was incorrect and where I didn't think about it was that there have been setups before. Setups not like this one, but setups where a girl entices a guy to come out to meet them to have sex or just to hang out or whatever. And then dudes show up and jump the guy and will rob him. And sometimes in the process end up seriously hurting him or kill him. And that easily could have happened to me in some of these situations. And I didn't really think of that. I didn't really think about like, what if I'm being set up here and four dudes show up there? I think I, I did not think of that, but that could have happened to me. So if I had to do it all over again, I would have been a bit more cautious. Now, I will say that when I was meeting girls from online, I would usually talk to them for quite some time. I don't mean like months, but I, you know, I'd spend like a lot of hours on the phone. I wouldn't just talk to them like 10 minutes and say, hey, you want to go meet and have sex? Okay, cool. Let's go meet up. So those are ones much more likely to result in something bad. And I can usually feel people out pretty well. So I had a pretty good idea that the girls I was meeting were not setting me up in any way. And indeed they were not. So maybe that's why it never happened to me. But I, I did meet a few after talking only a short time when I probably shouldn't have, or at least I should have shown some more caution and you know, met at a public place first or whatever, but I didn't. But let me give you some tips along these lines if you're using any of these apps or dating sites to meet girls. Number one, talk to them for some time before meeting. Not just for safety reasons, 
but also because it increases the chances it's going to work out. Because the more emotional connection they feel to you and what they feel towards you. And when I say emotional connection, I don't mean a connection that has developed over months. I mean, just they like you. They like your personality. They enjoy talking to you on the phone. That already starts to establish an emotional connection. And that is important to a lot of women. So when you meet them in person, that raises the chance by a lot that things are going to work out, at least in the short term. So it's not even like a waste of time. Now, it can be a waste of time or it can seem like a waste of time if you talk for a few hours and then meet up in person and the whole thing sucks and you go your separate ways and you feel like you wasted your time. But in many cases, the time you spend on the phone can end up helping you out when you actually meet in person. Otherwise, it's very awkward. I always found it very awkward to just like talk to someone for a few minutes and just go meet up in person. It's a lot easier to get to know each other at least somewhat over the phone first. But it's also safer because you'll get a feel for them. And if you get a feel for the person, like there's something off with them, something shady with them, then don't do it. Or at least continue talking before meeting until you feel comfortable. I'm not saying you have to be scared the whole time. I'm just saying that get a feel for the person. Talk to them enough to where you get a feel for them and who they are. I'm sure they can trick you or put on a front about the way they are and make you let your guard down. But in many cases, it'll reveal itself. Like, I have a feeling this girl here, this Nika Nikubin, I have a feeling she was not interested in having three-hour-long phone conversations with the guy she was going to do this to. I think she was just looking for any dude who was willing to meet meet up with her right then and get a room to supposedly have sex so she could kill him. I don't think she wanted to spend hours on the phone with the guy. So, like, let's say I had been talking to her. Let's say I was single and I was talking to her. I have a feeling that uh, she wouldn't have gone to meet me because the whole thing would have taken too long. I think she just wanted to do, like, a quick thing. Not even talk to the person. In fact, it's easier to do if you don't get to know the person. So talk to them for a while. Again, it doesn't have to be a very long time, just enough to where you get to know them. Number two, as I said, if anything seems shady or off, then don't meet them. Number three, you try to control where you're going. So don't go over to their place unless you really trust them. Maybe meet in a public place and then you suggest where you're going to go. Then it's a lot harder to set up people to go after you. Yeah, she could pull out her phone and say where you are, but it's, it's a lot harder. Number four, if it's someone you've just gotten to know, watch out as far as letting your guard down, such as uh, going to sleep while they're still awake or going to sleep around them at all. So these are some ways you can protect yourself. There's no way you can protect yourself 100%. And I'm not saying that if you're meeting girls online, you should be super paranoid that something's going to happen to you. As I said, I threw caution to the wind for decades and nothing happened to me. But you can use some common sense and not get yourself into these spots. Like I see these dudes in casinos. I know this isn't about online dating, but I see dudes in casinos who just win like a big jackpot. And some girl comes up, hey, hey, what's up? You you winning money? Hey. Then they talk to the guy and... And then feign interest, and the guy's like, oh, sweet, I'm going to get laid, too. And then they go up, and whoop, what do you know? She, the guy goes to the bathroom, she unlocks the door, and a few dudes burst in with guns, and doesn't end well. Like, 
in that situation, it should be very obvious that there's a good chance that you're being set up for a crime. The girl's coming up to you because you won a big jackpot, which means she's interested in you because you have money, and maybe not because she wants you to spend it on her, maybe because she wants to steal it with the help of her violent male friends. So you have to use common sense and think with your big head and not your little head. And I'll tell you one other thing. I don't know exactly the way this one went down, but I have a feeling, as I said, that it was pretty pretty quick. She probably met him off plenty of fish and then very quickly, without getting to know him at all, arranged to meet up at Sunset Station to get a room and have sex. Most girls do not do that. In fact, very few girls do that. In fact, even very easy girls do not do that. They always like to feel like they are making some connection. I'm talking about the ones online, not like ones that meet you in a bar and find you attractive while they're drunk. That's a different story. I'm saying ones online will very, very, very infrequently just say, hey, you want to meet and have sex. Almost never happens. I can tell you from being on for decades. I don't just mean happens with me. I mean happens with anybody. In fact, the guys who would approach girls that way, the guys would say, hey, you know, who wants to meet up tonight and have fun? They would get blocked and ignored. So the ones who would actually get laid from these type of environments would be the guys that would approach them respectfully and talk to them normally, and then eventually would transition over to meeting up, and then it would transition over to having sex. That's usually how it would work for guys that would have success in this way. But if a girl approaches you and just wants to meet up inexplicably, just wants to meet up for sex tonight, there's probably something shady to it. Something to stay away from. It's especially something to stay away from if it doesn't make sense why she'd approach you as opposed to somebody else. I think the victim here was young also. I think he was like 24, so that doesn't apply here. But this girl's 21. If she messaged a guy who's 50... That's a big red flag right there. She messages like a 50-year-old dude and says, hey, let's meet up and have sex. So you just have to ask yourself, does this make sense? Is this something I can picture actually happening? Not something I'd like to see happen or wish would happen, but is this something that is likely to actually happen in reality or is something weird here? And if something's weird, just don't do it or be very, very cautious. I guess finally, don't let them blindfold you or tie you up. I mean, that should be obvious, but... Do not ever let someone put you in that position if you don't know them well. I mean, she really should have tied him up. That was stupid. (laughs) That's why the murder failed, because she didn't tie him up. And once he felt the stab, he just pushed her off and ran off. Not exactly the brightest criminal here. But then again, she couldn't be thinking too straight if she's looking to murder strangers over the U.S. bombing Soleimani in 2020. I mean, come on. Weird stuff happening in Las Vegas, for sure. But this could have been anywhere. It just happened to be in Vegas. All right, moving on. High-stakes poker player Gal Yifrak has been arrested and charged with both operating an illegal slot machine business and money laundering at the Bicycle Casino. Gal Yifrak is not a household name in poker, but he is a known high-stakes player. And this was a big story when this hit. The first article I saw about this was on the Daily Beast, 
thedailybeast.com on March 10th. And it says, a card player who promoted himself as humble and hungry for more success tried to hide his illicit profits from slot machine losers and indictment charges. So basically, the feds are alleging that Yifrak was part of a a group of people who were operating an illegal slot machine business in California. And then, since he would make cash from this business, the poker play was mainly to launder the money. And that he was laundering the money, allegedly, through the Bicycle Casino in Bell Gardens, which is in the L.A. area, and is presently the biggest card room in the world, to my knowledge. Used to be commerce. And when I say biggest, I mean the most tables running at once. Used to be commerce, but commerce has really gone downhill since reopening after the pandemic, and the bike took a lot of their business. So I believe it is the bike now. The bike was long time number two, but now it's number one. But they've had a lot of issues with money laundering problems over there. And this is yet another one. So not only is he accused of running this illegal slot machine business, which, of course, you can't operate slot machines in the U.S. without being properly licensed and regulated by the state where you are. And uh, California, you cannot have a slot machine business unless you're on Indian land and have permission from the state. So he just ran this slot machine business and then used the bike to launder money. Now, how was he laundering money at the bike? Well, the feds allege that what he did was he would trade cash for chips, for high denomination chips, with players at the bike. And the players at the bike were actually happy to do this, and I'll tell you why. As you probably know, if you cash in more than $10,000 worth of chips at any time, or buy more than $10,000 worth of chips at any time, you have to fill out a CTR form, which stands for Currency Transaction Report, which is then sent to the IRS. Now, this doesn't mean you owe additional taxes, but it's just alerting the IRS and the federal government in general that you are doing a large cash transaction, and it's letting them know when you did it and how much for, whether it's cash in or cash out. In fact, casinos are ordered to keep track of your smaller transactions, and if they add up to more than 10 k then also to require you to fill out that form. That's why a lot of casinos will say, hey, can we see your player's card or can we see your ID when you try to cash in like $2,000, $3,000. That's what they're doing there. You don't have to fill out a form yet, but if it adds up to 10 k in one day, then they have to make you fill out the form. And furthermore, if it seems like you are purposely just barely keeping under the 10 k line in order to avoid that form, they are supposed to report that to the IRS. This is a requirement upon all businesses like casinos that deal with a lot of cash. So back to the situation with Ufrock, these players, think of these big games that run at the bike. They have the issue with these CTRs both ways. They have the issue of having to fill them out whenever they buy in for more than 10K and get chips, or when they cash out for more than 10K. So these players like to avoid these CTRs, and one way they can do it, not legally, but they can do it and no one's going to really scrutinize it, is by trading. So someone like Gal, who was 
pretty well trusted. They didn't believe he was passing them counterfeit bills or anything. Says, hey, you know, I've got 30K cash here. Can you give me 30K of chips? Well, if this player wants to cash out these 30K chips and not fill out the CTR form and alert the IRS to the fact that they have just cashed out 30K, that's perfect for them. Then they can trade Gal's cash for their chips and they're happy. So that's why he was always able to find people willing to do it for him. But what did he do with the chips? Why was he buying up chips? Well, what Gal would then do is take the chips to the cage of the bike. And remember, he is a high-stakes player. He legitimately does play high-stakes poker. He's been on streams playing high-stakes poker. So there's no doubt that Gal is a high-stakes poker player at the bike and elsewhere. So it's not even like just some stranger shows up with all these high-denomination chips and they say, hey, where did this come from? They know that he's playing big all the time and no one's keeping track of what he's winning or losing. I'm not talking necessarily about streamed games. I'm talking about just you know, regular cash games that are high stakes. No one's paying attention to when he's winning and losing. They just know he plays high. So he shows up at the cage and has high denomination chips. No one's going to ask any questions. It makes sense. So the feds allege what he did at that point was he asked for a check. So he was actually getting rid of the cash and converting these into checks from the Bicycle Casino, which appeared to be gambling winnings. And then he would deposit the funds into his bank. So that's where the alleged money laundering came in. Is it possible the bike was aware of what was going on and looking the other way? Yes. In fact, they have before for others. They got in trouble. They paid a big fine for that in the past. Is it possible that they were clueless and they just thought they were cashing out a high-stakes player and giving him checks like they do many other high-stakes players? Yes, it's very possible the bike didn't know what was going on. But you'd think they'd be more careful about this given how many times the lightning struck there regarding money laundering. Anyway, Gal has been arrested. And they seem to have a lot of goods on him. They have a lot of text messages that he sent. And they seem to have a lot indicating both that he ran the slot machine business and that he used the bike to do this exchange of cash for chips to a check. Once he put the money in his bank account, the Fed say that he spent the money on real estate. So he would acquire real estate after he'd get enough money built up at the bank account. Just write a check out of the bank account to buy real estate for cash. I'm not sure how law enforcement became aware of him, but they were aware for some time and they were monitoring his communications. So they were able to see the text messages. I'm sure with a warrant, they were able to see his text messages back and forth. And this goes back for years. Uh, I don't know when they became aware of him, but maybe they were able to retrieve the text messages in some other way. In 2018... He allegedly discussed swapping $150,000 with someone at the bike. And then he uh, actually did such a swap for more than 150k. He did uh, over $200,000 with that person at the bike. And then deposited that check into his account, as I explained. As I said before, the bike has been in hot water for money laundering in the past and looking the other way as it occurred. 
in November 2021, the bike agreed to pay a $500,000 fine to resolve an investigation where a Chinese national conducted over $100 million in cash transactions there in 2016 through an assistant. We talked about that on this show. And they did not file any CTRs or SARs, which stands for Suspicious Activity Reports, when these transactions occurred. As I said, they looked the other way. Now, with Gall, it's very possible they weren't looking the other way. As I said, he was a high-stakes player there, a known high-stakes player in the community, and him bringing up high-denomination chips to cash out didn't necessarily raise any red flags. But it's also possible that it did, and they just didn't want to say anything. There's some other people who are involved with this whole thing. Call here. Call, you're on the air. Hey, it's the Wolf Desert Runner. Desert Runner, what's going on? Real quick note, since uh, Stone's Gambling Hall is one of our favorite uh, facilities, uh, on a weekly basis, there's money laundering going on there. That I, I mentioned to you before, but I want to throw it out there. It's getting more, it's happening more and more. You know, people come in, they buy $10,000 chips, go to the table, play a hand or two, lose interest, get up and cash out. And uh, it's, I would just want to say it's happening up here too, and it's real, uh, it's real prevalent. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can believe that. I've seen that at a lot of casinos. It, it, this happens all over the place in the casino industry, and on a small scale, people easily get away with it. It's on the large scale; it gets tougher because you keep doing it over and over, and they're supposed to report it. It, it sounds like the most common. Uh, I talked to the guy there. The most common uh, cash in, cash out, ten grand. I don't know if that's a, a line you've heard before. Well, yeah, it's because of the, it's because of the CTRs. That's why it's because once you get. Anything above ten grand, you have to fill out those CTR forms. Though a lot of times, people who are doing this will stay well under ten grand because obviously it's very suspicious if someone cashes in ninety nine hundred fifty dollars or something. So what they'll do is they'll do a little less, you know, seven thousand or something along those lines, and then uh, split it over some time. So that, that's what some people will do to avoid these forms, and that is a crime called structuring. But they tend not to go after people who just do that on occasion. They tend to use this to go after someone who's either repeatedly doing it or doing it for other illegal purposes. Like in this case, not only was Gal uh, uh, avoiding these forms, but he was also doing it to launder money that was allegedly coming from an illegal slot machine business. Okay, well, thanks for the call. Okay, I'll love you. See ya. All right. Okay. I mean... This is something that's pretty prevalent everywhere. But someone who does it on a grand scale, they're often going to get caught eventually. Phil Helmuth had at least some relationship with Golly Frock. On December 11th, 2021, a few months before Phil became aware of what Gal would be accused of, he wrote this. Hello, boys. I'm seeing at Aria Poker Tournament, $1.25 million giveaway. I love seeing some of the folks in the poker community. Makes me happy to see them in the house. Hello, Hanks. I'm not sure which Hanks he's referring to. I don't think it's Tom Hanks. Noah Schwartz. John Robert Belland. Keating. And Gali Frock. And also, Johnny World Hennigan. And then he posted pictures of these various people. No Tom Hanks, by the way. And Gali Frock is among them. So at the very least, this was some sort of, uh, I think, charity thing that 
Helmuth was doing at the RES, a $1.25 million giveaway via a poker tournament, and he was happy to see that poker pros were showing up for it. That's basically what he was saying. I don't know much about this whole thing. But he recognized Golly Frock there and named him among these other known names in poker and took pictures with them and was happy to see these people there. So obviously this is someone at least he knew to some extent. I'm not saying Helmuth's involved in any of this. I doubt he was. I'm just saying that Gal really got to be known in the community. The indictment, which was dated uh, March 3rd, 2022, charges that uh, Gal Yifrak and Nick Shklonik Nick Shkolnik, Nick Shkolnik, S-H-K-O-L-N-I-K. I believe these are both Israelis. I know Gal is for sure, but Nick Shkolnik probably is as well. That between January 2018 and January 2022 did conduct, manage, supervise, and direct all or part of an illegal gambling business a gambling business involving supplying, operating, and maintaining video slot machines and devices and involving receiving, holding, and forwarding money to be staked, pledged, bet, and wagered upon the result of a contest. Referring to gambling, basically. And then there's others involved. In addition to Gali Frak and Nick Skolnik, there is Shalom Ifra. I wonder where he's from. Shalom Ifra. <laughs> you think he might be Israeli? Then uh, Yosef Yishkak Bishari. And uh, I guess those are the four who are being charged. There's some other people named as, quote, individual six or whatever that are just people they're discussing, but these are the four they're concerned with. Gal, this Shalom Ifra, Nick Skolnik, and uh, Yosef Bashari. And it says, Yifrak and other individuals acting at Yifrak's direction, including Skolnik and Bashari, collected the cash proceeds of their illegal gambling business from various locations in the Eastern District of California and elsewhere, and they transported those cash proceeds to other locations in California. The reason they talk about the Eastern District of California is all these federal courts have their district where they have jurisdiction. So this was brought in the U.S. District Court in the Eastern District of California. So they're saying that this occurred in the Eastern District of California, but that uh, it also was uh, brought elsewhere to other locations in California. And it said uh, individuals who had collected the cash proceeds of the illegal gambling business at Ifrak's direction, including Skolnik and Bashari, delivered such cash proceeds to Ifrak and Ifra. Yifrak and Ifra used, caused to be used and agreed to use multiple methods to exchange cash proceeds of the illegal gambling business for other items of value to conceal the fact that their income was derived from operating this business. They're talking about what happened to the bike. And they have uh, further details in this indictment, which I posted on Poker Fraud Alert in the Poker Community Discussion Forum. You can find it there. You can find a brief description of this whole thing. You can see a picture of Gal Yifrak. You can see a link to the indictment that was filed in U.S. District Court. It looks like the main three involved here were Yifrak, Ifra, and Bashari. Looks like Yifrak may be the ring leader of this whole thing. They also seized a lot of stuff here. 
which may end up being forfeited to the government. 317000 in U.S. currency, then 85000 in U.S. currency from a private vault box. I'm guessing it's one of these safe deposit boxes that's not at a bank. 163000 from a private vault box. 4.25 Bitcoin, which presently is worth well over $150,000. Real estate at 465 South Manfield Avenue in Los Angeles. Real estate located at 806 North Janice Avenue in Los Angeles. Real estate at uh, 851 through 853 North Las Palmas Avenue in Los Angeles. So the government is seeking forfeiture of all of this. I don't know how much the real estate is worth, but remember, LA real estate is worth a lot. So that's actually the most valuable of the assets. And I don't know if he fully owns these, but I'm guessing he does. I think that's uh, what was being done here is all cash purchases. I don't think he was getting loans here. So these are combined probably worth uh, several million. And then the cash and the Bitcoin together looks like it's worth... Uh, less than a million, but approaching it, maybe you know, 800K or something like that. So I don't think we'll be seeing Gali Frock in any high-stakes games anytime soon. And it is now believed that that's the way he was able to buy into these games, is using this money. Because again, he appears on these poker streams, that's great. That's great for him, because this is another way the money can be turned into legitimate money. Even if he loses, then he's seen leaving the poker stream with money and gets a check from the bike or from the hustler and totally legit. It was right there on stream, right? Now, it it does shine more of a light on him, but maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe he was hoping that if he was seen as a high-stakes poker player, that it would not be alarming to the casinos at all that he would be doing these cash-outs for large amounts and getting these big checks. And it's very possible the casino had no clue and didn't report him, and they found out another way. Now, it is possible the way they found out was that someone lost in these slot machines and was bitter about it. Either they felt they were cheated, or they were just kind of pissed off, and they reported it. That's often how these illegal gambling businesses get caught, is these losers complain. And that's why it's so stupid to run these. Because when you're running something like this, and you're breaking the law, and you're looking at serious time if you get caught, and it's not that hard for the government to catch and prove the whole thing if they're on to you, which in this case, clearly it was very easy for them to do, then all you have to have is one pissed off gambler and your whole thing comes crashing down. And when someone's playing on unlicensed, unregulated slot machines and they lose, it's very easy for them to suspect they're being cheated even if they're not. Because most slot players lose. Slots have horrible odds. But the difference is, when you lose at slots in Vegas, you say, okay, well, this is a licensed and regulated casino, just the house has a big edge, and I didn't win. But if you lose at slot machines that are operated by some dude, you may say, okay, maybe he rigged it against me. Maybe that's why I lost so much. And then you sit there all pissed off, and you report him. And then this happens. So that's why this is not a very smart, illegal business to run. It's actually safer to deal drugs than do this. I'm not even kidding. 
I'm not suggesting you guys deal drugs, but if you're going to choose between dealing drugs and running an illegal slot machine business, I would say it is safer to deal the drugs as far as not getting caught. How likely is he to be convicted? I say very likely. Number one, they have a high conviction rate in federal court. They tend not to bring these charges in federal court unless they think they have the goods on you. If they don't think they have the goods on you, they just tend to not arrest and charge you. So in federal court, they have a very high conviction rate, and you also are required to serve a high percentage of your sentence behind bars. It's not like in state prison or in county jail where you're sentenced to a certain amount of time and then you can lop off a lot through good behavior and and other ways of getting out early. Probation, blah, blah, blah. No, federal convictions, federal, federal prison sentences, you are going to be behind bars for a long time. So he's not even going to be able to worm out of this one where he's not going to spend much time in jail if convicted. Now, I will say that he's not going to likely spend time in a federal facility that is dangerous. He's probably going to be in prison in better conditions than he would if he were in California State Prison. But he'll be there longer. And his chance of avoiding actual substantial jail time is, is the chance of that's pretty low. Whereas if this were uh, charges being brought against him by the state, he would have a lot better shot. I'm not saying he'd get out of it, but he'd have a much better shot. So I think he's going to be doing time. Also, keep in mind, they want to, they, they want to set an example here. They want people who think they're going to run these illegal casinos to know that it's not worth it, to know that they're going to spend real jail time and get all their stuff seized. They want people to look at this and say, okay, well, it's not worth it. Not going to do it. Not going to run slot machines out of my house or out of a a strip mall or whatever he ran. I I don't know where he ran these things from, but uh, whatever. Like They want people to look at this and be deterred. So he's not going to get a slap on the wrist here, especially a lot of money was involved. I've always wondered when I see these high-stakes players playing where the money came from. I'm not saying it's always money illegally obtained. Often it's not. But sometimes it is. When I've played at commerce, at high stakes, there's been people at the table, I have very, very high suspicion that the money came from some illegal source. I don't ask them. It's none of my business. It's not something I have to worry about. All I have to worry about is being at the table and playing and winning. But I have to say, there are people at the table that I have wondered about, that I think, okay, I I have a feeling this guy did not get this money legally. Some of them are pretty obvious, and some of them, like Gall, are not all that obvious. Gall is someone you could have believed made the money through poker or through other uh, businesses he ran. He kind of had that vibe to him. So I'm not saying he was a suspicious character. I'm just saying that there's people who seem like suspicious characters and others who don't, but got the money there illegally. And this is what they're doing with it, either to launder it or just to have fun with it, just because they have the cash and want to use it. Sometimes the money comes from theft or embezzlement. 
Sometimes the money comes from things like drug dealing. Sometimes the money comes from other illegal enterprises, such as what is being alleged here. Sometimes people have the money from running illegal bookmaking operations. In fact, I've heard stories about certain people of where they've gotten their money. High-stakes players. I don't repeat them because it's just a hearsay and I, I don't want to besmirch somebody's name based upon a rumor I heard. But, you know, you hear things. If you're part of the poker community, you hear things about certain people and where they get their money. But it's always been a source of fascination to me because some people at the table, it's pretty obvious. Like, some of them I know battled their way up and won their money through poker, which is great. Others, I know they came from a rich family. Okay, you know, if that's where they got their money, that's fine. But others, as I said, I can't quite fit it together with who that person is and how they got so much money. And I know when I'm sitting at the table with some of these people that some of the money I am winning was probably illegally obtained. Not my problem, but... I suspect that's the case, and I'm sure over all the years I've played in live card rooms, I've run into that a lot of times, where that really was the case. Okay, so I have an update here on another legal matter. This is involving the Las Vegas Metro police officer who was arrested robbing the Rio and... There's more to the story now. So, Caleb Rogers, who Brandon likes to call Caleb Rogers, or sorry, Celeb Rogers. (laughs) So, Celeb Rogers, or Caleb Rogers, whatever you like to call him. If you remember, he was arrested when attempting to flee after robbing the Rio Sportsbook. And we talked about this in the last show. This happened in February. But at the time, there was some suspicion that he also robbed two other casinos and had gotten away with it at the time. He was caught in the act on February 27th at the Rio, but there were two other robberies that were very suspicious and believed to be his work. On November 12th, 2021, at 3.38 in the morning, a man took almost $74,000 cash from a cashier from the Red Rock in Las Vegas. And then on January 6th, 2022, the Aliante Casino got hit for 11500 And that person had a white Volkswagen hatchback that was actually parked in a handicap spot. Well, that was suspected. But now I have an update that they have decided they have enough evidence against Celeb or Caleb Rogers to charge him with the other two robberies. And I I thought that was probably coming because it seemed like it was all related. It seemed like it was the same guy. So he is being held on federal charges. He's not just being charged by Nevada. And a U.S. magistrate judge ordered that he held in federal custody pending another hearing on March 24th on charges stemming from all three armed robberies 
between November and February. He appeared last week in U.S. District Court in Las Vegas. He could face up to life in federal prison if he's convicted, but it's unlikely he's going to get that because nobody got hurt. I, I think I think he pushed down some woman or something in the real robbery, but no one got seriously hurt in the real robbery. Now, he did actually pull out a gun, so that's worse than just saying you have a gun. He actually did uh, pull out a gun. And when he was being chased, he pulled out a gun. So that makes it more serious. And the fact that he is, or I guess was, I don't know if he's actually been fired yet, but uh, he was working for Las Vegas police at the time. He was a police officer. So that's going to get him charged a lot more harshly and uh, probably sentenced a lot more harshly. Because it's assumed that if you're an officer of the law, that you should know better and that you're held to a higher standard as far as observing the law yourself. So for a Las Vegas police officer who's supposed to protect from stuff like this, actually committing robberies is pretty offensive. So he's not going to get any leniency for sure. But do I think he's going to get life in prison? No. Because again, there wasn't anyone seriously hurt. So these were robberies without any kind of real violence to them. So despite all the other factors that are going to work against him, I don't think it's going to add up to life in prison. Do I think he's going to spend a long time in prison? Yes. I think he's going to plead guilty too. I mean, he was caught doing it, so it's not even like they think they figured out it was the right guy. The The other two, they didn't catch him in the act, but they, they did catch him in this one, and they probably have enough from the other two to link it all to him now that they know who did the... Th- real one. So I think eventually he's going to realize he's screwed and do some kind of plea bargain and probably do some substantial time in federal prison. I'm not exactly sure why this is federal prison and federal charges rather than local. Because he lived and worked in Las Vegas And he committed these crimes in Las Vegas, but yet he's being charged with federal crimes. They're claiming it's because he was interfering with interstate commerce, but I don't know. I'm I'm pretty surprised it ended up in federal court. Maybe there's some reason, but I, I would have totally thought this would be a state matter. At the Rio, he did say, get away from the money. I've got a gun. I will shoot you. And he did pull out a gun and had his finger on the trigger and was threatening to shoot. But amazingly, the guards at the Rio, who don't get paid very much at all, they get paid very little, tackled him and were able to get him under control and get the gun away from him. Very brave of them to do this, (laughs) to protect the Rio from the money stolen from there. I mean, that's, that's really dedicating yourself to the job. So I... I have to imagine that, uh, number one, his law enforcement career is permanently over. And number two, uh, he's not going to be a free man for quite some time. But I think, and I will update it on this show when we find out, but I think that we are going to see a guilty plea and something like a maybe a 10-year sentence in federal prison. That's what I think we're going to find here. Maybe more, maybe 15 
I bet it'll be along those lines. Now, had he shot the gun, even if it didn't hit anybody, it, it would be much more. But yeah, I think 10 years in federal prison. I think that's that's my guess. That's my, my over-under here. Unless there's something, something I don't know. Now, had he hit someone with, with a gun, like has he, shot, has he shot someone even if they didn't die, then we'd be looking at a lot more. But uh, again, he didn't fire the gun. Nobody really got hurt. So I think that'll work in his favor. They can make the case he was going to because he had his finger actually on the trigger. In fact, it could have accidentally gone off even if he didn't intend it to. So there's a lot to say against him here. But there's a lot he can try to claim that should justify a much lighter sentence. And uh, I'm sure he will give some sort of justification that he had a gambling problem or a drug problem or something along those lines that got out of control. That, you know, he's not a terrible person. He just uh, let the addiction take hold of him and then use this to fund it. I, I bet that's going to be something along those lines. Let's talk about the World Series of Poker and the schedule they released and the big announcement regarding the vaccine requirement. So this is actually a topic we were going to have on the 10th anniversary show, and we just never got to it. There were some topics we didn't get to, which I tabled, and we're doing tonight, and this is one of them. You'd think in a 13-hour show we'd get to everything, but somehow we didn't. I I guess we could have done like a 17-hour show. But at some point I had to say enough was enough. Anyway, people were waiting for quite some time to finally see the World Series of Poker schedule. And it just kept being pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. They didn't really say when we could expect it. They were teasing the schedule since late December. Some people thought we were going to see it in early January. But all of January passed and we saw no schedule. And most of February passed and we saw no schedule. Finally, on February 23rd, the schedule was posted. And as I do every year, I go, I went through the schedule. I identified events that I had interest in playing. And I also am going to comment on this schedule and compare it to previous years and everything else I always do regarding the World Series of Poker each year. So here's some things I noticed from the schedule. First of all, it is back on the normal schedule during the year. Remember last year was in the fall. That has been done away with. We're back to a late May through July schedule. It runs from May 31st through July 20th. The Tournament of Champions has returned. Remember that? That hasn't been around for a long time. In fact... I could have been part of one, but it was eliminated the year I won the bracelet. They had a Tournament of Champions in 04. I won my bracelet in 05. And that year, they did not have a Tournament of Champions. So I didn't get to play. But it is back. I believe it came back at some point between 05 and now, but then it vanished again. But now it has returned, and the Tournament of Champions is the final event That is going to take place on July 18th. It's by invitation only for winners of bracelets in that past year or circuit rings or World Series of Poker Europe bracelets. 
So that's one thing that's come back, but doesn't affect most of us. I hope that I'll be invited again. That'll mean I won the bracelet. That is, won a bracelet in 22. But here's some things of note, besides the tournament of champions. There is a new housewarming $500 No Limit event, No Limit Hold'em, that is, at the beginning of the World Series with a $5 million guarantee. Yes, I said housewarming. You didn't hear the wrong thing. I actually said the word housewarming. Why is it called housewarming? I have no idea. It is actually called not just housewarming, it is called The Housewarming. That is the name of the event. The Housewarming. (laughs) Where they came up with that, I have no idea. But The Housewarming, maybe because it's the housewarming party for the World Series being at Bally's. I don't know. That has to be where it's from, is uh, a reference to it being in a new location. But The Housewarming is going to have three flights, or four flights, sorry, four flights. Uh, The first one will be on June 2nd. The last one, the D flight, will be on June 5th. All of them at 10 a.m., which is a pretty awful time. And it is a $500 buy-in, as I said, with a $5 million guaranteed prize pool. That's pretty aggressive if you think about it, because... That means they are expecting a minimum of 10,000 entries. And I'm not saying they won't get it. They'll, they'll get that for sure. Remember when they had the Big 50, they got like 28,000 entries. You can rebuy, so they don't need 10,000 unique people. But they are guaranteeing a minimum of 10,000 entries which would make that $5 million prize pool. I, I think it's going to be easily exceeded. I think that's actually a, a pretty conservative prize pool for this event. You can uh, re-enter once per flight, meaning you can enter a grand total of eight times. So if, say, you bust the A flight on June 2nd, you can re-enter once. If you bust again, then you have to wait until June 3rd, flight B, to enter again. So each day you can enter twice. But you see how they can easily get up way past 10,000 entries when some people can enter eight times and some people will, especially since it's only 500 bucks. So for the guys who just play, 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 play all series, like Ryan LaPlante, for example, uh, you can guarantee Ryan will enter eight times to this thing if he busts the first seven. So there will be a number of pros who will do things like that if they don't get off to a good start and will play aggressively to try to build up a stack. They're not going to be playing conservative main event style. They're going to be playing aggressive and figure if they bust, they just have seven more times to rebuy. That's one of the new events. It is replacing the Big 50. Remember, this is the first World Series they are having at a normal time of year since 2019. The first normal World Series at a normal time of year. They did have a mostly normal World Series, albeit with a diminished numbers in 2021. But this will be the usual time of year and a usual type of schedule. So I'm kind of comparing this World Series to the 19 World Series. And this is one of the new things, but it's kind of a semi-new thing because they're just kind of renaming it. The Big 50 was a $500 buy-in with a guarantee, I think also $5 million. 
and it was near the beginning of the series. That idiotic flip-and-go thing is back. I'll remind you what that is. That is where initially everybody is forced to go all-in on the first hand. And then they just deal out the board, and the winner wins the table and cashes. Now, the flip-and-go fails the dandruff monkey test. The dandruff monkey test is something very simple. If a monkey could cash in the event, then it's a bad event. Well, a monkey could cash in the flip-and-go. You could easily train a monkey to hold... uh, You could easily train a monkey to hold two cards and push his chips in. That's all he'd have to do. And then if his hand would win, they would award him a cash. He wouldn't even have to understand how the hand works. He wouldn't have to understand poker. All he'd have to do is receive two cards and push the chips in, which you could easily train a monkey to do. So that is why it fails the monkey test. And any event that fails the monkey test is something where a cash is pretty meaningless. And I don't like to see that. That cheapens what a cash is. They've already cheapened what a cash is because they've changed it from 10% to 15% of the field gets paid and they have some pretty low buy-in events. But this is especially bad because there's no skill. I believe you actually... There, there is a little skill. I believe they deal you three cards and you throw one away. That is before the flop is dealt. So there's a little bit of skill in that, but very little. Like even if you just randomly throw one of them away, you're not giving up that much expectation. Like, a monkey really could cash in this and have a fair chance to do so. Like, not much worse of a chance than a human. Even a very good poker-playing human. So it fails the monkey test. It is coming back. Additionally, it turned out that they also ran tables of this before the event would officially start. Like, Negranu did this. Like, they, they would run preliminary tables, which you can play and do these flips and earn your way into the remainder of the tournament with a guaranteed cash. So you can have more than once to keep trying this. So not only does it fail the monkey test, but you can also buy a cash that way. That's too bad that's coming back. That's a stupid gimmick. They should not have an event like that. Now, as far as the limit events, I was always surprised that in recent years that they were spread throughout the World Series. The reason that's a mistake is because there's a lot of people who don't live in Vegas that enjoy limit poker. And I don't just mean limit hold'em. I mean limit poker. So I mean hold'em, stud, 08, and the other limit games, including things like horse, like mixed limit games. So these would be spread out too much on the schedule. And if you are someone who just doesn't enjoy no limit hold'em, or no limit hold'em tournaments, and you just want to play limit, then you have to pick what you're going to play and miss. And I said, I bet these would get a lot better attendance if they had them clumped together for the most part. But for whatever reason, they weren't doing it. Well, this year, they finally clumped them more together. They are still somewhat spread out, but they're clumped more together now, and that might improve the attendance somewhat. 
Though I, I do find it annoying, and it happened again this year, where they're too clumped together sometimes, where you're guaranteed to miss one because it interferes with another. They should have them clumped together, but not like on the same day or back-to-back days, or otherwise people are going to start missing them too just because they make day two. Because there's a lot of people who make day two in limit events because there are not that many fast bus in limit events because you're not risking your whole stack early on. Overall, though, it is largely similar to 2019. There's not a lot of innovation. Also, I did not find very many straight $1,000 and $1,500 buy-in freeze out no limit events. You know, the old school no limit events where you buy in, you can't rebuy, and it just plays out normally at a nine-handed table. And that's it. There used to be a ton of these on the schedule in the 2000s. And since then, they've been diminishing and replaced with all these rebuy events and gimmick events. And this year, there's very few of them. So you're really not finding very many of these $1,000 and 1500 buy-in no-limit freeze-out events. And that's too bad because I like them. I always try to play a few of those. Now, speaking of limited events that conflict with one another, th- this is a boneheaded mistake. The $3,000 Limit Hold'em event, which is a six-handed event as well, and the $10,000 Limit Hold'em event are on back-to-back days. (laughs) And as I said, since a large percentage of these fields make day two, this means that a lot of people who play one will miss the other. Is that dumb? That's really dumb. So the 3K six-handed limit hold'em, which for a few years now had been beginning after the main event, that's actually why I didn't play in 2019, that was on June 11th this year. And then 24 hours later, the 10K limit hold'em is on June 12th, also at 3 p.m. The restart for the event, I believe, is at 2 p.m. So if you make day two of the 3K six-handed, you'll be starting an hour before the 10K limit hold'em. Now, you can come in on day two of 10K Limit Hold'em. You'll be short-stacked, but you can buy in day two. In fact, Scott Seaver did that one year and actually won the thing, which is stupid. Not so stupid for him, but like just stupid that they allow it. But they shouldn't do that. There should always be two days in between. I mean, there's only three Limit Hold'em events in the whole damn World Series and has been for a long time. So why have two of them on back-to-back days? This is the first year I can play the seniors event. I am 50 now. You have to be a minimum of 50 years old to play the seniors event, which gets a very large field. Every year it grows because poker is getting old. The seniors event is on June 23rd. I keep saying that I'm going to play it for sure, but it's actually at a bad time of the series for me. (laughs) Like, of all times for it to be, I really don't want it on June 23rd. I, I'm not sure I can make June 23rd. So I actually might miss the seniors event after years of talking about how I want to play it and how I can't wait till I'm eligible to play. So now I'm eligible, I may not be able to make it. That's kind of annoying. But it, it is there, obviously. In 10 years, I can play that and the super seniors, which is for 60+. plus. The seniors event also features uh, Trader Ruski, Frequent co-host of Poker Fraud Alert Radio and Vintage One likes to show up and play that as well. They are both over 50. They've both been 50 for a little while, so they've played this for a few years. 
I have not. This would be my first. And I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not sure I'll be able to make it. Now, what about COVID? What about COVID and the vaccine and masks? How's that going to work? If you recall, in 2021, after changing around the COVID rules a million times, they finally landed on a vax requirement, meaning you needed two shots and you needed to prove it, and a non-mask requirement, meaning that uh, you were not required to wear masks. It was optional if you wear a mask, but it was not optional to get vaccinated if you wanted to play. Alex Foxen and Kristen Bicknell famously refused to get the vaccine and kept speaking out against the vaccine and speaking out against the World Series for requiring the vaccine. And these formerly very popular players, who are also a couple and have been a couple for quite some time, and they're both very good players, they ran into a lot of controversy for their strong anti-vax positions. And that really affected the way a lot of people perceive them. I assume they will be back this year because there is going to be no vaccine requirement at the World Series of Poker. So there is no mask requirement and no vaccine requirement for the 2022 World Series, at least at this time. Remember, a lot can happen between now and late May. You may say, oh, it's only two and a half months. Yeah, but uh, think of how quickly it can change. Think of how nobody knew about Omicron in the end of November. And by the end of December, that was the dominant variant by far around the world, including the U.S. And it was far more transmissible than Delta, yet 10 times less severe. So what will we have next? There is some fear that we will have a more transmissible version next. In fact, maybe it will be an Omicron subvariant. In fact, some areas of the world are seeing higher COVID numbers than they have in a while. They're seeing a resurgence of COVID. And maybe that's what's coming to the U.S. next. And maybe there will be so many COVID cases hitting at once, and maybe that'll happen around May, that the World Series will change its mind. But at the moment, there is no vax requirement and no mask requirement. So it's like 2019 all over again. You can just walk in with no vax, no no mask, and play your heart out, and that's that. Now, obviously, Kristen Bicknell and Alex Foxen are thrilled about that, but how do I feel? After all, as I told the gentleman who called in who said he was from Kentucky, I did get the vaccine. I got the booster. I don't believe I'll be getting the fourth shot, even if it's available. It's not available anyway, but if it were to be available to me, I don't think I would get it. It doesn't seem like it does very much for you. But I did get three shots. So you would think I would be pro-vax requirement, wouldn't I? But no, just for the reason that there's no point. Because you can transmit Omicron if you've had two shots. You can transmit it if you had three shots, but if you've had two shots, especially two shots a year ago, you're going to be plenty contagious if you get Omicron. 
and you're going to be plenty vulnerable to getting Omicron, or whatever the variant is at the time. So it's pretty useless as far as protecting the public if you've only had two shots. That's the truth. So why have that there? Just so you can feel good? Just so you can feel safe? I don't care what feels safe. I care what is safe. And two shots is not saving anybody. It might be saving the person who got the shots from being hospitalized or killed, but that's about it. So I am not pro-vax requirement anymore. Before I was like, okay, I think it should be up to the business, but it shouldn't be required. I think the business should decide for themselves. I was fine with what the World Series did last year. But things have changed. COVID has changed. And at this point, the way Omicron works, there is no reason to require a two-shot vaccination. There just isn't. It makes no sense. So good for the World Series for lifting that. And the mask requirement is stupid too. In fact, they finally admitted at the beginning of this year Cloth masks really don't do very much, especially against Omicron. Surgical masks, yeah, they do. N95 masks, oh yeah, they do a lot. But cloth masks, it's useless. It's just uh, something, again, to feel good, to feel safe. But it doesn't actually do much for you or anybody else. So why have it? So make it all optional. If you want to get vaccinated, as I did, then do it. If you want to wear a mask then do it. And if you feel uncomfortable with people being at the World Series who are not vaccinated or wearing a mask, then don't go. But I think they made the right decision. And I'm glad that's the way it is. However, I got my booster in mid-October 2021. It has now been five months since I got the booster. I got Pfizer. A study out of Israel says that after five months have passed, you have a whopping 31% protection against Omicron, which is not very good. Well, the World Series is not today. The World Series will be seven and a half months after I got my booster, and it will finish nine months after I got my booster. So I think I will be quite vulnerable to catching Omicron, or whatever the variant is, at the time of the World Series of Poker. Do I feel good about that? Obviously not. Does that give me some pause? Yes, because COVID is a function of time. It has been found that a very big factor in whether you catch COVID or not is how long you are exposed to COVID. So, for example... If you walk into a room where somebody has COVID and you're there for 30 seconds and you walk back out, even if you're near that person, your chance of catching COVID is pretty low because your time of exposure was too low to catch very much of the virus. It's not that if you catch the slightest bit of COVID that you're going to come down with symptoms. You need to catch enough of the virus for it to give you symptoms and cause the reaction it does. And that comes from time. That comes from time of exposure. So the longer you're exposed to it, the more you're going to get it. That is why the biggest vector of transmission of COVID is the home. Why? 
Because where do you spend the most time at home? Where are you likely to spend a lot of time with someone who has COVID? At home. Somebody else that lives with you has it. And you're going to be exposed for many, many hours a day to COVID. That's why I was impressed with how the booster worked for me. Because my son had COVID in January and I did not get COVID. So I was exposed to it at home every day for weeks and I didn't get it. Great. However, that was when it was only three months since I got the booster. By the time I'm at the World Series, it'll be seven and a half months to nine months. And the booster will have weakened by then. And getting a fourth shot is not the answer because apparently that doesn't help very much. So I would be in a room with a ton of people. I have to think some of them will probably have COVID. And I'll be in that room for many hours a day. So just like it's hard to play an entire World Series without catching a cold, it also would be hard to play an entire World Series without getting Omicron. And I've thought about that. And when I played the main event last year, that was just before Omicron showed up. That was in early November. And I had been recently boosted, and I knew the booster worked well, and it did. Delta was right in the same room with me for 11 hours a day, and I didn't get Delta either, while a lot of other poker players did, none of whom had the booster. So I think the booster protected me twice, and that's great. But I don't think it's going to have much power to protect me this year. So I'm not sure I'm going. But on the other hand, I can't hide from this forever. I don't want to live my life like I'm constantly hiding from Omicron or the variant du jour. Because that will suck. That will be a crappy way to live out the final decades of my life. So I want to live life. I want to do things I enjoy like the World Series of Poker. So I don't know. I haven't made a decision. Part of me says this isn't worth it. I can play online poker. I can go to card rooms occasionally. But to play day in, day out, day in, day out at the World Series, that's really asking to get COVID. Or maybe I can wait until there's better treatments for it or a vaccine that uh, doesn't degrade like this one does. There's things that will probably improve over time. So maybe in the 2023 World Series, there is a lot less danger. But at the same time, there's a lot less danger now than there used to be. In 2020, if you got COVID, you just had to pray that you weren't going to be one of the people who gets killed by it. Nowadays, Omicron is 10 times less deadly than the Delta variant, and also a lot less deadly than the original variant. And if you got the vaccine, even just two shots, then your chance of not getting severe disease is pretty good. However, I do want to say that your protection for severe disease goes down as well with Omicron. So it's not like I'm bulletproof to that. I could also get unlucky and get severe disease. And I'm not young. I'm not really old, but I'm not young. So I can't just go, oh, I'm 25. What's going to happen to me? You know, I'm 50. So I got to think of that too. I'm 50 and it will be seven and a half to nine months since I got the booster. I'm not saying that they should have a vax requirement. I'm just talking about for me personally, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So that is the story I really would like to play. I just haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. 
And when I say I haven't decided yet, I'm not trying to be cute with you guys. I'm not. It's not like I'm being dramatic and I, I know I'm going to play, but I just want to leave it up in the air. And it's not like I've decided not to go, but I, I don't want to seem like a pussy. And I'm saying, oh, no, no, I might, I might not. No, I, I really haven't decided. It's like a, a, a battle within me whether I want to do it. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can text me. You can call me. We were getting a call from someone I know. I'm going to call him then. He called and hung up. I'm just going to call him. This was an accident. Matt the Rat, hello. Hey, how's it going? So did you intend to call because we got a call from you and then it just hung up? Yeah, something was weird. I, I tried to call you, and then it just rang once, disconnected, and then did you call me back? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, because I was like, that was weird. Okay. Um, I don't know if this has uh, been spoke about or not. Do you know what the status is of the Bally's um, renovation and the timeline on that? Is that going to be before WSOP? Unfortunately, I think it's going to be during WSOP. And I, I warn people of this, that if you're going to get a room there, that when they assign you your room, this isn't something you can do in advance. Like, you can't ask for it today. But when you check in there, or maybe the day before, I would advise calling in there and saying, hey, I don't want to be by the renovation. So if there's any renovation noise, don't put me in that room. Because a lot of this is going to go on, and it's going to be during the day when you may be sleeping after playing late at night in an event. What an epic fail. Like, I mean, they're having this huge WSOP, and they're going to have the renovations at the same time. Yeah, that's what it appears. It's not been verified, but I read something like it's going to begin in May, something like right smack into the World Series. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Are they be, are they going to be doing the rooms or just like the lobbies or what are they doing? I'm not even sure. Uh, I mean, they're changing. They're definitely changing the lobbies and all. They're, they're, they're going to give it the whole... Uh, horseshoe appearance they're going to turn it from a bally's into a horseshoe what that entails i don't know uh the rooms may or may not be renovated but definitely the theme of the place is going to be but whatever it is there's going to be some rooms that will probably be affected by noise and i think if you make a big deal about not being in one of those you probably will be able to avoid it and if you say nothing they'll probably slap you in a room that's noisy so that's why I'm saying. Now, if are you, you saying phone a couple days ahead before you go there, or just when you check in? I would say the day before or the morning of. Don't do yeah. it any earlier than that because they don't assign rooms that early. That's why I'm saying when you make a reservation, don't bother to say anything. But yeah. when you are like, like you could the night before, they may tell you to call back the next day, or you may want to call like 11 a.m. that day or 10 a.m. that day. Don't wait till you check in because if you come in at 10 p.m. at night. And you'd say it then, they may say, well, sorry, we're full. It's the World Series of Poker, so this is all we have left. Tough luck. And then you're stuck. Yeah, exactly. You know, one thing um, that's kind of good for Canadians, like, obviously, when uh, 2020, I was like, okay, 100%, I'm not going. 2021, I was like, ah, it's kind of only a 25% chance, and I didn't end up going. This year, I think there's an 80% chance I will go. Um, and one of the big reasons is, in Canada, they've now, or within a couple of weeks, they're lifting the criteria to have um, a negative COVID test before you come back home. Oh, good. That, that's actually All very... You have, you have to show proof of vaccination, and if you're unvaxxed, 
I believe then you have to have a, a like a negative test. But I mean, that's a huge deal because, you know, a lot of those tests, you have to have 24 hours before you travel. You got to find a place and you're always panicking of like, are they going to get it done in time? And it's just uh, a nightmare. Yeah, that's why I haven't traveled internationally. That's exactly why I haven't here. I'm going to throw on another caller here. Caller, you're on the air. I just want to say I really like your show. Thank you. And it's really good, and we all listen to it. I get, and uh, you just got the best thing going on. You teach, you speaking the truth. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, who is this? What's your name? I'm James from Kentucky. James from Kentucky. Well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Jamie. And they got that, they got them their vaccine stuff. And I'm like, I ain't taking no vaccine. You know what I'm saying? We ain't getting no vaccine. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what do you think about the vaccine? Well, I got it. I mean, I'm 50 years old, so I, I wasn't going to mess around. I, I think well, you it's... Sound, you sound a lot younger. But I was a big fan of you. I was following you in the, uh, uh, when you got that, that bracelet. My well, bracelet. I'm 76. Yeah. So, well, yeah, you did, you did a good job. You did a lot. Okay. Uh, well, I'm uh, glad you... Uh, Followed my bracelet win. It's quite some time ago now, and uh, we lost this guy. I, I don't know if that was a real call or not, but uh, if it, it, it almost sounded like Slim T. <laughs> I, I was looking. The phone number is not Slim T. The phone number is not even a Kentucky phone number. It's a California number. It threw me off. But whatever. It, I, I don't recognize the number, but whatever. I'll take the compliment, real or fake. Anyway, uh, go on, Matt. Yeah, no, I was saying, so that that's a big deal. Like, I haven't traveled internationally, but I have a friend that has a couple times, and he said, like, you know, you got to find a place in the States, and you're you're kind of panicking, like, and, you know, are you going to get the results before you have to cross the border or get on a flight? And it's, uh, but now I think it's in a couple weeks they've lifted that, and it's just show your, you know, show your um, vaccinated. Uh, I've even heard, though, of people like this was on our local radio and actually some people were saying, Oh yeah, I went to Las Vegas and I got a, um, when I took a test, it showed positive, but they asked around and it being Las Vegas, they found a place that would give you a negative test. You could buy on the black <laughs> you market. You could buy a fake negative test. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you could buy it like, and somehow it was like, it looked le- legit. And then the guy just came home. Wow. But I mean, I don't. Who wants to put up with all that BS? No, I don't either. That's why I haven't. Go, I haven't gone anywhere international, and I won't until all of this is uh, taken care of, where it's not an issue anymore. We we do have an app. It's called ArriveCan, and I, I'm I have to download it. But it's simply, I think it's something like it shows your vaccination status, and if they do a random test on you when you arrive in Canada and you test positive, you have to have um, a quarantine plan. Like most people just say, I'm going home. It used to be they would put you in a hotel for 10 days and you had to pay out of your pocket. It was like 200 bucks a day. <laughs> it, was, and it, it was crazy. And, you know, there was a big thing on the news. A, a lot of people, you know what they just said? They just said, screw you. I'm not going. And they just walked out of the airport. And now they say those people got fined, but I think they never followed up. Oh, wow. That's crazy that they would compel you to stay in their expensive hotel instead of... Uh, I, I really thought that they're going to imprison you in a hotel, basically. At least they're going to pay for it. That's crazy that they bill you yeah, for I it. Yeah, I know. But, and then, then it went from that to you can stay at home, uh, and then they just phone, they spot check phone you at home. 
and now it's just you just got to have your own plan but i i think most people going are going to be vaccinated and uh i i'm i'm just so glad they got rid of that and i'm assuming maybe other countries um probably by the time it happens we'll have the same like the the restrictions are going to be a lot looser here's what's so dumb about these restrictions these days especially i'm talking about as we stand right now Omicron is easily busting through the double vaccine, especially an old double vaccine from last year. So if you got the vaccine last year sometime, especially early to middle of last year, it's going to help you somewhat from not having severe disease that kills you or hospitalizes you. But that's about it. Omicron is still going to bust through. You're still going to get it. You're still going to have symptoms. You're still going to transmit it. So why is that considered a standard for whether you can do something or not do something? This is this really should be a personal choice at this point, especially because two shots is not preventing transmission or symptomatic COVID. So what are they protecting here? Why are they making you show proof of vaccination at this point? If you had your second shot in May of 2021... It's doing you very little good from stopping symptomatic Omicron or stopping you from transmitting Omicron. So it's so dumb. Exactly. And, you know, uh, I've had two friends from my work, one's 55 and the other one's 56, that both had Omicron and they're both um, double vax with the booster. And they said it was just like a mild cold. It wasn't even as bad as the flu. Yeah, well... Double back to the booster is a big difference. That uh, not only makes it a lot tougher for you to catch Omicron, not impossible, it still gets through sometimes, but also it does tend to be a lot milder. But the people who only had two shots, especially two shots over a year ago or around a year ago, that's going to do you very little good aside from preventing severe disease. So I don't know why that should be a standard with going into a crowded place. It shouldn't matter that that person and an unvaxxed person are pretty much equal as far as the danger they present to the public. So I don't know why one is considered better than the other. It's stupid. Yeah, there and there where I live in BC, they are. You still have to show a vaccine passport when you go to restaurants and casinos and things. But they are going to be get, getting rid of that within about two weeks. You you won't be required to show one. Yeah, they really need to change this. This is really 2021 thinking that they're engaging in here, where you know, before Omicron, that if you got two shots, and if it's been not too long since the two shots, yeah, you're probably not going to catch COVID, and you're probably not going to transmit COVID. But that was then, this is now. Now, if you had two shots, you're going to catch Omicron eventually, and you are going to transmit Omicron eventually. So I don't know what they think they're doing here. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that was my main thing I called in about. I was just wondering if you knew anything about the uh, renovations. And no. Just, uh, because I booked at, um, at Bally's just because, you know, it's center strip and it's where the thing, the action's going to be. And, I mean, you know, the, the rooms definitely are not awesome. But, I mean, it's not like the quad used to be where you have cockroaches running around. 
Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I, I understand it. I know you've stayed in Bally's before. I, I once uh, dropped yeah. you off there. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I've probably stayed there over the last 10 years, maybe four to four or five times. It's it's not bad. It's, it's not the, you know, not the greatest, but I mean, it's good value and it's, it, the, the location is really good. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, thanks yeah. for calling in, Matt. Okay. We'll talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Alrighty. Maybe I'll see Matt this year at the World Series. All right, next topic. Dan Bilzerian was signed to be a rep of GG Poker in December of 2019, and there was a lot of controversy surrounding it. Why? Because Dan Bilzerian is an outspoken and brash guy, and he doesn't care what you think of him. And he says a lot of politically incorrect things. And... There's been some allegations against him about how he treats women that are unfair, like when he threw that stripper off of a roof into a pool. That sounds awful until he realized this was a stunt that she agreed to and that she stupidly grabbed onto his shirt when she wasn't supposed to and then uh, she didn't get the uh, momentum that she was supposed to get from him throwing her, so then she didn't uh, land in the pool and hit the side and got injured and tried to sue him. That ended up going nowhere. But uh, the narrative went, oh, he's this awful guy. He threw a stripper off a roof. uh, No, he threw a stripper off a roof as part of a stunt that she agreed to be part of. And then, oh, he degrades women. No, he hires women who get paid to pose in pictures with him where he tries to make guys feel jealous of his lifestyle, that it's him and 12 really hot chicks surrounding him. So, it's all for Instagram. It's all for an image. These girls get paid. Nobody's forcing them to be there. So, I wouldn't say that's degrading women. And so Some people say, oh, well, you know, he, he'll, he'll put like a tray of food on their back and eat off of it in some of these pictures. Well, first of all, he's not really eating off their back like they're a table. He's not having like a full meal there. So, again, it's for, it's for a photo shoot. And again, these women are paid for it and they're signing up for it knowing full well what they're posing for and where it's going to be seen. So those type of criticisms, I think, are stupid. But at the same time, he's not everybody's cup of tea, and I understand that. And he also does uh, say some offensive and brash and outlandish things on social media and sometimes just uh, in interviews. And it turns some people off. He doesn't bother me. Now, I'm not one of these big fanboys. I'm not one of these people who looks at him and says, oh, wow, I wish I was him. No. But I have nothing against the guy. I have some questions regarding where he got his money, as many of us do. I don't think he necessarily tells the truth all the time. But overall, you know, I don't have anything against him. And it didn't bother me that he was signed to DG Poker. However... As you probably remember, there was one person who was really angry about him being signed to GG Poker, and that was Vanessa Cade, who nobody knew at the time. I shouldn't say nobody. I knew who she was. Some people in poker knew who she was, but she wasn't a known name in poker. She was a female who kind of played in the background, and some people knew from Twitter, but for the most part, if you said Vanessa Cade, people would say, Who? And that's the way Bilzerian regarded her. So when he, when she commented on him and the signing, 
and said that he's a sexist and he's a misogynist and it's a bad look for GG Poker, he came back with the infamous response, shut up, ho, and that's ho with an E, H-O-E, nobody knows who you are. This was in December 2020. Now, Vanessa Cade was not a hoe, so that wasn't a fair or accurate thing to say about her, but he was correct that nobody knew who she was. Now, he should have just not responded. It is true that she started up with him. He didn't just pick on her. She started up with him and called him names and made allegations against him. But the truth was, as he said, nobody knew who she was, and he was the big name. So what he did was called punching down. He should have just ignored her. He should have known that if he's going to have the image that he does, if he's going to be as brash and politically incorrect as he is, he's going to get some haters and detractors. And the proper way to handle these haters and detractors is just to ignore them. And not to respond, shut up, ho. So the poker community pretty solidly got on Vanessa Cade's side on that one. However, she milked it. She milked it big time. And while at first I felt she handled it very well and even changed her Twitter profile picture to that of a garden hoe, she continued to harp on GG Poker over and over and over and over, and everyone got sick of it. Like, everyone knew. Yes, she was unhappy about Bilzerian being signed. She thought he's a sexist. She thought he's a misogynist. She made that message very clear. And thanks to his hoe post, it got a lot of attention, and every criticism she had got a lot of views. So, okay, she got all that out. It was her right to say, her right to have that opinion. All right. And she kind of handled it with a mixture of humor and seriousness that I thought came off very well. However, as she kept pressing, as she kept harping, it got on people's nerves, including mine. And it turned out she was getting affiliate money from GD Poker, which people thought was hypocritical. She didn't announce that at the time either. They finally terminated it, which is why she said so. But for about two more months, she was getting affiliate money for people she signed up like years earlier. And she didn't understand the way affiliates work. You know, like you cannot draw affiliate money while bashing the site that you're an affiliate for. And you can say, well, I I referred these people years ago when I thought better of them. Well, okay, fine. But if you want to keep drawing that referral money from those old referrals, then you can't bash the site. You're supposed to be, like, in a way, a representative of theirs, even if not an overt one. If you are doing things to harm the business's reputation, then they do have a right, morally and legally, to terminate your payments, which is what they did. And she she was outraged by that and tried to act like the victim there, so I, I didn't approve of that. There's been a lot of drama with her since that all happened in December 2020. So she comes with some dramatic baggage. Now, ACR signed Vanessa shortly after the whole shut up ho thing. And I don't think she got very much money from them. They signed her for what I believe was a year. And she had not done anything significant in poker at that point. Very shortly after they signed her, she won a large tournament on PokerStars, and she finished first. She wouldn't make any deals, and she walked away with more than... One million dollars. I think like 1.2 million. So a great score for her, a life-changing score. 
beat a very big field and some tough players. So, you know, good for her with that. And that kind of elevated her status again and made some people forget some of the criticisms they were developing of her. But there's been drama with her every few months over something or other. I won't rehash it all. I've talked about it before on this show. Well, when her year was up with America's Card Room, she quit. She didn't resign with them. But unlike other people who choose not to resign with a poker site and just quietly walk away and say, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to go do other things, whatever the innocuous message might be. And sometimes isn't a truthful message, but is at least a nice parting message that isn't criticizing the site that had signed you. Well, Vanessa Cade took the bridge burning route and posted that she's tried to make changes at ACR, but they're just resistant to it. These weren't her exact words, but that was uh, along the lines of what she was saying. We reported on this recently. So she quit ACR and said that it's because they they haven't made changes, that they still have a, a culture of sexism there and she can't stay. She's tried to help. She couldn't help. She's leaving. Now, of course, that's her right to do. She's not expected to resign if they are not meeting what she feels is the uh, minimum threshold of values, that it makes sense that she would leave. And she doesn't need the money because she had that big score last year. And I think she's been uh, doing well enough in poker since. It was actually $1.5 million. It was not even $1.2 million. So, you know, she didn't need the money to resign. She wasn't desperate. So she she left, but to make that statement on the way out is not very good as far as prospects of being signed elsewhere, because anywhere else that may want to sign you will look at this and say, well, okay, when she leaves us, she may do the same thing to us. At the time, she wrote, while they've kept the promise to stop the behavior we saw back in June, unfortunately, there's been similar ongoing issues behind the scenes that have spent considerable energy trying to get them to address, referring to ACR. The thing back in June is this whole thing with the CEO making lewd comments to a female streamer. But that whole thing was a nothing burger because this was a stream where you're supposed to do that. That's something that had been going on for a long time where everyone kind of makes raunchy comments to each other. This wasn't like a, a guy sexually harassing an underling. So it was a dumb scandal. And at the time, she was kind of saying that, and she was right. But then people are going, oh, well, you know, Vanessa, you're being a hypocrite. You know, why are you allowing uh, Phil Nagy to talk to this Wheat Pro girl this way and then complaining about Bulzerian? So she had to, like, act like that she was taking this seriously to save face. And I thought that was stupid. She should have just stuck to, look, this is nothing. These are all adults, male and female, making these comments with each other. And it's no big deal. The reason it blew up is because Wheat Pro's boyfriend all of a sudden raised issue out of nowhere when he was fine with it previously. It was very strange. Anyway, she claims there's other issues since that whole thing in June and that she's tried to get them to address it, but they won't, so she's leaving. She said, though there are many good people at ACR, it's clear we have different values and it's not where I belong. Now, the speculation has been for a long time that Vanessa wants a poker star sponsorship. And in some ways it would be a pretty natural sponsorship because that's where she won the big tournament. And she's a Canadian, 
I don't know where she lives right now. I know she spends a lot of time in Vegas, but she's a Canadian, so they are trying to appeal to the Canadian market. They are serving the Canadian market, so that works too. She's an attractive female in her mid-30s, so that's obviously an asset she has that dudes on there do not have. So, in a lot of ways, it would seem this would be a perfect fit, but obviously stars would have to deal with the drama. Whatever drama she brings in the future, the drama she's had in the past, and the drama she might bring if she chooses to leave them and drop a message like this on the way out. She has not been signed anywhere yet. But let's go back to Blazarian. We already talked about Vanessa Cade leaving on a previous episode. That's really not what this segment's about. This is about Blazarian. Dan Blazarian is now no longer with GG Poker. Dan Bilzerian has been fired. Yeah. You're fired. Why did that happen? Why did Bilzerian, why did Bilzerian get fired? Was it because of Vanessa Cade? I mean, this would be a long time later. The controversy was in December 2020. And... This happened in 2022. So is that what happened, albeit a delayed situation? Or was it something else? Or was it a combination of things? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is that Bilzerian has been fired. But I do have some theories as to the reason this happened. Bilzerian simply has not been a very good ambassador. He has not done what he promised. He apparently was not fulfilling his obligations. Most notably, in December 2020, shortly after they signed Bilzerian, they had what they called a birthday free roll, where the winner would get to play Bilzerian heads up for 100000 So it was basically a free roll to win the opportunity to play Bilzerian and get 100000 if you win. Well... The winner actually was a female, of all things. A woman named Alex O'Brien won this $100,000 Dan Bilzerian free roll in December 2020. However, Bilzerian never had the free roll. He never showed up for it. (laughs) So uh, she kept pressing. She kept asking, when's this happening? I don't blame her. She was trying. On On December 7th, 2020... She had just won and wrote, Thank you so much, GG Poker. I had a blast playing. But here we are, well over a year later, it hasn't happened. So on December 7th, 2021, still having not played this free roll, she tweeted out, Happy birthday? Question mark, and quoted the old tweet of the congratulatory message from GG Poker about her winning this from a year ago. She said, it's hanging over me like a cloud. The last time I communicated with GG, I told them I could be available from the second week of January 2022. I really hope that they can make this happen. However, it still hasn't. She even said, we could still make this an amazing win for a lot of people. GG Poker, would you consider donating in my name to one of the following charities? And then she listed some of them. Most of them were women's related charities, like uh, a chess charity for women, uh, 
something called One Girl Can, something called the Trussell Trust, something called RELBA, something about uh, children's literacy. So she was actually willing to just give up the free roll and have them just give the 100000 to these charities in her name. But Gigi Poker didn't answer. I understand why Alex O'Brien was pissed off about this. I'd have been furious as well. I'd have been making a bigger deal than she has been. They basically ripped her off. She won a chance to win 100000 against Bulzerian and never got that chance. At the very least, you should say it's worth fifty k because it was a heads-up match. But she got nothing. She won this $100,000 Dan Bilzerian heads-up free roll, and she ended up receiving... Zero point zero. And she kept pressing. She kept pressing. They just weren't responding. I don't know why GG Poker has not made this right. They make a lot of money. They're doing real well. I wonder why Negranu's not commenting on this. This would totally be in Negranu's wheelhouse to take care of. Someone should get Negranu's attention to this matter. I bet if Negranu said something, they'd do it. Because it's not like we're talking about ten million bucks. This is a hundred thousand. Gigi Poker can easily afford to either just give her the, give her the hundred k, or give it to these charities or whatever, or at least fifty, at least fifty, and explain it was a heads up thing where she'd either get zero or a hundred thousand. And that's crazy. He uh, he also didn't show up at the cash games. At the time he was signed, Dan Bilzerian said, I've battled guys from the $2 buy-in to the $200,000 buy-in tables at GG Poker, and I'll be working with GG Poker to make the cash game tables even better for the average player. However, it looks like he's hardly played there. And there was an interview that he had with Poker News that Tiffany Michelle was doing, of all people. And uh, this was from the GG Poker WSOP party. And he very unenthusiastically said, I'm part of GG. And agreed that he was only at that party because he was contractually obligated to be at this GG World Series of Poker party. <laughs> So Tiffany Michelle is like talking to him and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm part of GG. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Instead of saying, hey, I'm having a great time. I love this place. I love GG. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm at this party. I'm part of GG. Got to be here. Also, he claimed they were going to have, uh, quote, sick promotions. And that never ended up happening either. Actually, it was Daniel Negreanu claiming it on Bilzerian's behalf that they're going to be having sick promotions around him. I guess that's true, though. They actually did have a sick promotion. I would say it's pretty sick that you win a $100,000 free roll against Bilzerian, and then he never plays you. (laughs) I mean, that is pretty sick. It was a sick promotion. It's not the right kind of sick. I have a feeling that GG Poker realized that he just lost interest. That for whatever reason, he wanted to do this in December of 2020 and then very quickly lost interest and then just did the absolute, absolute minimum to make his appearances like he had to at the parties or whatever and then wouldn't even take the time to play that one free roll. And they're like, what are we paying this guy for? Just so we can put his face on stuff for the site? He's he's bringing too much baggage and we're not getting that much from him because he's not doing much to promote us. 
and he's not being an active part of GG. Like, say what you will about Negranu. Negranu is someone who actively promotes GG, who's actively associated with GG, just like he was when he was the face of Poker Stars. So they're getting their money's worth with Negranu as GG Poker Ambassador. I'm sure they're paying him a lot, but at least he is really representing the brand. In fact, if you go to Negranu's Twitter, Real Kid Poker, you'll see on his Twitter banner, there's two pictures of him wearing GG patching. And then at the bottom, the bottom right, it says hashtag or, or at Real Kid Poker GG. And GG is, is very large. So Daniel made GG a big part of his existence online. And he patches up when he plays these many live tournaments he does with a prominent GG logo. Dan Bilzerian really hasn't been GG. I see why they got rid of him. Now, is it possible it had anything to do with Vanessa Cade? Yes, because this didn't make them look the best when right when they sign him, he calls Vanessa Cade, who at the time wasn't even a known player, a hoe. You can't just speak to random women that way who complain that you're a sexist. You can ignore them. You can come back and explain why they have you pegged the wrong way. But you don't say, shut up, ho. That's not what you do right when you get signed to a site like GG Poker. So this has been a headache for them. They had to constantly defend themselves as to why they have someone like GG, or why they have someone like Bazarian on staff. He was more trouble than he was worth. That's the bottom line. So they fired him. Now, the interesting thing is this was not exactly a year from when he was hired. Usually these things happen when contract renewal comes up and they decide they're not going to rehire the person or the person decides not to return or they make a lowball offer to the person and they, cho- they choose not to return. By the way, I believe that's what happened to both Negranu and Moneymaker. I believe they were lowballed by stars and left. But this was not at or near the year mark. They announced the Bulzarian signing on December 3rd. The firing was announced on March 8th. That's like 15 months. So it's almost like they hadn't officially renewed him and then took some time to talk to him to like see if he wants to change the way he's been behaving and get more involved, and it took kind of three months to hash this out, and when they couldn't come to terms, they said, you're fired. I'm guessing they didn't pay him again for a second year. If they did, they were stupid. I think they just didn't quite know what they were going to do, and then took three more months and then fired him. So how did Vanessa Cade respond to this? Well, I didn't really look at her Twitter to see her comments. I'm sure she said something regarding the firing that she was happy about it, but I didn't see it, so I can't tell you what she said, but I can tell you what she did. I think in a way that Vanessa's muse is Dambelzerian. You know, some people have a muse, and of all things, I think hers is Dambelzerian. So the way you inspire Vanessa Cade, the way you inspire her to play great poker, is... You have to be Dambelzerian, and something negative about you has to come out in poker media. 
So, if you remember, in 2021, everybody jumped all over Dan Bilzerian for the Ho comment. And shortly after that, she won that $1.5 million on stars. Well, this time, just after Bilzerian got fired, Vanessa played in the win millions and was chip leader four-handed with $1.6 million as the top prize. She ended up going out fourth after losing a very big pot with pocket aces against a flush. However, she still walked away with $527,000 for her biggest live cash ever and her second biggest cash ever. So that makes a $1.5 million cash shortly after being called a hoe by Dambolzerian and a 527k cash shortly after Brazilian was fired. What do you think? How come every time there's bad news about Bilzerian in the poker world, Vanessa does really well? It looks to me like she should want Dan Bilzerian to come back and get into more controversy and get fired again because I think she'll become the winningest player of all time. I think that lights a fire under her and it makes Vanessa into just this super poker pro that nobody can beat. But short of that, then she doesn't cash in any of these large tournaments for big money. So I think Bilzerian's her muse. I think with negative Bilzerian coverage, she's unstoppable. She could be the best poker player in the world if bad things keep happening to Dan Bilzerian. She should keep that in mind. Finally, what about Stars? You think they're going to sign her now? I mean, it's a good finish she got. She was a, a t- that's a tough field there. I looked at who was playing that win millions. It's a lot of tough players in that field. She beat a very tough field all the way to fourth place. And she was the chip leader with four left. She just didn't run well after that. So she did very well. So this should increase her profile. This should increase her, market, her marketability. And if she just could stay out of her own way, stars would snap her up in a second. And that's why this whole thing was so stupid. I don't know why she chose to define herself this way and why she chose to repeatedly get involved in so much drama. I'm not saying that she should just say nothing and never state her opinion. I'm just saying that the more drama you create, the less marketable you are. And by the way, this isn't a criticism because I create drama sometimes. I'm involved in drama sometimes. And I admit if I were to try to get sponsored, this could be a strike against me. However, I don't think I'm going to get sponsored because I don't play tournaments that often and I'm not a pretty girl. I'm a 50-year-old dude. So I don't worry about, oh, what about my sponsorship? Is it possible I can get a sponsorship? Sure. You know, I could uh, have a good run at a World Series and my name could start getting in the updates again and, and a place would want to sign me. That could easily happen. So I'm not saying that I'm unsignable. I'm just saying that... Uh, this would reduce my marketability. So the more drama you get into, the less marketable you are. 
And I'm not just applying this to women. I mean, I said this about Negranu when he was going off about politics and making a lot of other very controversial statements that Doug Polk was jumping all over and making fun of him for. I felt this was hurting him with stars. I, I felt this was part of the reason that stars probably lowballed him and he left there. Now, he landed on his feet and got a great deal with GG. And now he and Polk seem to get along, so that stuff seems kind of like behind him. I'm sure he's happy about that. It's at your own risk if you choose to cause or inject yourself into drama. And I found with Cage drama, it was kind of needless. It's okay to be a feminist or speak out for women's issues. There's a lot of women in poker who do that, and they're not controversial. Because some of these positions are not controversial at all. You should treat women well at the table. I agree. You should not speak to women disrespectfully. I agree. You shouldn't use disrespectful terms to describe women. I agree. And I think most people agree these days. But she took it to a whole new level. And it started to get on some people's nerves. And it started to look like a bit of self-promotion. And then it was just one drama after another with a lot of different things. And so if you're poker stars, you're looking at this and you're going, okay, she brings a lot of positives. She's a good player. She's won a very big tournament on our site. She finished fourth in a very tough win 10K tournament just recently. She does have a good number of fans. She is Canadian. She's attractive. She's in her mid-30s. So these are all strong points on her side. Do we want the drama? And do we want a statement bashing us if she chooses to leave? And they have to consider that. And I don't need to have any kind of inside connections to take a pretty good guess that they are probably considering both sides of that argument. It's obvious to me. Why is it obvious? Because otherwise she'd be signed already. Because it would be a very obvious signing. Now, Am I saying she's dead in the water to be signed at Stars? No. In fact, I think she's a favorite to be signed at Stars. Why? Because on March 16th, she tweeted this. A year ago, I won a life-changing $1.5 million. Would love for you to check out this reflection piece I wrote for the Poker Stars blog. Poker Stars has generously given us 15 $215 tickets to give away to the $10 million guaranteed Scoop main event on March 20th. In order to get one, retweet this, like it, and follow at PokerStars and at Vanessa Cade. So why is she tweeting this? Does that seem like a promotional piece for stars? It totally looks like a promotional piece for stars. So why is she doing this? Yes, it was the anniversary of when she won that $1.5 million, and they're basically having that tournament again. And so who else to promote it but the high-profile winner of that? So maybe they paid her one time to do this. But I don't think she just did this on her own to give away free seats and stars. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I, if, if I were in Vanessa's shoes and stars came to me and said, hey, you, you won this a year ago. Hey, how about giving away 15 seats for us? I'm like, okay, how much money are you giving me? Oh, no, nothing. Just, you know, how do you just like to give away 15 seats? I'd say, F you, do it yourself. <laughs> Pay me or do it yourself. I'm not doing your free promotion. So I have a feeling they paid her. So it could have been a one-time pay, or it could be 
a precursor to her officially signing with stars. In fact, this could be kind of a test where they pay her to do this, see the reaction, and if it's a good reaction, then they sign her, and if it's not the reaction they wanted, either negative or just not enough positive, or not enough interaction, then they won't sign her. I'm just guessing here. But there's some reason this was put up there. So it has to have some kind of connection to her receiving some kind of promotional money for this and maybe a contract to represent stars. I'm not saying that signing her would be a bad decision. I've told you several times the positives she brings, which are significant. And if you're poker stars, that's all you want. You, you want someone to bring people in. You want someone who will bring more business into your company than the money they are costing you to pay them to represent you. And I think there's a decent chance that, uh, depending upon how much they'd pay her, that they could accomplish this with her. They just have to weigh the negatives on the other side and see if it's something they want to get involved with. If I were at PokerStars, if I were the uh, CEO of PokerStars and they asked me, do you think she should be signed? I would be on the fence. I couldn't give you an answer today. I'd really have to think about it. Whereas, minus the drama, 100%, I'd say sign her today. All right. You know what time it is? You know what time it is? I will tell you what time it is right now. Hello, Colonel Nigel Fabisham here. Well, we had a break, didn't we? No traffic time theater in the last program. It's about 13 hours that can fit it in. 13 bloody hours that, that cannot fit in a small segment is the only time I'm heard anymore. And then this, this scammer Sharif comes on. I think it's time for me to join that one. No, no, they, they bring on Finkelstein instead. I just constantly get the shaft here. Reduced it, introducing segments which don't even always air. <sighs> on with it. Thank you, Colonel Fabersham. This is Druffy Time Theater. This week on Druffy Time Theater, we are going to have a recap of my short but weird history with terrestrial radio. Now, as you might have guessed from my long broadcasts I do here most weeks, take a week off or two, but most weeks I'm here. As you might have guessed, I love radio. And I always have. And this is part of the reason that I have resisted turning this show into a video show. I always get people asking, why don't you do a YouTube show? Why don't you do a Twitch show? Why is it this antiquated audio format? Why are you doing this internet radio thing that they were doing in 2005? Why are you doing podcasting? Or if you're going to do podcasting, why don't you accompany it with a video show? And I say because I like radio. I like that it's a theater of the mind. I like how you just have to listen to me and you have to picture what I'm talking about. I like how you can have it on in the background while you're driving or you're working or you're exercising or you're playing poker. It makes listening easier when you just have to use one sense to take it in. So I've always loved radio. When I was a child in the 70s, when I was a teen in the 80s, I used to listen to various L.A. radio stations. 
And I would sometimes imagine how cool it would be if I were a personality on one of those stations. I used to wonder what I would say, what I'd sound like, what my radio personality would be. At the same time, I never considered it as a serious career. I guess I was too realistic. I guess I realized that there's so much competition in that field. That you're taking a lot of shit jobs, you're not having a job at all. While you're trying to work up to the few dream positions that actually exist in radio. And something I didn't picture was that radio would be eventually dying. That it would quickly get replaced by the internet, by satellite radio. The terrestrial radio wasn't going to be forever anyway. But still, part of me still likes radio. And I'm talking about the original form of radio. And part of me still would like to have a terrestrial radio show. Now, aside from a show on a very low-rated, and I say very low-rated, secondary station at my college in the early 90s, I never did end up with a regular terrestrial radio show. But between 1990 and 2005, I appeared on the radio a number of times, and sometimes in memorable spots. And usually I was some kind of guest or guest host. I'm not just talking about calling in for a contest or making a call into a talk show. I'm talking about like real appearances that are memorable. Some short, some long, but never regular. So I'll tell you about my short and weird history with terrestrial radio. As this week's Dreffy Time Theater. Let's start in 1990. In 1990, a very large L.A. music station was having a contest for the best touchtone phone musician. Now, if you're older, you probably know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you do. If you're younger, I'm sure you don't. Touchtones all have a different sound. In fact, that's still true today, though you usually don't hear the touchtones you're pressing, like on your cell phone, if you're going to enter the number you're calling, it usually doesn't do the tones. It just dials after you've entered the whole phone number. And even when you're on a call and pressing a button, like if you're calling a business and you have to press one for this, two for that, usually you don't really hear the tone you're pressing, even though the business hears it on their end. But you probably still know what I'm talking about, those tones, those touch tones. And each one of them is different. There's 12 touch tones, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, star zero pound. Now for the true experts, there's actually four other touch tones that are not on standard phones called ABCD that if they were to be laid out the way the touch tone phone is laid out, the A would be next to the three, the B would be next to the six, the C would be next to the nine, and the D would be next to the pound. But all these make different tones. And it's actually a combination of tones. You're not hearing one tone, you're hearing a few tones together. But they're all making different sounds. Some people thought they're all the same. They're not. I was always able to tell they were different sounds. In fact, I was able to do something that very few people could. And I didn't try. I just realized I could do it one day. I could hear tones being dialed, and I would know what they were. And I can still do it. Like if you put a speakerphone on 
and you press buttons and I turn my back, I could tell you what buttons you're pressing. In fact, people used to be careful and not enter their voicemail password on speaker around me because otherwise I would know their password. Not that I was going to steal the voicemail of my friends when they enter their password. I'm not going to go and invade their mailbox, but still, you know, people have passwords for a reason and they realize that uh, entering it in front of me might as well be them telling it to me because I could hear every tone, even if you dial quickly. People used to doubt I could do it. I would demonstrate it for them. In fact, I would demonstrate it for them in person if they wanted, where they could just put a phone up to my ear and press buttons and I'd tell them what they pressed. But something else I could do was I could play music on the phone. And I guess it's kind of related to the first skill. See, I learned when I was a young kid that I could play music by ear, meaning that I could play without having to read music, that I could kind of figure out songs and how to play them pretty quickly without reading the music and how to play them. Now, this actually made it both easier and tougher to learn to play instruments, because sometimes it's better that you can't play it by ear, because then you're better at sticking to the music in front of you. But anyway, since I was able to play by ear, not only could I uh, figure out how to play songs without uh, music being in front of me, but I could also figure out what notes the touch tones corresponded to. And yes, they actually corresponded to notes, like on the piano. So I actually figured it out. Not Again, not I didn't attempt to research this. I just knew it from hearing them. So I figured out how a touch tone phone basically corresponded to a piano or any other intru- instrument. And for that reason, I was able to play various songs on the touchtone phone that most other people could never even think of playing. So back in those days, most people figured out how to play the simplest song on the touchtone phone, which was Mary Had a Little Lamb. And that was like one, two, three, two, three, two, one, and something like that. So you can figure that out pretty easily, even without any kind of uh, musical ability or knowledge of how these touchtones work. So it was no great feat to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. But I was able to play a lot of songs. And in fact, I would take requests. People would say to me, can you play this? And I'd mess around with it for about a minute or so, and then I'd often be able to do it. Now, some songs would work better than others because you didn't have much of a range. Unlike a piano, which has like 88 keys, the touchdown phone does not have many notes. So if the song has a big range to it, then you can't really play it. But other songs you can play. It just depends on the song. Anyway... This big station had a touch-tone phone musician contest during the afternoon. And I thought, oh, perfect, I'm going to win this thing. Now, it's not trivial to get through, because it was a very large station, and a bunch of people are competing, and you were going to win these uh, tickets to a uh, pretty cool concert they had. It's kind of like what I call the uh, 1990 popular music version of Coachella. There was no Coachella festival yet, but uh, it was one of these where you show up and there's a bunch of different acts performing. And it was a lot of big acts, too. It wasn't uh, B-list musicians. So it was pretty cool. I wanted to win it. And a lot of people wanted to win it. So I tried to dial in. I couldn't get through. Some girl got through as the contestant. 
And what was the brilliant song she played? Uh, that would be Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> so I was not impressed, to say the least. Now, the DJ, uh, I don't know how much he knew about playing songs on the phone, but he seemed okay with it and gave her the prize. And he said, what can you play? She said, Mary Had a Little Lamb. He said, okay, play it. She played it. He said, okay, great. Okay, you win. And gave it to her. He didn't sound super impressed, but he didn't seem like he was bothered like she played something really, really simple that everyone knew how to do. So I kind of just sat there and I go, oh, if only I could have gotten through, I could have done something way more impressive. I mean, the prize would have been the same, but I thought it just would have been cool to do on the radio there. So I decided to call in after. So the contest was over and it was much easier to get through, of course. I just called up the request line. And the screener answered, and I said, this is Touchtone Todd. That's what I called myself, Touchtone Todd. I said, this is Touchtone Todd, and the winner of that contest played a really lame song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, that everybody can play. I can do much better. So they said, hold on. So put me on hold, and when a commercial break came, the DJ came on. Now, we weren't on the air, because he was talking to me during the commercial break. He said, okay, what can you play? I said, I can play Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Now, that was a very popular song at that time in 1990. So he didn't believe me. He said, come on, you can't play that. I said, no, I, I really can play We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. And he said, okay, play it. I, what I played was the chorus. I played this. We didn't start the fire. It was always Okay, so I'm sure you remember that. So I played a very faithful version to that, that chorus, on the phone. And the guy couldn't believe it. Like, he, he was really impressed. So he said, he didn't say anything to me, but he, I hear him saying in the background, hey, we got to get this guy on the air, and then, then it goes to a, a hold music again. So, okay, that sounds good. So I'm just sitting, sitting, sitting. Five minutes pass. All of a sudden, I'm thrown on the air. And he's pretending like he's talking to me for the first time, so I played along. So I said, yeah, this is Touchtone Todd, and the winner of that contest playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, that's really lame. That does not take any talent to do. I can play We Didn't Start the Fire. He goes, you can't play We Didn't Start the Fire. So yes, I can. He says, let's hear Let's hear you can play We Didn't Start the Fire. So then I played it. And he goes, wow, that was really good. That is really, really good. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to give you the same prize that we gave out to the actual winner of this contest. We're going to give you the same prize because you definitely deserve this. So I did it. I won. And I waited for the tickets to come. Did the tickets come? No. Through some sort of uh, logistical issue, the concert was canceled. Just my luck. However, they are actually required by law to give you an equal or greater prize. So they sent me a replacement prize of two t-shirts and some crappy concert they were doing in its place, which was no longer one of these 
big extravaganzas of uh, a bunch of musicians. It was like one act that I didn't like. <laughs> so I'm like, this is terrible. And it was far. I think it was like all the way in San Bernardino or something. So I had to go like a long way to get to something that sucked. And I said, oh, shit. How did this change? I want something really good and now it's become something really crappy. So I uh, put out a cheap ad in the local newspaper in the classified section. Sold this stuff dirt cheap. And that was that. I kept the t-shirts, but I sold the tickets dirt cheap. So I think I cleared like 40 bucks. I think I had two tickets, which I sold for one for, for 20 each. I believe the tickets to this thing I had won, which were like 120 each. I think that's what they were retailing. That shows you how much worse this thing was they gave me. But there was nothing I could do. Touch Toad and Todd did not make another appearance on the station. They never had that contest again. Both talents actually worked in my favor to impress girls that I would meet over the phone in some way, whether off like a party line or like an online uh, computer bulletin board or whatever it was where I was meeting girls in those days. You would think this sounds really, you know, just really silly in that, uh, you know, why would a girl be impressed by this? But they would be. In fact, a trick I used to do would be like if we're all on an open party line, one problem was if there was no way to talk to anyone privately If you wanted to get a girl's phone number, you either had to give your own phone number out on the public line and then be subject to prank calls, or the girl would give her number out and a bunch of other dudes would call her. So either way, it wasn't good. So I had another way around it. I would say to the girl, dial in your phone number and I'll know it. And they go, no, you can't do that. I go, no, no, I can. They said, what, do you have a machine? I go, no, 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 I can do this myself. They go, that's really cool. Let me try. So they dial in their number and then I'd call them. And it'd be like a really good icebreaker. And they go, how can you do that? And then we'd have like a conversation about that. And like, they'd be impressed. It's like right off the bat, make me come off as like smart and unusual, but kind of like unusual in a good way. And then I'd play the songs that would be impressing them too. So the, the, the touch tone songs and the ability to recognize tones was always a good gimmick. And, and uh, I'd also like let them put me to the test. So they, I'd let them like, dial as fast as they could, and i tell them all the numbers. Nowadays, this wouldn't work, because people aren't even aware of these touch tones anymore, unless they're older. But back in those days, I was touch tone Todd. 1992. This was a much longer appearance on the radio than my brief appearance as touch tone Todd. I really wanted to be on my college radio station. Right when I got to college, I said, this is it. This is my chance to be on a real radio station. Because my college had a real radio station with a real range. In fact, the signal would travel across the ocean and reach parts uh, in, in southern L.A. County as far as like 150 miles away. It wasn't a super strong station, but uh, it went all the way down the southern California coastline. So it had a pretty big potential audience. So while it wasn't like a huge station by any means, it was something with a real signal. So I really wanted to have a show on there. But there were a few problems. First of all, there were no talk shows at all. None. Not one. They were all music shows. They were crappy music shows. Basically, if you turn that station on, 
it was some introverted student, and that would seem like a contradiction. Like, why is an introvert having a radio show? And I kind of wondered that, too. But it was like an introverted student who kind of would sound like they are uncomfortable talking on the radio, playing some eclectic music of theirs that nobody's going to like except for them. So it was never any kind of music that's going to appeal to the masses or even the semi-masses. Why? Because they had a rule on that station that you were not allowed to play music that was on any mainstream Southern California station. So even so-called alternative music, like you'd hear on K-Rock, was not eligible to be played on this station. So it had to be more alternative than K-Rock. So that didn't leave you with much that people are going to want to listen to. You'd be playing very niche music that is not going to excite anyone, except for very, very few people who might like it. So as a result, the ratings were quite low, even though it had a decent signal. Now, I did not want one of those crappy music shows. I wanted to do a talk show, which was allowed. They just didn't have any. And I wondered why. But that's what I wanted to do. Now, before you could get on the station, you had to successfully complete a show on the training station. The training station was a low-power AM station, which basically could only be heard on campus, but also transmitted on what was called cable radio. I'm not even sure how that worked, but somehow you could receive it if you had cable and somehow hooked up your radio to your cable. I I don't even know how it worked. Like Most radios couldn't do that. But I got a show on the training station, and I completed it. It was like a comedy music show, kind of like a Dr. Demento ripoff. And uh, I completed that. And then I applied to be on the main station, not with that same show, but basically I wanted to do a talk show, and I was uh, not given it. So that was disappointing. Now, it turned out that uh, there were a few reasons for this. One of them was that they knew that I was a conservative, not a like super hard-right extreme conservative, but they knew I was a conservative, and the student manager of the station and the faculty manager of the station were both very left-wing. So, as you can imagine, they uh, weren't dying to have me on there. So that was one reason I was rejected. Um, I kind of gave up on it. Disappointed, but I gave up. Then I was talking to one of my friends there, and I said, you know what? I got rejected, but maybe we could have a second shot. Maybe we could, like, do a show together, but it'll technically be your show. And then we can apply again. Except this time, this time would be you're, you applying, and they don't know you're conservative. They, you know, and they don't know you. This guy wasn't even conservative anyway. I was conservative. He was actually liberal. But that, that didn't matter. Basically, the, the plan was that uh, it was going to be kind of more my show, but it was going to be more in his name. It was going to be not, not more but completely in his name. Now it's just going to be the sidekick that they may not even know about. It's kind of a way for me to indirectly get on there. Because <laughs> I wasn't like banned from the station. They just didn't give me the show. They just said, we don't have room on the schedule for you. So we did that. However, uh, this show was on Friday at midnight. I guess Saturday morning, technically. So he was always getting drunk, and he was no-showing a bunch, and so it pretty much just became my show, because he was not showing up most of the time. 
and was too drunk to even know what was going on. So, there it was my show again, and uh, they became pretty aware at the station that it was my show again. It wasn't fooling anybody. But they weren't objecting. They're like, okay, whatever. Like, they approved his show. They knew why he wasn't showing up. And whatever. It was just a training station. Nobody cared. But the question was, could I somehow get a show on that station, on the big station that I was looking to get on? Well, when that was over, I applied again for the big station. I made sure to be clear about my talk show that it was going to be a centrist talk show. It was not going to be a conservative talk show. I said that I was going to discuss current events and I was going to discuss campus issues and that I was not going to do it from a right-wing standpoint. I was going to look at everything from both sides and I was going to invite callers to come on to discuss their opinions and open it up to everybody. So I tried to make it very inclusive I tried to make it something that was non-threatening, and I was hoping that would go over. Well, it almost worked. They said they are strongly considering it, and they'll get back to me shortly. However, while they were discussing it, they recalled a guy who had a show there three years earlier. This guy was not even a student at the school. This guy was like 25 years old. He lived in the community, and community members are allowed to apply for shows as well. So this guy did, and they gave it to him. He did say that he was a conservative, but he assured them that he's not going to be extreme, that he's going to approach this with very uh, reasoned and uh, moderate conservatism, and that he just wants to have a moderate conservative talk show there, and he just wants a chance to give kind of an alternate perspective. This was uh, in 89, before I was at the school, three years prior to when I was now asking for my show for the second time. So they said, okay. And they gave him his show. But he was not very moderate. He was actually the opposite of that. And he stated some pretty strong opinions. Not anything like really terrible or... uh, super controversial, but, you know, pretty strong conservative opinions, which didn't waver at all or allow much room for disagreement. So the mostly liberal student body was very outraged by this. This was a very, very early form of cancel culture, and they complained and complained and complained to the station management. You must fire this guy. Get him off the air. We can't let Things like this be said over the air. These terrible conservative thoughts of his. Like, really, there were a lot of people demanding the school fire him because they didn't like a conservative program on there. And, you know, the type of stuff he talked about, that he was very anti-abortion, and it was kind of along those lines. Nothing too extreme. Just, uh, you know, just a very strong right-wing opinion, shall I say. So, after enough complaints came in, They did just that. They fired him. And that was that. So they told me that because of this guy, three years prior, they didn't want to take another chance. That he sounded uh, reasonable when they talked to him beforehand, like I did, but uh, he ended up doing something a lot different than what they pictured, and it was a huge headache for them, and they don't want to do it again. Sorry. That guy basically ruined it for me. So 
did I ever know that guy? Was it someone I ever heard of? Well, not at the time, but I think at this point, you probably heard of him. If you don't have law and order and safety and security, you cannot pursue happiness. And sadly, that is the case for way too many people in way too many cities. It's a problem we do know how to solve if we set our mind to solving it. Who is that? Recognize that voice? Yes, Sean Hannity. That's who it was. Sean Hannity was that guy in the community who went on that station in 89, had the conservative show, was fired for having a conservative show, and he was the reason they would not let me have my show. Sean Hannity, who was a complete unknown in 92, when they told me that this guy three years ago ruined it. This guy named Sean Hannity. By the way, they later bragged that Sean Hannity was once on the station. (laughs) Once he got famous. Well, that was that. I gave up. I mean, what can I do? Wasn't my fault that Sean Hannity pissed people off in 1989. They just didn't want me to be another Sean Hannity, so what could I do? So I said, all right, I guess I'm destined not to be on the station. But on a cool April 1992 night, I get a call at one in the morning. And it was the student manager of the station. And he asked me, you want a shot at doing your talk show? Well, I'll give it to you. I thought it was kind of a weird time to call me, though, at 1 a.m. I was up, but he didn't know that. I said, okay, well, when am I going to have my shot? He said, right now. I said, right now? He said, yep, you're going to have it right now. He said, be here before 2 a.m. You'll have the 2 to 4 a.m. slot. The usual host we have during that time called in sick. Host meaning like the person who is uh, playing whatever crappy music. It wasn't a talk show. He said, I was going to go down there and just put on a rerun of a show we had earlier, but uh, I thought of you. So here's your chance. If you can make it, if you can come down and be there by two, if it goes well, then you can have a regular show on here. Well, I didn't expect this. And you know what? I had the perfect topic. In April of 92, what was happening? The L.A. riots over the Rodney King beating. So this was a perfect topic to talk about. The riots themselves, the cops' behavior with beating Rodney King, and all the issues surrounding this stuff. Perfect topic. It was going on that night. And I was invited to come down for two hours and have my show. Now, this was not ideal. I had no time to prepare. I mean, absolutely no time. I had to just go right down there and start the show. Also, it was a Wednesday morning at 2 a.m. So, what was the chance that I'd have any listeners? Normally, people are expecting crappy music. Who's going to turn on that station at 2 a.m. to listen to crappy music? Like It's got to have like no listeners. In fact, I listened on and off to that station, and every time I did, whenever they had a contest, sometimes even giving away decent things, they'd say, well, give it away to caller seven. It would take like an hour to get seven calls, even with them repeatedly announcing the contest. So I'm like, this is probably going to barely have anybody listening, and I can't even tell people I'm coming on, but all right, whatever. I will, uh, I'll do what I can. This is my only shot. So I said, sure, I'll be there. So I came down to the station. I was the only one there. I mean, there was nobody there. It was spooky. It was almost like 
in a horror movie where you show up to a place where you expect there to be people 24-7, but it's abandoned. Imagine walking to a radio station, the door is unlocked, and there's not a soul in the station. That's what it was. I'd expected like someone was going to be there, like the, like the station manager who called me, but no, he wasn't there. In fact, I figured he probably called me from home. I figured the reason that he made this offer to me wasn't because he wanted to give me a chance, but because he didn't feel like getting out of bed and coming down there at one something in the morning to slap on a rerun because someone called in sick at the very last minute. So this probably was done out of selfishness, but whatever. I didn't care. I got my opportunity. So I turned on the show at 2 a.m. There I was. There I was on the big station, 2 a.m., my own show for two hours. But was I going to get any calls? I didn't know if anyone would even be listening. So I just started talking. I, of course, reminded everybody what was going on in L.A. I tried not to give any kind of... Uh, hard opinions about it. I didn't want to uh, come off as left or right. I just wanted to throw out various issues surrounding it and various opinions that people had from the various sides of the political spectrum and get people to comment on it. And I also made some of my own comments, but I kept them pretty light and non-controversial. Then the phone rang, and I answered, and It was a conservative guy who wanted to give his opinions on the matter. Then the phone rang again. There were three lines into the station. I picked up the second line. It was, I remember, a Native American guy, also a student at the school. Actually, the first guy wasn't a student at the school. The first guy lived uh, in a different city down the coast. The second guy was a grad student at the school who was a Native American guy who was very centrist. And then third call I got was a liberal guy. So we had like three different political opinions right there on the show. And whenever somebody would hang up, the phone would ring immediately again. For the entire two hours, the phones were blazing. There wasn't one moment that all three lines weren't filled once they got filled at the very beginning of the show. Because the second someone would hang up, they'd be replaced by somebody else. Every single caller was well-behaved and respectful. Even Master Scaler, I forgot how I, I, I forgot how I reached him so late at night, but I, I got a hold of him and he knew I was on and he, he called in. And he was well-behaved and acted normally. <laughs> kind of like he did on the last show, somewhat. But, uh, I mean, the, the lines were full and most of the people were ones I didn't know. It wasn't like I had my friends call in. And, I mean, if we had 10 lines, they would have all been blazing too. It, it was just non-stop busy 2 to 4 a.m. on Wednesday without any notice I'd never seen any program on that station do that I'm not trying to toot my own horn here I'm serious like they couldn't get calls they, they didn't have to stand on their head to get even one call the phones for me were blazing so this was great and not only that I was able to complete the entire two hours with letting the callers take the positions and I was just guiding the thing along So I wasn't seen as a conservative ideologue. This wasn't a conservative talk show. But a lot of good points were raised on all sides. Everybody was very respectful, but yet it was interesting. It was compelling. It was a very good show. And I was very happy with it. And near the end, some of the callers started to ask, how can we make sure this is on the air again? Because I had told people that this was just a one-time thing. 
and that I was just replacing someone who couldn't make it. And they said, how do we get this show on again? And I said, I don't know, but my best advice to you is to call or write the station and say that you really enjoyed this and you'd like to hear me on again. And they said, we will. So I walked out of there feel real good, like I'm going to have that show. This couldn't have gone better. Well, surprisingly, I got no calls from the station management. They didn't call me to tell me it was good. Didn't call me to tell me it was bad. Didn't call me to tell me I'm going to get a show. Didn't call me to tell me I'm not going to get a show. There's nothing. So finally, I called in and I asked if they received any calls or letters in support of my show. And they said, yeah, actually, we did. We did get some letters. We did get some calls. And they were all praising you very much. But we're still reviewing the situation. We'll let you know. Well, like two weeks passed, I heard nothing. So I gave up. I figured that they just don't want to let me on there. They're just so paranoid about a Sean Hannity repeat that they don't want to let me on there. Well, I saw the student manager around town. I just happened to see him. And I asked, why didn't anybody ever call me? I said, why did you lie to me? You told me if this went well, you'd give me a spot on here. And it went great. And you never even called me. So why did you lie like that? So he got really insulted. He got right in my face, almost like he wanted to fight me. He like jumps up and, and like stands right in my face and goes, What, you calling me a liar? Why are you calling me a liar, huh? 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 I don't like being called a liar. And I go, look, you know, the, I'm just saying what you told me. You told me that if it went well, that I'd be on. And, and, and I'm, I, I didn't even hear from you. And he said that it's his call who gets on the air there. And that while I was, quote, insightful on the mic, he still didn't think I was ready. And it's his call to make, not mine. So I may think it went great, but he thought it still needed improvement. And even though I gave a lot of good insights, that uh, I still wasn't ready to have it. Well, this is all BS. It all was really politics. And I assumed that at the time. But I got confirmation later from Master Scaler. See, Master Scaler is part of student government. And at a student government meeting, somehow my show came up as a topic. And some very left-wing people who are part of the student government mentioned my show and mentioned how much they hated it, not because they thought I was a bad host or that the show was structured poorly, but they thought it was a conservative talk show, which it wasn't. We had someone liberal on for almost the whole way. Not one person, but various liberals were on throughout the show, and they spoke very well. And I was very respectful to them and their opinions. So this was BS. But they they just didn't like that it also had conservatives and centrists on there, especially the conservatives. So this bothered them, and they complained to station management, and they were promised that the show is not going to continue. That's what really happened. Because they said that at the student government meeting, that they were in the process of complaining to station management, and that some of them were friends with the guy, and that they'll they'll make sure he doesn't uh, let this continue. So that's what really happened. Anyway, I was very disappointed, and I never set foot again in the station during my time at the school. Only other time I walked in that building was when I came to visit the campus about eight years later, long after I'd graduated, and right in there was a big banner promoting that Sean Hannity once worked there. (laughs) 
Next story. 1996. Steven Seagal was in trouble. And only I could save him. You might think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Listen to what happened. So on another major L.A. station, they had a dating show. They had a show where... uh, People show up. It's, it's different people each time. You have to get invited there. I mean, you, you they don't just find you. You call up and you ask to be invited. But they pick you somehow to come down there. And you introduce yourself and you describe yourself. Of course, it's radio, so they couldn't see a picture of you. But you describe yourself and then people of the opposite sex would call up. And you talk to them. And then you'd see if you hit it off. And if you do, you'd trade phone numbers off the air. That was the theme of the show. I wasn't really interested in, do, in doing this. Uh, it, it just seemed kind of lame to me. It's a, I felt like you couldn't really get to know anybody. It's, you're not on long enough with anyone you talk to. And the girls I had heard call the show before were, weren't ones that really appealed to me, just from their personalities. So I was never one who felt like I wanted to go down there and do this, but... One of my friends really wanted to be on. So he got on somehow, and they said, you can bring a friend too. So he asked me if I'd like to come along, so I said, sure. So my plan was actually just to see like how much I could screw around on there and how much they'd tolerate. So basically, I, I told my friend that any of the girls that call up, I'll just kind of push them over to him, unless there's one I really like. But that uh, i just going to give like, absurd stories about myself and see if anyone calls me out on it. So I made up a fake name. I made up a fake job. I made up like all these phony details about myself and just uh, wanted to see if anyone would question them. I don't remember what I said anymore. But we went on the segment and the segment itself was kind of unmemorable. And the girls that called in, as I promised, I just let them talk to my friend and he did most of the talking during the thing. And the girls that called in again, they weren't really my type. So I wasn't missing much. And my friend, I think, got a few phone numbers. I don't know if anything came of it. But that's not the reason I'm telling you this story. What does this have to do with Steven Seagal? Well, after our segment on there was over, I think we were there like 10, 15 minutes or something on the air. I thought the host was going to say, okay, goodbye, leave, and kick us out because we were done. But instead, he said, we could hang out, we could watch, we can leave, do whatever we want. So my friend's like, oh, cool, yeah, I want to see the next one. I want to see the next one. Like He kind of just wanted to hang out there and watch the rest of the show. Well, I found this very boring. I was already kind of bored just being on there myself. <laughs> I, I didn't want to watch other dudes on there talking to girls that are calling in for them. Like, it was very uninteresting to me. But what was interesting to me was to see how this station looked and operated. Now, this was at night, so there was no one there except the DJ and the board operator. But it was a big office, like all the marketing people, all the salespeople. Uh, like they all had offices there that were right there at the station, and these were all dark, and nobody was there, of course, because these people work from 8 to 5. So while my friend was watching the next segment... I stood up and wandered around. I was very curious about the place, what it looked like, the way it was laid out, who sat where. I wasn't going to touch anything or screw with anything, but I, I just kind of wanted to see it, so I wandered around. 
As I was wandering around, I heard the familiar sound of a fax machine. I heard an incoming fax. And then I was very, very curious when I heard that sound. I hear that, and then I hear the printer of the fax start to spit out paper. A fax was coming through! Hmm, who could this be from? Remember, this is a major L.A. music station. Could it be from a celebrity? A manager of a celebrity? Could it be from a major record label? Could it be some sort of uh, announcement of a new hit song that they want the station to play? I was too nosy. I couldn't just let this fax come in after hours without my nose all the way up that fax trying to read what it's going to say. But might I get in trouble doing this? No one even explicitly gave me permission to wander around there, but it's one thing to wander around as kind of look. It's another thing to go to the fax machine and read what's coming in. So I quickly came up with an excuse in my head. The excuse was going to be that I was getting the facts to give to the host in case it was important. So what I was going to do is going to walk in there and grab it and read it, but kind of keep one eye out that if anyone walks over there to where I was standing, that I'd act as if I had just grabbed it and was about to bring it to the host. That was going to be my excuse. Well, nobody came over there. So, I was able to get a good idea of what was on that fax. But it was a very long fax. It was like eight pages long. And it was not what I expected. It was a long story, a long rambling story about Steven Seagal being threatened and that nobody knows anything about it and that he was in severe danger and might even be killed. Say the mafia was behind this and that he was very soon going to be hit by the mafia and he's afraid to say anything to anyone. And that this person who's sending it anonymously wants the press to follow up on this and do a story about the mafia squeezing money out of Steven Seagal and threatening to kill him. However, this was poorly written. It was confusing. It was overly detailed. Well, there was no way I could read and digest this entire thing in the time that I had there without them catching me. I mean, they hadn't caught me yet, but it would take me a long time to read and understand this eight-page rambling document. So I decided at this point to come up with a plan to be able to keep this document. So I walked it over to the host. And I said, hey, I was just kind of uh, looking around here. I was just always curious about what the station looked like. And I heard a fax coming in. So I thought this might be important. So I grabbed it and I brought it to you here just so you can uh, see it here, just in case you don't want this to wait till morning, whatever this is. And he reads it for like five seconds. He goes, ah, crap. And he picks it up and tosses it in the trash. 
And I said, oh, I guess it wasn't important. He goes, nah, it's just bullshit. We get this type of crap sometimes. And I go, oh, well, do you mind if I take it? He says, good, whatever. You know, you want it, you can have it. So I go, ah, sweet. That's exactly what I hoped would happen, that he'd have no interest in this and throw it away, and then I'd ask him if I could have it. So now I could read it as my, at my leisure. In fact, I could take it home. So I did. I took it home. And basically, the story was that Seagal was somehow involved with the New York Mafia and that he was being threatened and intimidated by them. I wasn't sure what to think. On one hand, the person who wrote it seemed like a complete crackpot. On the other hand, it was very, very detailed. And it would have been kind of strange for someone to make up so many details and have none of it be true. Something about it just struck me as like, maybe it's true, but this person just isn't good at communicating it. But at the same time, it could just be a complete nut job. So I put the facts aside for some time. I figured if it ended up being true that I'd probably hear about it in the news eventually, but I didn't hear anything. And uh, besides, I didn't exactly want to be the one to take on the New York Mafia. So either it was complete bullshit or I would be attempting to bring heat upon the New York Mafia for something they're doing to Steven Seagal. I didn't want to make enemies with the New York Mafia. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, if this was serious and I was the one to break it and finally get attention to it, I I would not want the Mafia to blame me for this. So, I decided that either way, it's probably a good idea I don't do anything further with this. So, I heard nothing about it anyway. Eventually, I threw it away. Six years later, in 2002, I'm looking at the internet probably while playing on Planet Poker, or maybe True Poker or Paradise Poker, one of those poker sites. And there was an article in the New York Times entitled, A Mafia Case and a Scene Straight Out of Hollywood. What was it about? It was about how the mafia, based in New York, had been threatening Steven Stegall and squeezing money out of him for years. Hmm. So it was right. It was right! Can you believe it? At the time, nobody knew, except whoever that was. I don't think it was Steven Seagal sending it, but whoever that was knew that the mafia was squeezing Steven Seagal and threatening him. In fact, at one point, they actually grabbed him and forced him into a car. And he thought he was going to be hit. And he gave $700,000 to them after that car ride. They basically falsely took credit for getting him in various films and said he owed them pieces of what he was being paid. And then they said he continued to owe them money just because they said he had a career thanks to them. And eventually, uh, he was brought to testify against the New York Mafia. And that's what was being reported on in the New York Times in 2002. So I knew about this six years earlier. I knew six years earlier that the Gambino family 
was uh, shaking down Steven Seagal. And had I told anybody at the time, they would have thought I was crazy. All thanks to that fax. Okay, next story. We have more. In uh, 2005, I was invited down to one of these shows. Uh, It wasn't a dating show like I just talked about. It was like a dating advice show. It was in the L.A. area. It was on a small station. Not a tiny station, but a small station with kind of uh, low but not super low ratings. So it wasn't like the student station I was describing to you. But it wasn't like a major station like the one that I just talked about with Steven Seagal. But I was invited to be like a guest co-host. I wasn't the main host, but I was the kind of third wheel co-host. There was the main host. There was a psychologist who was the permanent co-host. And then there was me for that show only. So basically, people would call up for uh, dating and love advice, and the various hosts would uh, give advice and kind of joke about everything at the same time. It was kind of like a comedy show slash uh, serious dating advice show. So I was on for the whole two hours of the program. What I didn't realize when I came down there was that something else was going on that night, and they were actually auditioning for a permanent third host. But it was not me. It was not going to be me. There was no way it could be me. And the reason I had no way to qualify to be that third host was because they were looking for a young, pretty female. They wanted a female presence on that show. And obviously I could not be bringing that. So that was also going on that same night. It was a pretty crowded studio. It was the three of us And then like four different girls came down there and they were the fourth person on the air and it was kind of rotating among the four girls and they were going to say which one they liked best of the four and that was probably going to be the permanent third host. I say probably because it's possible they were going to take none of them. Why that was going on the same night I was invited there, I don't know. I think it was a mistake. I think it created too many people. I think they invited me and then realized too late that they also had this going on. Whatever. It's not really important to the story. But two things of interest happened that night. Uh, the first thing was that the psychologist there was getting very jealous of me because I was coming up with better lines than him. I was coming up with funnier quips. I was coming up with better advice. I was coming up with little uh, one-liners about people's situations that he wished he had thought of. I actually found it was a lot easier to do things like that when I wasn't the main host. See, right here, I've got to constantly think what I'm going to say next. I don't have time to think of clever one-liners and things like that because I'm constantly just talking here. I have to steer the ship. But on a show where I'm not steering the ship and I can wait before I say something, then I can think of good things to say. I can think of funny things to say. I can think of clever things to say. Now, so could that guy. He just wasn't as good at it. So he was getting uh, increasingly jealous, and I could tell that this was kind of bugging him, that I was coming up with things that uh, he wished he had thought to say. Remember, this is just a one-time appearance for me, so I wasn't auditioning. 
I wasn't expecting to come back anytime soon. So it was interesting because I listened to subsequent shows and this jerk stole a lot of my lines. A lot of the things I said, he would then say to other callers on future shows. And he'd say, yeah, like I've always said, I think he stole a lot of crap from me that I said that night that he could apply to other people. <laughs> so he seemed to resent that I was upstaging him, but but not enough to, to stop himself from stealing the stuff I was saying. This guy later got into some hot water, of all things, for a sex scandal. I guess he was uh, having sexual relations with patients, because as I said, this guy was like a psychologist. So he got in some kind of scandal involving that, and he went to go get uh, treatment for sex addiction. And I read about this much later. Not that much later, like maybe a year or two later. This show didn't last, so it didn't really matter. I think the show was canceled within like a month or two of when I was on it. The second thing that happened, and this really kind of opened my eyes to the life of the radio guy and a fringe benefit that dudes on the radio got and maybe even still get. So I was uh, just doing my thing there and I had a girlfriend already. I was with my previous girlfriend, Miri, at that time in 05. So I wasn't looking to meet anybody and the four girls they brought down there were pretty. They were younger than me, but I wasn't anywhere near the age I am now. I was 33 at the time. So I wasn't old and I wasn't young. These girls were probably around like early to mid-twenties. Well, one of the four really took a liking to me. And she was very pretty. And she really liked me. And it was very clear. Like, I wasn't imagining this. I wasn't just uh, delusional that I was picturing that a friendly girl actually had an attraction to me. Oh, she definitely did. And she just constantly kept complimenting me and everything I said there. And we'd go to a commercial break, and she'd, she'd go on and on. Oh, I wish I could be comfortable like you. Oh, you're such a natural. Oh, you, you sound so good. I'm just so impressed watching you. And this, I think this is also pissing off the psychologist guy, because he was single. I think he liked these girls, and uh, you know, none were really paying attention to him. And he was actually a good-looking guy. It wasn't like he was ugly or anything, but uh, um, he, he didn't like seeing that one gushing over me. And I wasn't like returning it much because I didn't want to lead her on and make her believe that uh, I had an interest in her because I already had a girlfriend. Now, if I didn't have a girlfriend there, I 100% would have been interested in her. She was like, I guess around like 24 years old or something. So like a, somewhat younger than me, but not way, way younger. So boy, was she coming on like fairly strong. She didn't do anything inappropriate, but she was definitely making it clear to me that she liked me because of my radio presence there. And I have heard stories about guys on terrestrial radio in those days. And basically, if you had a show, then you'd always have just groupies who would just have sex with you because you were on the radio. Didn't matter if you were old. Didn't matter if you were ugly. Like, I guess maybe if you were like 75, then maybe no. But anything like within a semi-reasonable range of their age, and when I say semi, I mean you'd probably be in your 50s and it would be cool. And 
it really didn't matter what you looked like, and they'd be into you just because you were on the radio. And I'd heard about that before. I've been told this by guys who were on the radio that this was the case. And so I didn't experience that fully, but (laughs) I got to see an example of it. Just my guest position there. And she knew I was just a guest there. She knew I just came down for the night like she did. So it wasn't even like she thought she was getting with the, the host there. But she was just impressed with my talking on the show and my personality on the show. And that really made an impact. So I said, shit, maybe I should have gotten into this career. <laughs> Obviously, I never saw her again. But that was kind of eye-opening. And this was a very pretty girl. This is someone who had no issue getting guys normally. I'll finish off with something after 05. Weird story. Really the closest I ever had to having a regular terrestrial show. And this was 10 years ago. This was in uh, 2012. So in 2012, it was proposed to me by somebody else that I co-host a show with him about pop culture. And yeah, that's not my favorite topic, but he was really into that topic, and I can hold my own in it, and I would make sure if I were to do it to keep up on everything that's happening in pop culture so I wouldn't sound like a clueless idiot. So I said, sure. So this guy had everything arranged. He was going to get us on a station that was in Southern California, but not in Los Angeles, and was basically something you would hear in the uh, area between L.A. and Vegas on the drive there. And uh, as a result, since a lot of people listening would be ones driving to Vegas... He actually got a permanent sponsor for the show. And that permanent sponsor was Kiss Monster Mini Golf, which if you have been to the World Series of Poker, I'm sure you've seen the ads for it. And you may have even seen it there all the way at the edge of the Masquerade Tower on the first floor. Now, when I say Kiss, I mean like the band Kiss. That's what it is. It's a indoor mini golf course that is based on the band KISS. And it's not owned by the band KISS, it's a licensing deal. And it's been there for many years, I I think it's still open. But the guy who was proposing this to me had some kind of relationship, I don't mean a romantic relationship, but some kind of either business relationship or friendship with the manager uh, or, or owner of KISS Monster Mini Golf and convinced the guy to be the sole sponsor of the show. Now, the station we were going to be on was actually a station that sold airtime. So what was going to happen was that uh, our slot was going to be paid for by Kiss Monster Mini Golf. They were going to be the only sponsor. And then we would also get paid by Kiss Monster Mini Golf. And then we would also be giving away this rock and roll camp that Gene Simmons was doing with a few other uh, rock stars that I think it was going to take place in October 2012. 
You can Google it and even see that camp that took place that year. But it was something pretty expensive. I think it was something worth like $5,000. But that was the grand prize to be given away eventually to a listener. Was uh, like two tickets to the Gene Simmons Rock and Roll Camp in October of 2012. And this show was going to start in the summer of 2012. I was able to do the show from wherever I wanted. I was able to Skype in. I could go into the studio, but the studio wasn't close to where I lived, and it also wasn't in Vegas, so it wasn't convenient. I probably was going to Skype in. But we had this all arranged, and Kiss Monster Mini Golf was very happy to do it. Again, this wasn't something I arranged. In fact, I didn't even talk to Kiss Monster Mini Golf. But it seemed like almost a done deal. Then I got a call from the other guy. And the guy told me this is going to have to wait about a week because his dad just died. And he had to fly back to Michigan for the funeral. Well, of course, you know, what am I going to say? No, don't go back and bury your dad. Of course, I told him, sorry to hear that. Gave him my condolences. Told him no problem. You know, take the time he needs. And uh, I'm sure the station and Kiss Monster Mini Golf will be understanding. And we'll just start the show a bit later than we had intended. Not very much later, but then probably push the thing back a week. You know, the guy's dad died. So he called the Kiss Monster Mini Golf guy, and yeah, they were very understanding. Then he called the station manager, who was actually the owner of the station as well, and he was a dick. And he said that he never believed that this was a serious deal in the first place. That he was very skeptical that we were screwing with him. That the whole thing never seemed right to him. And that he was waiting for something to happen that would prevent this show from coming on. That he thought we were purposely wasting his time to screw with him. I have no idea why he thought this. But he was like suspicious the entire time of us, which we only learned right then. So he said, no, we're not waiting. We need the money now. And we need to start now. And the other guy said, no, can't do it. I'm going back to Michigan to bury my dad. Got to give me a week. And he said, nope. Unless you sign and send back the contract and pay immediately, this whole deal is off. Which is crazy. Because we were buying time on the station. We weren't directly paying for it, but we were buying time and the sponsor had agreed to pay for it. So this guy went to me and said, look, I, I can't deal with this right now. I have no idea why this guy is doubting me and why he doesn't even believe my dad died. But I can't fight this whole thing out right now. I'm, I'm grieving over my dad and I'm about to go back to Michigan. I, this is the last thing I want to deal with right now. So I said, okay, give it to me. I'll take it from you. you know, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll talk to the guy. So I called the station manager. He was a complete dick to me too. And he said he's not going to deal with me. That he had a feeling that once caught lying, the other guy's going to hand it to me to try to smooth it over. That he's not going to fall for this trick. And that the deal was with that first guy. That he's not going to talk to me. That the first guy needs to keep to his commitment to send the signed contract in by such, and the money by such and such a date. 
So I said, okay, but before we get off the phone, you know, what can he do to prove to you that his dad really died? Do you need to see the obituary in the newspaper? Like, what do you need to see? And he said, I don't need to see anything. I know when I'm being lied to. So I went back to the first guy and I said, look, you know, uh, I don't think this is going to happen. I'm, he's being a complete dick here. I mean, I, I don't know if he thinks that we're just stalling to maybe get on a different station or, uh, or we were just screwing with him the whole time, but he just will not believe that your dad died, and he says he doesn't even want to see proof. It's not like he's challenging you to give proof. He, he just has convinced himself it's not happening, and if we don't keep to everything as, as uh, originally planned, that the whole thing's off. So he, the guy says, well, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I say just F him. I don't like the way he's treating you here. This is very disrespectful. Your dad just died, and he has the nerve to tell you you're lying about it. I mean, who would lie about this sort of thing? It's not like you're saying your dad's sick. You're saying your dad died. Something you can prove. And I just offered to prove it, and he didn't want it. So let's just tell him to fuck off. And he said, yeah, I agree. So we told him to fuck off, and that was the end of it. So no pop culture show. No Kiss Monster Mini Golf show. Nobody won the... Gene Simmons rock and roll camp would have been interesting to do this whole thing, and I definitely would have promoted it on Poker Fraud Alert had I done it. In fact, I posted back in 2012 that this was coming. I didn't give details, but I said that this was coming, and I'll give more information soon. And then had to show up with egg on my face and say, "Actually, it's not happening." So very weird. If this guy's dad hadn't died, I would have been given away over the summer of 2012. A Gene Simmons rock and roll camp package while consistently promoting Kiss Monster Mini Golf. And I never ended up speaking to anyone at Kiss Monster Mini Golf. So I bet if you were to speak to the owner, yeah, it's still there. I just looked it up. It's still there. I bet if you were to speak to the owner and ask if he remembers me, he would say no because I never spoke to him. It was the, all the other guy. But there's a good chance they would remember what happened 10 years ago. It wasn't their fault. I mean, I thought that was very generous of them to agree to all of this. But thanks to that station manager, it didn't happen. I hope you have enjoyed this edition of Druffy Time Theater. And I'm sure we will have another edition soon enough. 775-FRAUD-55-775-372... 8355 is the number. From the 602, yeah, someone's referring to the touch tones as uh, DTMF and referring to uh, the 2600 uh, hertz frequency. Now, those are two different things. The uh, 2600 hertz was actually a frequency that could be used a long time ago. I think right around the time I was born to place free long-distance calls. That was before my time. DTMF is the type of tones that make the touch tones. I didn't realize that person knew about all this stuff. I'm going to have to talk about this after the show to this guy. Hmm. I'm going to move on, and we are going to talk about the Top Shelf Poker Room. Have you heard of the Top Shelf Poker Room? Have you? Well, you may have in the past week or so, because it was in the news. I will admit that prior to it being in the news, I had not heard of the 
top-shelf poker room and was unlikely to ever go to the top-shelf poker room. The top-shelf poker room was in the small town of Flint, Texas, which is about 100 miles southeast of Dallas. The reason it's in the news is the top-shelf poker room, which again is one of those Texas poker rooms, which isn't supposed to be a poker room. It's supposed to be a private club where poker just happens to occur. It's a loophole in the law. Anyway, it's not a loophole anymore because they got shut down. And this isn't like the other poker rooms under threat of shutdown in Dallas that are still operating, but are battling a shutdown order. The top shelf poker room has actually been shut down. It was raided last week, and it was forced shut down. Nobody was arrested, but the card room is no longer permitted to operate. The police just appeared there late at night and uh, forced it to close down. The assets of the business were frozen, including some charitable funds, according to Jesse Van who is one of the three owners. He said, we're doing a fundraiser for International Women's Day, and they even took that money. It is not clear why Top Shelf Poker Room was shut down. Jesse Van, the owner, said that he has a business license and a permit to operate, and that even the county, which is Smith County, was aware that they were operating and were okay with it. They just shut up, showed up at night and closed it down. So this is yet another Texas poker room, which is now facing legal troubles. Remember, Texas Card House in Dallas is under the uh, order to shut down, but it's something they're challenging. So they are currently operating, but they may not be after this whole thing gets adjudicated. Now, this isn't related to the Texas Cardhouse situation because that was an action by the city of Dallas. And the one we're talking about now, Top Shelf, is in Flint, which is about 100 miles away. Top Shelf charges a $25 monthly membership fee. And it also charges an hourly seat fee, which I guess you can play a lot of hours and get a cheaper rate per hour or pay more and play uh, fewer hours. But it's, it's an hourly seat fee. So you pay for both of those. It's very common in these Texas rooms. They are not allowed by law to take a rake. The entire pot does have to get pushed to the player. That's because these are supposed to be private clubs. They are not supposed to be casinos or card rooms. Now, supposedly that... Uh, Investigators were working undercover for months and had built up, quote, probable cause to determine illegal gambling. Now, that sounds to me like there might have been rake taken out in some way if they're doing an undercover investigation. Because otherwise, why are they investigating? They admit straight out, and always have, as all the other rooms in Texas do, that they charge a membership fee, that they charge an hourly seat fee, and that people play poker there. 
everyone's very aware of what these things are. They're not pretending to be uh, just a place where dudes are hanging out, and then in reality they're playing poker. The county, the city, the state, like everyone's aware it's a poker room. It's just not operating like poker rooms do outside of Texas because of the way they have to charge players. They can't do it through a rake. They have to do it through the membership and seat fees. So if they had an undercover investigation, they must have believed that something was going on in addition to that that was in violation of the law, and that's why they shut it down. Now, this owner, Jesse Van, he said that there was no rake being taken. He said, even though you donate to charity from the very beginning in the setup of poker, how you pay for it and how you operate it makes it legal or illegal. Hmm. Uh, That makes me think that this whole charity element to it might be the key here. That's a weird thing for him to say. Even though you donate to charity from the very beginning in the setup of poker, how you pay for it and how you operate it makes it legal or illegal. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem with the way that they're taking out the money for charity. Sheriff Larry Smith of Smith County I wonder if there's any relations there. (laughs) Probably not, but who knows. He said, This is an outstanding criminal investigation. Arrests are expected in this case in the near future. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And then uh, Jesse Van told Poker News, I met with my attorney today, and he plans to meet with a DA to hopefully settle this. Now, Jesse Van is claiming that the county is changing their mind about the whole membership-based poker room, and they don't like it, and they're just doing away with it. I don't know if I believe that. The reason I don't really believe that is that if this were a case of the county just going, nah, we don't really want this anymore, they would just go to them and say, okay, you're done. Pay out the players, you're done. They wouldn't be putting undercover investigators and they wouldn't be looking to make arrests. I mean, here you have the sheriff actually telling uh, Poker News that arrests are expected in the near future. Wow. That's a pretty big thing to say. It's one thing to say we're still looking into it. There may or may not be further action or possible criminal charges. He said, arrests are expected in this case in the near future. Wow. So that wouldn't be the county changing its mind. That would be a determination that something was going on that everyone should have known shouldn't be happening. A GoFundMe has been set up to raise money for the legal expenses. And this is set up by Jesse Van. Says, hello. We are Top Shelf Poker Room LLC, a social club in Smith County, Texas. We have recently been raided and have had most of our assets seized. We operate within the law of the state of Texas. Our business model is set up the same as hundreds of other legal social clubs across the great state of Texas. We pay our county and state sales taxes and bought this LLC last year as a legal business registered with the state. The room has been in operation in this county for over five years. We are now looking at possible felony charges based upon 
what we have been watching in the news and need help with legal fees to help pay any new any bills or fees that come up while we go through this ordeal. We are trying to work with our local DA and sheriff to resolve any f- issues seen in our business model. We strive to work with our community and to do benefits for our community on a weekly and monthly basis. We love poker, helping our community and the great state of Texas. Thank you for all your love and support. Hopefully we can get any issues resolved. They're looking for $100,000. This was set up on uh, March 14th. So far, they have received $1,185. Hmm. Don't think it's going to cut it. But half of that came from a guy named Anthony Minitti. $500. Don't think they're going to get their $100K. Felony charges, like, that's not going to come down because they've been operating this way for five years with everyone's permission. I think this whole charity thing could be the center of this whole matter. I mean, who knows? This could even be an allegation that something with that charity money happened that uh, the county didn't like. And where's it coming from? Like, what way are they taking money out for charity? There's got to be more to this story. In fact, I think that people should understand what they're being accused of before donating any money to their legal defense. That's very possible they're just being screwed by the county. I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm not saying that I'm on the county side here. I'm saying something's weird about this whole story. Something's really odd that the county would be coming at them that hard with undercover investigators and with just outright saying we're going to be arresting people soon and charging with felonies. So the county must really think that something is happening that is clearly illegal and worthy of felony charges. Otherwise, it would never stick. This would never stick in court if the county was aware it was operating this way and and gave them permission to operate this way. And then just one day decides, eh, we don't like this anymore. There, there's no way. What do you think, Brandon? You think it's? Uh, you think there's something else going on there? Is this a hospital administrative emergency room? Get your bill for free show? No, we haven't even discussed that. Oh Jesus! Well, now what was the question? What do I think about what? I wasn't listening to the. What the, the Texas card room that got shut down? They're claiming that they were just operating like all the rest of them do. And now suddenly they're facing felony charges. And then, I, don't like, know, I don't even know the story. Is this something new? Or yes, yeah, like, like about last week, this small poker room in a small town in Texas called Top Shelf Poker Room, they got abruptly shut down completely. And then the owners were told that they're going to be facing felony charges. They weren't arrested, but they're told it's going to be coming very soon. And the owners are saying, oh, no, all we've been doing is operating the exact way that all these other rooms have been operating in Texas, and nothing else what is different. What city is this? Flint, which is like 100 miles east of Dallas. Is that the only one in the county, in, the, in that area? I, I think so, but they've been around for five years, and they've been operating the same way all the other ones have, and they've been insisting that... So the- that's my point. It's just some county it, that doesn't have other card rooms that are making an example out of them, meaning it's not... In an area where there are tons of card rooms. No, yeah, but, but right. But the only thing that's weird to me is like, why not just shut it down and say, you're done, we don't want this anymore? Why would they, 
after allowing this all this time and knowing what they were? Why would they put undercover investigators in there for months and, and then say felony charges are coming? That's pretty harsh if all they want to do is get rid of it. I mean, why did they allow poker stars to operate, you know, amongst others for a decade plus and then one day just do what you just described? I mean, or, you know, it could be, you know, I don't know the politics there. It could be that there's a new uh, district attorney in that county. They're trying to make a name for themselves. It, you know, it could be a political play. It could be. It just seems weird to me. It yeah. just seems like if they're going to shut it down, they'll just shut it down. Uh, th- this case would never stick otherwise, because if yeah. if they uh, there's so many. This is not like the only one in Texas. Maybe the only one in that county, but it's, it's yeah. Like if if they want to make an example out of them, there there could be a number. There of, could be. I, yeah. I still think there's something they're not saying huh. that we're not understanding here. But that that was the topic. That all that's all I've really got to say about it. I I've already told the whole story on here. So so listen. Let me just say. Uh, good to be here uh you know i this is the first show since the the anniversary edition is that correct yes it is the first show since then uh i told doom that four years <laughs> and 354 days from now the get ready with his, remember he wanted to do a little remember what he wanted to do his idea for a segment he wanted to do a little uh, podcast little magic show we had for the audience um, and we both felt that probably wouldn't come across well, you know, on, on radio. Um, but anyhow, I just want to say uh, I'm going to be with you not too long. I just kind of woke up. My favorite time of year is going on now. Uh, it's March Madness. I know you're not a big college basketball person, but, uh, you know, it's four days of, geez, I don't know, uh, 1632, about 70, 80 different games. And uh, definitely the biggest terms of volume and and just quantity uh the big the busiest time of the year for sports betting in vegas i mean every single sports book is packed and the city is completely sold out so you're not into any of that are you march madness you don't follow it at all you never no, very very lightly no i'm not really into it mm. okay uh so yeah so and then you know i gotta be honest I, i'm very excited uh i met a girl recently mm. on on one of those dating apps and I'm going to meet her tomorrow night at a local's casino. But I was a little, little concerned because she said she had something to talk to me about in regards to, uh, Iranian politics. Uh Oh, so yeah. So I, I, you know, just don't get a room with her. If you do, just don't let her blindfold you. Did, did you mention that story? Yet? Yeah. Yeah. We, that was the top story. People, yeah. Then people will get, but anyhow, I'll stick with you for a little bit. And I mean, I can't stay long. Cause I got to be up at, uh, eight o'clock or so in the morning for uh, for for March Madness. So, well, why don't you tell me uh, before we get on to the next topic? Topic, how are you? Anything new? What's going on in your world? I did see on on the the fraud site that you were taking a little uh, a little leisurely trip with the family up north. Is that I did? Idea? Yes. In fact, I haven't talked about that yet. But yes, I did get out of the house and I went up the coast, which. I went up a coast that most people don't go up very often. I'm not saying nobody does, but it's something that's not that well-traveled in California, and that is the actual coastline on Route 1 between Santa Barbara and Monterey. And the reason most people don't do that is because usually if you're traveling between L.A. and the Bay Area, you take either the 5 or the 101, which are not very scenic at all, especially the 5. But even the 101, most of it's not very scenic. You're inland, you're just... uh, getting there as quickly as possible. And the one 
is not a good route to take if you just want to get from point A to point B because it's very slow and there's uh, slow cars on it that are tough to pass sometimes and it's just uh, sometimes the speed limits are low because you're winding through the hills. So it's, it's not the type of route you would take if you're just looking to get between L.A. and San Jose, for example. So for that reason, even people who visit something like Monterey, they still don't tend to go up Route 1. But we went up Route 1 and down Route We went both ways on Route 1. And it's uh, a surprisingly scenic area. And in fact, the beach scenes that you see are not ones that you typically see in California. It looks a lot of times more like ones you would see in the Caribbean or uh, in, in some other parts of the country. It, it doesn't look like L.A. or San Francisco uh, coastal views where you're basically looking at dark-looking water. Yeah, just kind of very unexciting uh, coastal landscape. This is the opposite. It's uh, it, it's very, very scenic, and you have light blue and turquoise water, and you have a lot of kind of interesting sights along the way. Like, for example, in a place called San Simeon, which I'm sure you haven't heard of, San Simeon, you can actually stop and there is a natural habitat of elephant seals. Like tons of them, like hundreds of them, you see right there on the beach. Like you're right next to them, separated by like a wall. And you look right down and you see all of the elephant seals. They're they're, they're all year. That's where they live. And you wow. watch them interact with each other. And it's totally free. You just you stop there and you see the seals. So there's, there's like little stops like that along the way that are interesting. So we did all these things. I'm going to post more about this stuff on the forum so people can learn about it. I saw Hutmaster's like, oh, why did you stop and see me in my pizza place? <laughs> his is actually along the, the, the boring route, though. That's why I, I, I didn't go through his city. Otherwise, I, I would have stopped at his pizza place. Wow. I haven't met Hutmaster yet, but I, I'd stop by. How, just... Wait, is, is that... No, is his... You know, I think he's posted it, or I know he has online, so it's not a big secret, but is that north of of L.A.? Is it yes, it's it's a good deal north of L.A. It's it's uh, it's Lancaster, not, was it? No, it's it's far north of Lancaster, too. It's, it's in the direction of going to somewhere like Monterey or the Bay Area, but it's not quite there. It's kind of in the middle. Huh. But it's not along the coast, either. So it's it's just something I... Uh, didn't pass this time. But I, I do sometimes go that route. Like, for example, if I were to uh, go visit my brother, I would pass through where Hutmaster lives. So that would be the type of time when I would stop to go say hello at his pizza place. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, the, how, how long were you there for? I was there for uh, about three days. You know what's funny? I almost messaged you. Uh, you know, so people that are listening know that, you know, Truff and I are, you know, I don't just call in here randomly. Like, you know, we're obviously friends off the air. We talk, we text. So I, I noticed on PFA for a number of days, I'm like, huh, the site's kind of slow. And I'm like, huh, I haven't really seen Druff post anything. And then I remember, I literally think, thought in my head, I'm like, I bet you he's out of town. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, I didn't know this, spring break time, right? It's March, maybe the kid's out of school. I bet you he traveled somewhere, and that's why he hasn't been active. Right? Unless it was going to text you and say, you feeling all right? Are you okay? 
and then I just realized you're probably traveling. Yeah, I noticed the site was dead, and I was like, I was seeing it because I, I would uh, look at the site. I didn't have time on the trip to go like just sit there and make posts and or like I do, normally do at home. But I had enough time to look at them and go, ah, it's so dead. <laughs> it, no. it's, it's sometimes when I'm gone, people carry the load without me. But uh, I, I really have been trying for the entire existence of the forum. To, to keep the conversation going. I, I That's why I, I start a lot of threads. That's why I try to bring things that people want to talk about and read about. And uh, when I'm not there, you see what happens. Now, let's ask the most important question here that normally needs to be addressed when you come back from a, a spe- specifically a road trip. Did you get a speeding ticket? No. Were you, uh, you know, because a lot of people don't know, but when Druff's out in the highways and motorways there, he's kind of a kind of a modern day speed racer with the lead foot there uh were you <laughs> were you proactive in making sure you weren't speeding i know you use the radar detector i mean have you kind of toned down that or you just were lucky and nothing no no bad beats um i had the radar detector there wasn't a ton of enforcement but again because i was driving a scenic route mm. uh there was less of an opportunity or need to speed there mm. and uh Really, the only speeding I, I would do would be when I was trying to get past some very slow vehicle, and there's not much time to do it because. Mm. But I mean, you weren't going ninety, ninety-five up and down the motorway. I mean, you're you're you know relatively staying within the speed limit. Yes. Okay. Well, I saw some of the pictures that, that you posted. Uh, I don't know when the thread started, but I saw it uh, this afternoon, and I'll tell you that ocean, that picture of the ocean with the cliff, where. Uh, Kind of, I don't know, it's not the bay, but whatever you would call it, that little inlet where the water literally looks like it's just like a beautiful greenish color. Uh, I mean, I would not I would have thought you were somewhere in the Caribbean. It does, right. That does not look like California water. That was what I, I thought the first, yeah. right, the first time I ever saw that. Th- th- this time I wasn't surprised because I've been there before. But the first time I ever saw that, I'm like, wow, this does not look like it. Because the reason it's so surprising is L.A. doesn't look like that. And San Francisco doesn't look like that. So who would expect the area in between the two to look like that? And not the entire area does either. Like, like Santa Barbara doesn't look like that either. So, but you get north of like San Luis Obispo, and it starts to change. I'm not exactly sure why, but it's it's. Now, there's, did did you stop by and have a coffee or maybe a nice uh, a nice tea with uh, Trader Ruski? Because that's up in his neck of the woods where you were. I know he lives by that uh, Pisco. So what is it, Santa Pis? Pis what what's the word? Yeah, San Luis Obispo. You know what? He I did not there. only because we we didn't have time on uh, on the day we went there. We we were uh, trying to make dinner, so we actually didn't stop anywhere. And then on the way back, we had like a bunch of things packed in to stop at, so uh, no, we had no time. Sleeping anyways, he probably was. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So listen, let me ask you. Don't want to, of course, hijack the show. Uh, I did real fast before I uh, called and looked at the topics for today. What is left that you haven't covered? Because again, I, I really don't want to be. We, on we have two things. Only two, two things late. left. Okay. The okay, last two. Left. We we will talk about the WSOP bracelet winner right after me, who got arrested, and then we'll talk about Caesar's closing the status match loophole. That's all I got. Oh, okay. Um, trying to. Th- Did you talk about Caesar's now uh, with the new opening or their new? Uh, renovation being complete and the way it looks. No, but you you, you can throw that in if you'd like to talk about that. Well, okay, so listen. Uh, 
I have a couple things that we could talk about Vegas wise. I got some news and whatnot, but I did mention to you when we spoke on the phone off air, uh, one topic which I, and you put a couple of them on there that we had talked about. So, uh, but the one I didn't was the Vital Vegas rumor about a new high end Cosmo esque boutique hotel that is rumored to be in the works. Right now, obviously, only in the pre-planning discussion phases, uh, but it looks like that's going to happen. A couple other sources have said that uh, it's likely a done deal or at least, you know, picking up momentum. Do you know? Do you remember we talked about this? In the yeah, point? yeah, I forgot to include that in there, but yeah, we can talk about that. Okay, just because people like to hear. So, uh, do you remember the person who is behind this project? Or I should say this alleged project. And again, this started three or four days ago with a tweet um, from Vital Vegas. And it, that's Scott, how do you, is it Robin, Ruben? How do it's Scott Robin. Okay. And again, you know, he, he for those of them who know, it, it's a great site. I, I, you know, it's one of the, probably the only Vegas related Twitter feed. I think like I might have like the, a police department or, you know, something like that. But I don't really, you know, go through the Vegas you know, gossip sites or whatever, but he's the, the one that I look at, try to look at it once a day. Uh, he's not always right, which is going to happen with anything, but he's definitely more right than he is wrong. And he does know a lot of insiders and he's built up quite the following, quite the site there. So when he writes something, you know, for the most part, you could kind of think it's likely going to happen. He, as you talked about famously won a lawsuit uh, against him from the Sahara where he claimed, or I guess it was the SLS at the time where uh, he claimed that they were close to bankruptcy and they denied it, but it was later proved that there was discussions. Was is that correct? Am I kind of saying? Yeah, right? pretty close. Yeah, it was the Sahara, and it was that they were going to it close. SLS? No, it wasn't it was SLS anymore. It was Sahara, and he said they were going to be closing in uh, September of uh, 2021, I think it was. Or is it right. 20? No, I think it was September of 2020. Yeah, September 2020 that uh, they were going to be closing, he said. And they said, no, we're not. And he just kept coming with it. Yeah. And they got really mad at him and then uh, sued him. And the reason he won through the anti-slap motion was that it turned out that uh, they were exploring liquidating everything there. They just ended up not doing it. So he was reporting correct rumors. They just never went through with it. And that was good enough. So that was the end of it. So... He won. So anyhow, he tweets this. Uh, and then again, a couple other anonymous, you know, well, anonymous sources tell this, you know, other Twitter outlets and media outlets. So do you remember who the person was again that was behind the project, the alleged project? Yeah, it was the Fertitas. No, it's Tillman Fertitta, the owner of, uh, yeah, Tillman Fertitta, the owner of Landry's, um, also the owner of the Golden Nugget in Vegas, and what sports team? Is it the... Uh, no, what oh, come it? on. How don't you know this? Especially it's a sport you follow. I forget which one it is. He owns the Houston Rockets. Yeah, that's right. He, he paid a record price for them, uh, even more than uh, the record price before that was what Balmer had paid for the Clippers, and everyone's like, oh my God, he's out of his mind. He paid... Yeah, I thought that. I, I thought I thought that too. I thought he paid and too then, much. Now everything is just you know, like the Denver Broncos are about to get sold in football, and they're going to shatter every sport. You know, it's just it's just the way of the world now with these sports. So anyhow, he uh, has 
a small footprint in Vegas with with the Golden Nugget. Uh, I know he doesn't own the Golden Nugget. In fact, I already know he doesn't own the Golden Nugget in uh, Laughlin. And I, now that I'm re- remembering it, he doesn't own certainly doesn't own the one in AC either. So just the Vegas one, and that switched hands that Golden Nugget a ton over the years. Um, but he's owned it now for a while, and it was announced that he is going to be allegedly building a high-end boutique-type hotel that models the Cosmo uh, on the south part of the Strip, right where uh, the Har- there used to be a Harley, for those that are real familiar with Vegas, there used to be a Harley Davidson store, shop, experience-type thing on the Strip, right where, like, near the M&M factory. Uh, if, you know, if you're on that side of the Strip heading south, right before the mgm grant so where it stands now would actually replace that harley davidson uh building is a mexican restaurant i don't remember the name of it but it has massive signage and it's like two stories so the first thought people said is that's kind of a small kind of a small space um but anyhow so then it was reported that the actual space totals seven i'm sorry six and a half acres and then they actually wrote for the for some perspective, the Cosmos plot of land sits on only seven acres. So, you know, it, 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 there's plenty of room. So anyhow, this is going to be uh, another multi-billion dollar type hotel. And some people are even thinking along the lines that and this was just speculated that with MGM set to take over the Cosmo. And what I mean by that is. Late last year, MGM Grand announced that they were buying uh, Cosmo from Blackstone Blackstone Group, which doesn't have any other, which is the only casino they own in Vegas, was the Cosmo. And they sold it to MGM for, geez, I think it was like a little over $2 million, uh, you know, assuming their debt. Uh, so MGM's whole mind frame was that they were literally going to own every part now of that part of the strip except for caesars and of course treasure island but they would have those three main casinos back to back to back they'd have the bellagio then they'd have the cosmo and then they'd have aria and city center of course so there'd you know, be a shuttle okay so anyhow a lot of people especially uh the ones that that go to the cosmo a lot that you know just are real loyal to it and even employees were really upset that that MGM was buying it. And this is like my opinion, like this was all over social media because, you know, of course I've never worked at the Cosmo, but by all accounts, the Cosmo uh, management administration, you know, the whole nine yards uh, is probably the best, maybe like a little better than the win or close. Cause the wind's another highly regarded company in the way they treat employees. So employees weren't happy. They didn't want to be a part of MGM. Because, you know, the Cosmo has just been known for just doing a lot of different things throughout their decade plus in Vegas to show employees their appreciation. And, you know, it's kind of run uniquely. It's it, it's kind of run if you stay there enough and you just kind of get to know how they do things there. Um, it's not run like a big corporation, like a big conglomerate. It's more just, you know, really focused on upfront, like personal service and the guest experience. And, you know, those are, those things are actually important to them. So, uh, you know, and a lot of people appreciate it and they built up loyalty. So anyhow, MGM uh, already came to terms with 
the Cosmo on the price in December. Um, the financing already came through. All they're waiting now, and this is very similar to, to just what happened with uh, the Venetian, is for, for gaming approval. And for the um, – I'm sorry, I just woke up. What's the, the regulatory board that makes sure that you're – that has to approve it? Because, you know, MGM owns all those other casinos to make sure it's not a monopoly. Well, the uh, the Trade Commission? The Federal Trade Commission, yeah. The FTC, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so they have to wait for approval from that. And then, obviously, the gaming part. And they've all said, you know, I've read this repeatedly, this will likely happen, that the changeover will take over or will take place in the third quarter of this year. So, like, you know, July, maybe August, something like that. And, again, a lot of people are just kind of, you know, a little worried. Uh, Cosmo has a really good rewards program that's not connected to anything else and is also similar to uh, or, di- or or dissimilar to any other you know casino, any other competitor. So, like for example, I think I'm pretty sure the Cosmo's the own the last property where by getting a certain tier status, you're guaranteed a certain number of free nights. Uh, a year for a room, almost kind of like what seven star. I mean, nowhere near as good as what seven star used to be with the guaranteed room, but, but meaning, you know, if you get a certain level, you get these certain privileges and you you're guaranteed to get them, whether you play a lot, whether you, you just get the status and never play again. Um, you know, you get these certain privileges and a lot of people like it. Another unique feature, which I, I don't think any, or in fact, I know no other Vegas casino has about the Cosmo is certain tier levels. That you that you earn uh, mainly it's it's platinum or uh, gold. You get a number of com- complimentary rooms a night. But besides those complimentary rooms a night that you're guaranteed, you also get companion nights for the same class of room. And what I what I mean by that is, so say I want to use my complimentary nights, I'll get two rooms, two of the exact same rooms, and then you know bring friends, bring family, whatever you know, want to be. Now, on you know, the flip side to something like that, that kind of a perk, you know, say you're just a loner and you only come to Vegas alone, you know, and you just want or can't find anyone to come and you want to use your room, you're going to get two rooms anyhow. But the point is, it's a very unique perk. And they have perks like that that are just, you know, not common in other rewards programs. And like I said, do you know of any other casino reward program now where you get guaranteed nights Regardless of if you even no. if you hit it like meaning the first month of the year you don't play for eleven more months you still get those rooms. No, I I don't know that that was uh, something that was yeah. unique to Caesars for a long time with seven stars, yeah. and then they did away with it. Yeah. Okay. So I know I'm going all a little bit, but those are the things people really like about Cosmo: the personal service, the you know the fact that the uh, the loyalty club is is you know just has good perks, and also almost it seems like every month they have some sort of. Uh, promotion through their loyalty club where you know you earn points you you know you get this or you know there's a contest for this and they're kind of like you know i mean we're not reinventing the wheel wheel here i know there's only certain um, there's only a certain amount of you know casino promotions you can run that haven't even already been done and but they just still have fun little things where you know whether you get like you know nhl like golden knights merchandise or you know spinning wheel you know just different things and they're not like really hard to get like everyone every level they make it attainable you know for the low roller the medium roller the high roller you know it's it's within everyone's reach to at least get something and they're just fun different things it's not like the same repetitive like every tuesday you know like caesars for example they've been doing this for years tuesday you earn 25 tier points and you get a 
free set of cutting knives and, you know, or the next week it's, you know, a windbreaker, you know, it, it's the same kind of recycled thing. Okay. So anyhow, uh, so some people are, are guessing with MGM taking it over. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me add one more thing. It hasn't been announced yet. Uh, Cause I know there'll be people that listen to this, that, that, you know, patronize a Cosmo or just a curious. It has not been announced yet. If, uh, the Cosmo, which their rewards program is called the Identity Club, um, is going to merge with MGM Rewards or MLife, or if they're going to be run separately. That hasn't been announced. A lot of people are concerned about that because they don't want the Cosmo reward program to just basically become MLife because MLife has massively deteriorated over the years, uh, especially this year where they've made it harder to earn uh resort comps or, or well, yeah, the, the express comps is what they call it. And it's also harder to advance in tiers. Um, it actually made news. And I think you even talked about this. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So anyhow, but it, none of that's been announced and, you know, it likely won't, but a lot of people's concerns are they're just going to merge into M life and, and those benefits are going to disappear. Okay. So again, some of the thinking was that this new boutique casino that's allegedly being built, uh, is going to, in essence, replace the Cosmo or compete with it in terms of just, you know, what they're going to offer. Um, you know, and when I say like a boutique hotel, I don't know, what would you, how would you describe the Cosmo? Like, because that's what it's always. No, I don't think it's a boutique like, hotel. I but, A boutique hotel is more like what the Cromwell is. Uh, it's, it's usually yeah. something small with some kind of uh, niche theme to it. Uh, I, the Cosmo is a large hotel, and it's, I wouldn't call it boutique, but it is something that's more of like a like a hip hotel aimed yeah. at the, uh, the the young, cool crowd. I see the word boutique referred to it constantly. So even if it's a little misleading, that's how I think the general consensus of the media and others refer to it as. Um, but anyhow, something along those lines where it's literally going to compete and be, you know, like the higher, end, the high end kind of hotel that's classy and um, just, you know, I don't know, you know, catering more to like the younger, prettier, you know, in crowd. Cause I guess that's what, right? Isn't that how you compare the Cosmo? Yes, that's how what the Cosmo is presently. The Cosmo there's like? because there's, yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, not a lot, but there's some other hotels in Vegas that are uh, upscale, but they're not aiming for the uh, the young, cool, uh, good-looking crowd. That's what the Cosmo is looking for. The Cosmo wants uh, the the crowd to go there that feels like it's not. They're not just around a bunch of old people and middle-aged I guess, people. I guess an easy way to to describe it would be if you ever patronized any of you, any of our listeners, ever patronized the Hard Rock in the mid '90s. Or if you ever patronized the Palms in the early 2000s, you know, that kind of element where it's just, you know. Yeah, it, it basically took the, the Palms uh, business from back yeah. then. Yeah. So apparently uh, his uh, tortillas or tortillas represent, oh, geez, I'm talking about talking. His representation is already spoken to the ownership of this Mexican restaurant and there's been progress in either buying out their lease or you know, telling them they're not going to be there. So, so this will be built there. Um, so, but anyhow, it's interesting because of the fact we've already had, you know, one massive hotel built on this trip, you know, albeit it was on the North part of the strip and that's resort worlds. We're going to have within two years, 2023 to be precise, another 
uh, high-end hotel on the north side of the Strip, and that's going to be, of course, the Fountain Blue. And then now we're talking possibly a third. Um, you know, and then that's not to mention, you know, the Circa that opened up, uh, you know, the first year of the pandemic. And, you know, so that's, that's a lot of new hotels after, so, you know, after a decade plus of just inactivity. So anyhow, that's been a lot of the talk of the town about, you know, just industry people and people in the know about if, you know, what he's going to do and when it's going to be announced and how much it's going to cost and what his plans are. And he's a very smart man. You know, he's a real busy man. By the way, he's also uh, on the board of regents for the, he's the head of the, he's a head of, or he's the head regent for the University of Houston too, by the way. Wow. Um, hmm. So, I mean, it's just, that's a lot just to be. That is a lot to do. Like, yeah, you know, running a, a big restaurant chain, you know, running uh, the Golden Nugget. I think he had a reality show, too, for a while, or you know, some sort of TV show. So, anyhow, uh, pretty interesting. It's something to keep an eye on. Um, and, of course, just real fast to touch back on the Fountain Blue, it really looks like after so many times where there's been press conferences where they've said, okay, we're really building it at this time, fail. Okay, we're really now for real building it this time, fail. Okay, okay, guys, I know we told you before, but but anyhow, they're, they're working on it now as we speak. Um, it looks as if all the funding has gone through, that money isn't going to be an issue, and they are on schedule as of, of recently where they held a press conference to open sometime late next year, um, which, again, you know, I don't get it. I mean, unless there's something there that's just like, captivating and, and every you know i don't know what it, what it would even be at this point i don't see why anyone's gonna go there so i mean if you build this four billion dollar plus resort you know which is resort worlds and they're having trouble they're still having trouble getting people in there I, i'm you know obviously a local here and i'm constantly you know constantly getting these 59 dollar a night offers now again you know the resort fee it's misleading the resort fee is like 50 plus bucks there so it's really a hundred dollars a night or 110 then there's tax but still you know a brand spanking new property uh and this is for the um what's i i, I forget what I, I mean like i said i just waking up what's the mid-level tower there obviously i know the hilton is a small one crockford's is the the high end what's the mid, mid-level tower there's three conrad conrad Conrad, that's right. So the offers I'm getting for $59 a night are for the Conrad, which, you know, that that, that shouldn't be happening. That's almost the equivalent of just the wind sending me out, you know, $70, $80 a night rooms, which, you know, they've never done ever. So the point I'm making is, I don't know, you know, what do you think? Do you think this uh, Fountain Blue has a chance? Of no, no. And then there's also people with concerns that there might be safety issues with the property because it sat so long uh, after it was first, uh, yeah, the beginning was constructed, and then it sat for thirteen plus years in from since two thousand eight uh, unmaintained. And how safe could this thing be? So there's a lot of concerns about that. Sure, sure. Anyhow, I just go real. If you don't mind, I I do have some Vegas news stories that I just kind of have monitored. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have any other comment about? Uh, for, uh, the alleged north or south end strip project yeah that or- one could possibly work because it does have a good location i think what resorts world has proven is that a major vegas hotel that opens in a location people don't want to be is not going to succeed and resorts world has really had a lot of problems with that 
and I don't know if they're going to be able to get over it. Fountain Blue is going to have even worse problems with that, compounded with their other issues. This one, if it were to actually open and be what they claim it's going to be, could end up being a major player, which is why uh, the Aria and the Cosmo and properties like that that sprung up, I know not super recently now, but they, right. they ended up doing well because they're in a good location. So I think location is sure. very big right now. And uh, so I... I We'll say this one in the south side of the strip that's still uh, close enough to center strip would have potential, yeah. but anything that's out there that people don't really want to be in that area, you're going to struggle. And you, you, I'm not saying no hotel can succeed there, but you, you don't want something that is supposed to be a major resort in areas like that. Yep. And, you know, and he's a smart, he's a smart businessman. So I think, you know, and he has obviously, like I said, he's been running, gosh, I want to say he's had the golden nugget for close to 10 years. I mean, it's been a while. Uh, the golden nugget changed hands a lot in the early part of the two thousands. It was most famously owned by those two partners. I don't remember the name, but they had a reality show. Yeah. I remember that was a terrible show too. It was awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there was another set of owners that owned it. You know, and I'm wondering. I don't know. I, I believe. I'm pretty certain. Uh, unless regulators regulators change the rules, I'm pretty certain you can't bet on Houston Rocket games or futures at the uh, at the Golden Nugget because he's the owner. That's a, that's another kind of weird. Well, not maybe not weird, but that's. Another unique Vegas thing. It's like, you know, when the Maloofs owned the Palms, you couldn't bet on uh, the Sacramento Kings at all. And then there was a while where there was a company or whatever it may be that owned the Golden Nugget that actually owned part of either the Boston Garden or the Celtics. And I remember you couldn't bet on the Celtics there. But I don't know if they've they've relaxed those kind of rules, which, you know, I mean, really, what is it going to do? You know, what's, you know, if you... I don't know what what would be the point of not letting people bet on the Houston Rockets because the guy owns it. I mean, you know what I mean. What what would be the main? Yeah, thing? yeah. That's like you know what uh, you know. I, I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. Never kind of understood that. So, um, anyhow, uh, okay. So real fast, if you, do you mind? Do I have like maybe? No, go ahead. Yeah. So we can talk about some Vegas stuff. Okay. So in in Vegas news this week, uh, a gentleman from Illinois, was playing uh, Pie Gal Poker at the Cromwell. You just spoke of the prom- Cromwell. Bought in for $100, and within about 30 minutes of playing, he got dealt a seven-card straight flush playing Pie Gal Poker uh, for $1.1 million. So that made a lot of news, and the guy was happy. You know what's funny? Uh, in every article now, I didn't say it, but in every article when they report a winner, you know, they always introduce it by saying a Caesars reward card member won. <laughs> like they say that, and I know it's just their way. You know, Caesars insists that that's there. It's a way just to kind of tell people that, that might not be familiar or they don't have it to get a rewards card. Like you wouldn't normally, you know, you're not going to hear a win, you know, whatever their, you know, players club is blank, blank member one. You know what I'm saying? But it's always yeah. That's weird. That's kind of an awkward way of saying it. Yeah, it is right. But it's always article starts off a Caesar's total rewards blah 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 member one. Yeah, so guy won one point one million. Good for him. Uh, 
I don't know much about this, but it, is, it has been in the news. When the Venetian changed hands, which started late last month, uh, Sheldon Adelson, as we all know, died in, it was either late 2020 or early 2021, just over, the, over a year ago. Uh, within three months of, maybe even less, but within definitely within 90 days of his death, uh, his wife, who is the majority stockholder of the company, uh, they announced that they were selling their holdings, which kind of makes you think a couple things. Were they waiting for him to die to sell it? Like, was he against it? Now that he's gone, they did it. Or is that something he was planning to do regardless? And he just, you know, passed away. Uh, what do you think? Because it happened right away. It happened like th within three months, but there was no talk at all about him potentially selling it while he was still alive. So, you know, it wasn't even a rumor. Yeah, I keep up on these things. So I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that the family just and, you know, maybe he was sentimental because that, that was, you know, that was his first casino. Yeah, I think that I think that's what it was. I think once he was gone, they were willing to let it go at that point, but that he didn't want to personally do that. OK, so anyhow, uh, the new owner of the Venetian, which again took over in terms of management uh, in late February, they have created a something that's very unique and nowhere else on the strip, uh, or maybe even in any casino uh, that at least that I know of. Definitely not in Vegas. They've created an equity-like sharing program that will be worth several thousand dollars for each employee that works at the strip resort. Do you, do you know anything about this? No. Okay. So this is, according to the Las Vegas Sun, Apollo Global Management which recently completed a deal to purchase operations of the Venetian from Las Vegas, announced the program Tuesday. And this was March 1st, by the way, when this announcement was made. Uh, and this new program affects the resort's roughly 7,000 employees. It will give all employees, regardless of seniority or job title, a share of any value creation, company spokeswoman Erin Clark said. Clark went on. It's a broad program, uh, but this is hypothetical. But let's just say a business is worth $2 billion today. But at the exit, it's worth $4 billion. Employees would get a piece of that $2 billion in value creation. When Apollo sells its interest in the Venetian, or if it's able to capitalize on the growth of their $2.25 billion investment in which they purchased it, employees would be compensated. Aaron Clark, the spokesman again, said the program would depend entirely on any value monetization, but it could mean as much as $10,000 or more uh, f per each employee if and when the business change hands. Annual payments could also go out, Clark says. If we're coming in and we're telling people we're so excited about this business and that we think there's a ton of room for growth, we think employees should benefit too. Uh, Aaron went on, or Clark went on, employees should be able to benefit from what we plan to do together. It's very simple, or I'm sorry, it's very similar to an employee having equity in a company. It's equity-like. We think it's an example of good corporate governance. Clark said this is the first time Apollo has rolled out this type of program anywhere. Uh, David Schwartz, a UNLV professor and Nevada gaming expert, and by the way, Schwartz is commonly quoted in 
casino articles and you know things all the time. So he's basically this guy Schwartz is basically the most respected, at least from UNLV uh, casino historian. Anyhow, Schwartz said that they, he does not recall any similar programs for casino employees in the United States. Uh, nothing like this comes to mind. Blah 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 blah. Okay. Um, anyhow, so Apollo again. That's a firm that bought the Venetian from the Adelsons. Uh, is a New York firm which acquired the Venetian and the Plaza and the Sands Convention Center as part of a deal worth more than $6 billion that officially closed, as I mentioned, last month uh, at the end of February. Uh, yeah, so anyhow, I kind of get it, but it was that article itself is a little vague. So, like, what does it mean? Like, say I work there and then I quit before they sell it. Or say they own it for 30 years and they don't sell it. Like, how does that... Do you kind of understand? Yeah, it's weird. I don't. I don't know exactly how they're going to handle it. It may really be. It's only when they realize some kind of profit, and if you happen to not be there, then tough luck. So if you're there for thirty years and you retire, and then about three months later they sell it, and some dude just got hired in the valet, he's going to get it. But the yeah, okay. Now it might be prorated though. Maybe that'll be where. Where if you just show up there, you're only going to get a small piece because you're only there a, a small percentage of the time. But the article also mentioned that this could happen on a yearly basis as well. So maybe like every so often or if you're there a certain amount of time, they'll do a valuation of the property and say it's gone up. You know, say every five years they do a valuation, for instance, and say it's gone up a billion dollars since when they purchased it. Or You know what I mean? Then maybe that's how they'll figure it out. Because how else could it possibly happen, happen yearly? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting. Now, it could be just a gimmick to where they are not paying them as much to make up for that, that they're giving this out, and then it makes it look like they're paying people as the company grows and they feel like they have a piece of it. So it could be something like yeah. that, where it's just a, a numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is uh, something we've talked about uh, over the years on this show. Nevada. Consider uh, continued its hot streak, ending 2021, uh, which was the tenth straight month of a billion dollars or more in house winnings, and the year figure for winnings for the entire state set a record. Meaning 2021, even on you know during the height of the pandemic. I mean, even though casinos were open the entirety of last year here. Uh, you know, we net we closed in 2020, but never 2021. But you know, there's a mask mandate, and there was all these different things. Nonetheless, they had more winnings than any other year in the history of the city. What do you guess, Druff? They won in 2021. And again, this is the entire state, not just the strip. The entire state. Okay. Well, I will take a guess here. And uh, I will say, let me think about this one. I will say that the total is one hundred billion dollars. No, I'd like to say that, but it's I, I don't think that's what it is. I will say it is uh, nineteen billion dollars. No, not that high. Uh, you went over, so if it was the price is right, you wouldn't have won. I don't get a guess. Yeah, oh, that's right. Wait, somebody else wants to guess. Who's that? I'll take uh, 
billion. Northern California guy? <laughs> oh, but hold on. Okay, hold on. Listen. No. Hey, listen, Trederuski, I, I want to tell you something. I've gotten a couple comments off the air about you that were a little disappointing. I'm not making this up. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. I had three people say to me, how the fuck doesn't he know the governor? Is, okay. All right. I mean, I just you know, woke up. But then, listen to me. And they, it's funny. It's funny you say that because two of them said to me, "I don't care that he just woke up. You can catch me in the deepest of sleep and ask me what the, my governor is of my state, and I'm going to tell you." Okay. All right. Hey, buddy. Good to, good to, to hey, hear your least, voice. At least I got Abbott. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go with this for a second here. In so the number is thirteen point four billion. That's what they won. What do you think the number was in pre-pandemic 2019 for the entire year? Again, the entire state of Nevada, not the strip, not you know, entire state. Thirteen point four million or billion. Thirteen point four billion. Two thousand and twenty-one. Two thousand nineteen was what? Druff, you go first. I would say uh, nine billion. Okay, Trederuski. I said eight point five before Jeff said okay. nine. I stole. I stole I, from Trader Ruski. Yeah, no, you're both wrong. It's, I'll stay it with was, it. I'll stay with it. It was twelve. Twelve billion in two thousand and nineteen. Oh, okay. It wasn't that far off. Eleven point six increase. But here's where it gets interesting. Okay, according to the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, how many people do you think visited Las Vegas in two thousand and nineteen? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I don't even... All right. Okay, I'll just tell you. 42 million. <laughs> okay. 42 million, and, and they grossed, again, 12 billion in, in revenue or in profits. How many people do you think visited last year? I think less because there was... there was a, Yeah, because there's a point the pandemic uh, was still affecting things a lot. So 30 million people visited last year. So literally... There was a 25% drop in the amount of people here, yet they made an extra 11% in profit. They made an extra $1.4 billion. Now, this is in gaming profit, right? That's really interesting. You're talking about gaming profit? Yeah, it's gaming. This isn't like food and beverage. It's gaming, right? So what it really means, obviously, is less people came, came, but they gambled more. Oh, I know why. But that, does that include uh, the apps and stuff, Brandon? I mean, buddy, it's gaming. If 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 there's I probably, mean, but in Nevada, that's not a huge. Uh, the only apps we have here is sports betting. We don't have apps like New Jersey does. Yeah, I was going to say online blackjack. So the only app we have is is sports betting. So yeah, that's included because that's a gaming one. But that's not. That's not significant enough, you know. That's a small little piece. I mean, that's probably the smallest piece of the pie of all of, all of it. Game, you know, sports betting apps. You know, that's that's you know, yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Well, I think I know why. It's because yeah, all these people got infusions of cash in 2021 and they brought it to Vegas yeah. and lost it. Yes, I think that has got to be the reason. That's why. That's part of the reason why everything has gone up in price so much. It's not the only reason, but that's one of the th- reasons that we've seen so much inflation. Yep. Absolutely. But I think also probably just more gamblers would come rather than just people wanting to go there on vacation. 
That could be it, too, that people who really were missing gambling felt like they needed to go there like and, and gamble, and then they gambled maybe more aggressively than before. But I still think it's more the availability of, of money. Okay, here's something that really is going to blow both of your minds if you know nothing about this. There is a new casino game that is captivating people. There's at times lines of people lining up to get their chance to play. Um, I assume it's at more places than this, but I know it's at the Circa, which I haven't been since it's been there. Uh, I saw it in person for the first time. I haven't played it yet. Uh, I saw it in person last week at the Cosmo for the first time, and there was a line there. It must have been, let's see, what when was I there? I was there in the early evening. I was there for dinner. And then uh, maybe 7 o'clock, midweek, though, of course. And there must have been maybe 10 people waiting in line to play this. Um, it's not a table game. It's not a slot machine. Does any, do either of you have a guess? And, you're, and I'll tell you, if you don't know, meaning you didn't see it on the news or read about it, we could probably sit here all night uh, and you're never. No, nah, then I have no idea. Okay. How many, how many fingers behind his back? I'm sorry, speaking English? Yeah. <laughs> he said, how many fingers behind his back? He's making a Vegas vacation joke. Oh, oh, okay. No, oh, that's funny because technically, kind of, the word fingers is kind of a key word. That's why you threw me off when you said that. Okay, I'll give you that hint. It probably still won't be enough, but the word fingers is kind of a, a key word in a sense. Fingers, hand. Is it a, uh, a Rochambeau game? Uh, no, 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 but... It's something that a thousand percent the two of you played as a child, even maybe a young adult, for fun. Even though it costs money to play, but you know it wasn't a gambling game per se where you, where you could win money. I played it. Probably anyone that was an eighties, seventies, late seventies, early eighties, mid eighties, even late eighties kid at some point played this exact thing, exact thing. But with, but obviously not gambling for money, but gambling kind of like No. How are they going to have a monopoly? Are you going to sit there and roll dice and go to jail? They take you to, they take you to Clark County? Come on. Yo, buddy. Okay. This is going to blow your guys' mind. And in fact, you both may think I'm trolling until you end up Googling it. Do you remember, or of course you remember, back in the 80s, and I guess early 90s when arcades were very, very prevalent, besides standard arcade games, you know, Miss Pac-Man, Galaga, NBA Jams, whatever. What was another staple feature that was at almost all 80s and 90s arcades? Pinball? Inside. Not, nope, not pinball. Not a, it's not a game like that. It's not, it's not um, no, okay, it's, I'll just say, no, it's not pinball. But it's, but believe me, think about it. It's something that was a fixture in every arc. How about like a, like a claw machine? Yes, there you go. So now they have a claw machine where it's the same thing. You put in money, and there are tons of balls, the same kind of claw, the same arm, and in each ball, if you're able to carry it, uh, you know, have it drop at the exact place, grab the ball, drop it in your hole, it contains cash. Anywhere from... <laughs> Anywhere from five dollars to a hundred in actual cash that you just open and see get the cash, 
with certain balls containing up to $10,000 as a jackpot. I mean, is this mind boggling? Yeah, it's, it what sounds I, idiotic. Okay, so hold on. I'm going to my my dad told me about this. I'm like, I'm thinking, no, you got to, you, you saw, it's like, no, it's a fucking claw with cash and people. So let me send you real fast this article. Just Google it, but let me, in case you don't see it right away, let me send you this article to read. And again, I haven't played it, but I definitely, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, I'll put a couple dollars in it uh, just to do it once because it's so bizarre. It's kind of one of those things you want to at least do once. Hold on. Um, I'm trying to see. It's called the, let me see, what is the name of it? There's, I see, there's a Go-Go Claw slot machine. Is that it? Not a slot machine. Oh, I'm going to send it to you right now. Um and I'm, yeah, so the jackpot's ten. Yeah, I see it. It's uh, called yeah, the yeah, go. It's, it's called, called go claw. It's yeah, called a go go claw machine. Excuse yeah, me. it's made by it's made by a ruse gaming. And right now they're at the Cosmo, the MGM Grand, the Circa, and the D. Okay, the Circa, in fact, because it's so popular, there's four of them. They have four of them on the premises. Okay, so I'm sending it. Todd, go ahead and look at your. I, I sent it to yourself. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it on. Uh casino.org right now it's actually a vital vegas written article so literally people again i am sorry the line was so long and i was going to dinner i don't know what the buy-in is you know the ten dollars five dollars twenty dollars but it's the same idea you put cash in or you could put in a i'm sure a voucher ticket and you have 10 seconds to move the arm of the claw left right up down drop it and if it grabs the ball and carries it over the threshold, you know, and they're like the little hole where stuffed animals used to go. There's a ball that you have to that you'll receive. You open up the ball, and you'll get anywhere from 500 to 100. This is my understanding in cash, and then anything else you'll get a voucher. With the highest, at least for this version of it, being a jackpot of ten thousand dollars. And what I say to you, there was a line. I mean, there are people just sitting there because you know people are sitting there playing. Over and over, and then the next per- – I mean, it was a line that went through the casino because they only have one game, one of these, at the Cosmo. And as I mentioned, I guess it's so popular, they have four of them at the Circa. But, I mean, I, that's something like, oh, it's a novelty. I could see myself trying it, but that can't be something anyone would want to play. And I wonder I wonder if there's skilled people that, like, used to be – because I remember when we were kids, did, did you guys each have a friend? Or know someone that was really good at it? No, but I would wondered if anybody could be good at it. But I, I have something disappointing to tell you. So yeah. I've been reading about it as, as you were talking here. Okay, sure. Um, the whole thing is a gimmick. It's all fake. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yep. Uh, there is a notice on the game that says the physical components of the game are used to exhibit the game result randomly determined by the software. The average payout of the game is not affected by the player's operation of the claw, so it's uh, it's just a way to display oh, so winning and losing. So, so every so often, it just will like pick one up. Like, yes. What is it, like a magnet, maybe, or something that it? it oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not. It's not. So it's the same thing in essence, but it's not skill based. Yes, and and uh, by the way, so speaking of skill based, a monkey could just hit it. And yes. Same odds as you or I. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. It, it it fails the Druff Monkey test, and oh, and not only that, but uh, since you're bringing up the skill based games, if you remember, in the 2010s they tried to bring these to casinos to attract a younger crowd, and they were a complete fail. 
And I knew they'd be a fail because the problem was that they were not going to bring in skill-based games that were so skill-based that certain people can become advantage players and just destroy them. And so that's the problem. So you're so the problem is it, it's the difference between losing some or losing more. And second, people don't have the patience to learn. So I actually knew a guy who got good at these and, and combining the skill-based part with only playing the game under certain uh, plus EV circumstances, it can be a plus EV venture if you do it exactly right. And I saw someone doing it. He became very good. I actually watched him in person. But I'm thinking, you know what? This guy dedicates a lot of time to this, but there's no fucking way that I or anybody else who just has a kind of a casual interest in this is going to put out the time, money, and effort to become good at it because there's a learning curve that you're going to have to spend the money to become good at the thing. So yeah. that, that's that's why these were a fail, is that the younger crowd is like, hey, no, we're not going to spend all this money while we suck at this to get good at it only to still be playing at a disadvantage. So that, that's why these were not a hit. That, now, this was thought to be maybe something that would be different, and maybe it is doing well, because everyone's already familiar with the claw from their childhood. And uh, so people already know how to play, but then there's the disappointing factor that it's really not based on how you move the claw. It's just it's already determined whether you're going to win or lose by the random no. number generator. And by the way, do you know why the claw machine is well-known with people who were kids or teens in the 70s and 80s, but not for older people who were adults by then. Why, why is it that in the 70s and 80s, those, that's the generation of, of kids and teens who got to know these things? I don't know. Well, the claw machine was invented in the early 50s. Unfortunately, they were classified gambling devices because it uh. wasn't determined uh, that you were going to get the same thing every time. So it's not like going to a gumball machine. This is a, a thing where, where you can get something worth more than what you paid or you can get nothing. So it was determined to be a gambling device and therefore could not be in these arcades. In 1974, they changed that rule and then they were allowed to be in arcades. So that's why for my entire lifetime, I remember them because when I was in 1974, I was only two years old. So by the time I was old enough to notice these things, they were in arcades already. Would, would you play it once? I mean, you know, $5, whatever the minimum is just to do it one time. You know, I, I actually would have if this was not fake. The fact that it's fake bo would bother me. Yeah, people still. Yeah, people still. That says in the article are standing in, you know, eight nine deep lines to play it because they don't know it's fake. It's like yeah. a notice on there that most people don't read. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I can't see this as being something that will take off in the sense that it's going to just stay popular. It will be a novelty that within a few months, I believe, maybe a year, will be out of casinos because people will just get bored. I mean, it's it's not. You know, I didn't see that part, so excuse me. I'm not. You know, that's why I sent you the link. Uh, I didn't delve into it that far, but all right, Trader Ruski, would you play this game? No, hell no. I mean, waiting okay. in line for that, that's embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. All right. Well, anyhow, that's where we are in today's gaming world that they're coming up with ideas like this. But also, 
getting back to real fast. Um, are, we, are we done with that? Is there anything more you want? No, to- let's go on. All right. So your boy was in the news this week. And when I say your boy, I mean Scott Sabella. Who's Scott oh. Sabella against Ruff? That would be the CEO of Resorts World. So he announced, and, you know, we just talked about this. So maybe, I doubt it, but maybe, maybe this will change Resort World's uh, immediate and long-term future. He announced that although he doesn't know the opening, the exact opening date, that he's confident by April 23rd, which is the beginning of the National Association of Broadcasters Convention, that the resorts world will have in operation its boring company tunnel between the strip and between where? The convention center. So there will be sometime in either early to mid to late April at the latest six Teslas that will be able to transport people underground via tunnel system from the resort or from the uh, convention center off Paradise Road all the way under the strip crossing Las Vegas Boulevard into resort worlds. They did it that fast. Uh, and then eventually, uh, it doesn't say the time frame here, there is going to be a 29 stop. I'm sorry, 29 stop. Yeah, 29 different stops, 51 mile. I'm sorry, 51 stops, 29 mile underground transit uh, station all under the strip. So you, meaning you could take a route from, uh, and this will be the farthest route from the convention center to Allegiant Stadium, where, where the football team is, or take a, you know, from Allegiant to Resort Worlds, or from the Wind to Resort Worlds, or I mean, this is going to be done. We're literally going to have an underground tunnel system, uh, and I'm surprised at the speed of this. Like this just started during the pandemic. I, I felt like something like this tunnels take like. 10 years to build how the hell are they doing this so fast yeah i'm not sure uh, there was that embarrassing story about how someone was able to get their car down there and and screw around and they, they supposedly had all these state-of-the-art security procedures which didn't work that fortunately the person was no. not trying to cause any real damage it was just someone who's trying to go down there and mess around but uh that was an embarrassment uh since then i hadn't really heard that much about that project I still don't think that's going to make a tremendous difference in Resorts World because it's so large, they really need something to make a major impact in uh, visitation there and also people staying there. Two different things of people visiting and people okay, staying. But like, say, okay, but listen, so say you're staying at the Wynn. Say you're a tourist and you're not Dan Druff. You're staying at the Wynn, you're staying at Harris, whatever. You're staying at Caesars. And if you know, somebody says, hey, we haven't seen that Resort World. Let's check it out. And someone says, oh, I don't want to spend money on an Uber or, oh, I don't want to drive. The traffic on a Saturday is going to be horrendous. But then someone in your group says, no, but we can take the boring tunnel and be there in two minutes. Okay, you don't think that that conversation may happen and and eventually just, you know, it becomes like any other transit system, you know, subway in New York or Chicago where people just kind of, you know, eventually know it's there. They utilize it. It's just kind of like second nature. I think it'll be a minor impact, but the thing is, the larger the resort, the more of an impact they need to make a difference. So if this were a small place, I would agree, but because it's so large, they just need such a game-changing sort of uh, transformation 
to the traffic they're currently receiving, I don't think this is going to be it. Now, second question. Okay, these things are automated, meaning there's not like a guy in each Tesla driving them. How safe would you feel going underground in a tunnel without a driver 60, 70 to 80 miles an hour from A to B? Would you have like total anxiety and be like, I can't do this? Would you be okay with it? What what would be your feeling? Well, uh, actually, I think there is going to be a driver in each of these for a while. That was the original plan, that it was going to start out with drivers and eventually become driverless. Just that was the... Yes, okay. Procedure. That's, that's correct. So but I'm not sure. At, not, but the whole eventually, it, you know, it's not going to. Uh, right. Eventually, it will be driverless. Right. But regardless if there's a driver or there's not, what? As far as the safety, I've thought of this too, and I'm not sure because the area is prone to earthquakes, as we learned during the 2019 main event of the World Series, and this is a new thing there. So. It's not like the New York subway system, which has been there forever, and yeah, there there haven't been those type of problems. It's also not really prone to earthquakes over there. But something like Vegas, who knows? Like, would you want to be in there when there's an earthquake? <laughs> Feel stupid that uh, when, when everything starts collapsing. Like, I I don't know. I'm sure they've thought of this. Obviously, I'm not the first person to think about what if an earthquake happens. But this is a new thing, and anything new that's developed can have unexpected uh, occurrences. I would feel safer with this thing after some time passes, and it's clear that everything's all right. Uh, Something else that's uh, less catastrophic but also would be of concern would be if what if something breaks down? Like what what if uh, the Tesla in front of me uh, just breaks down and stops moving? Am I just stuck? What can I do then? And and what's your option as far as getting out of the car? Like, is it are you locked in or can you get out some way? Like, what what are the features there to get yourself out of issues that might occur? Because I, I yeah. wouldn't want it to where the whole thing's so locked down that you're you can just be stuck down there for hours. I would I would freak out. Yeah. Now, Trader Ruski, what about yourself? Now you're in you're in Vegas. Traderuski, and you're doing one of your things with the assistant. You're here for a convention, and you know what happens sometimes with my buddy Traderuski. You're running behind, and you need to get over to that resort world. Would you go underground into a self-driven uh, Tesla going 70, 80 miles an hour without a driver? You're going to be safer underground. Up, up above ground, you got those drunk raiders driving around. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Fair <laughs> that is a good point. Um, yeah. Okay, so this probably goes more in tandem with Wyndham. Or is it Wyndham? Is that how Wyndham. you pronounce it? Wyndham, right? Okay. Wyndham, I've yes. Never, I've never patronized our hotels. But uh, right now, and this is really good, guys. So listen, for those of you that come to Vegas a lot, uh, the MGM Rewards M Life MasterCard, they're having a really good promotion um, that expires april 7th uh meaning you have to apply for it before april 7th the promotion is as follows mgm rewards for years has had a mastercard and the main perk that you got you normally got like a small sign up bonus but the main perk was the parking whether you live here whether you're out of town uh as long as you use that card at least once a year Literally, you can only use it once a year if you wanted. You receive pearl status, 
which was good for self-parking for free, unlimited self-parking. So they have an offer now that ends again April 7th. And if you apply and you get accepted for the M-Life MasterCard, you will immediately get... Oh, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you have to spend $5,000 on the card within six months. And there's no annual fee, by the way, on this card, which, you know, that that's helpful. So basically, you have to charge an average a little less than 1000 a month. You will, once you've charged your $5,000 over a six-month period, you will get 250,000 M-Life points, which is the equivalent of $250. You can use that for hotel rooms, for food, for concerts, even something at T-Mobile that's sponsored by M-Life, of course, because M-Life... So, so each point is worth uh, a tenth of a cent? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I'm reading this on the review journal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 25,000 bonus points. That's what I was going to say. It didn't make sense yes, to me. I'm sorry. You're right. Excuse me. Uh, again, I'm laying in bed and it is the middle of the night here. But, uh, so anyhow, basically $250, you know, if you have a credit card, you know, you're likely going to spend 5,000 over six months. That's okay. not really well, let, let me, let me give a counterpoint though. Can I give a counterpoint to this? Yes. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not very excited by this. This doesn't excite me. Tell you why. Okay. It is not that difficult to get... Oh, I'm sorry. And again, hold on. Let me just finish. And again, you get the free parking and ever, all the other perks as well. Okay, okay. Go on. It is not that difficult to get a credit card where you get 2% cash back on everything. So, provided you can get one of those cards, this is also 2%. And yet, instead of cash back, you're getting MGM points, which obviously is not as good as cold hard cash. So any kind of credit card promotion where all I'm receiving is something around or less than 2% is not exciting at all. In fact, it can be a negative. So Okay, but, but okay, real fast, my only counter to that, my only one at all is, okay, you know, you don't come to Vegas a lot or you want, you know, you're staying you know, lower class places because you don't want to spend the money. Get the credit card, okay, you just lock it up then at least you have free parking you spend five thousand dollars over six months and then you go to the bellagio midweek or a one night on the weekend you know because that's roughly what you're going to get with 250 dollars, or you go have a great meal and then you're done with it how is that not good okay get, I, so basically it's two free nights you know at, at a bellagio or you could even get two two you know weekend nights at a mid-tier place mirage uh, you know, New York, New York. You know what I'm saying. Okay, but I'm, I'll give you my my counter counter counterpoint here. That yeah. I agree, you should get the card for the parking. That you definitely should do if you don't have Pearl or higher already. This is definitely anyone something anyone should do if they don't uh, have that status because then you can park for free at any MGM property, and that's very important to have. Even if you don't come to Vegas that often, and it's a free card, so you definitely should do that. So I agree with that part. However, again. If it's rewards you're looking for, I would just get that card and just not spend anything on it or spend a dollar just to keep it active every six months and then get a 2% cash back credit card and you will have that same 250, except this time you will not be obligated to spend that 250 at an MGM property. Now you can spend that at 250 anywhere you want. And if you want it to be at an MGM property, you still have the 250 to spend. You have that same 250, but it's way more flexible. So uh, usually these casino credit cards don't give you very good perks as far as uh, cash back. The only exception is the 
Caesars Rewards credit card has one thing I like, and that is you get five RCs per dollar spent, and that is good to use uh, like if, if you're for tips, things like that. So you, you're leaving a restaurant tip, you do it on that card, you get five RCs for every dollar, that's going to be a lot better than, than well, the 2% you'll get back on your... Let me give you a counter-argument, although maybe it's not a counter-argument, but what I would say to what you just said is I would go ahead now and check the fine print in terms of what the Caesars uh, reward card offers you because starting this year, they changed a couple things in it. The most notably being the reason why I applied for it initially, the Caesars total rewards card was you got, uh, and I got, you know, really good deals. You got a series of buffets for free or two of them at the Bacchanal. And that's mainly what I used it for. And then, obviously, the free parking and, and some other perks. Now, if you want free parking and there's no grandfather clause, with the Caesars Total Reward Card, you need to charge $10,000 in a calendar year <laughs> to, to stay platinum. That's why this year. So I'll tell you why. Both my dad and I have this card. And we looked, you know, somewhat recently. We had to go to Caesars and we logged into the account. And we looked and we said, hey, this isn't right. Why are we gold? Gold is the lowest level. Why aren't we platinum, which gives us the free parking? Looked on the site, sure as shit, $10,000 you need to charge uh, within a calendar year. Unbelievable. And it's not even proactive starting next year, which means everyone woke up if you weren't, you know, if you were gold already in February, and literally you would have to start charging now. Meaning, like, you know, there wasn't a grace period, you're just cut off. So, fortunately, what my dad did. And I'll tell everyone else this because they may not know this. Caesars also has one little nice perk that people might not know in regards to parking. If you are either a current or if you were formerly in the military, you can get parking, free parking, and valet for life. So, you know, okay, you're listening. Well, I'm only 20. I'm only 30. I was in the military. But if you have a, a, a mother, you know, a father, a brother, anyone, all you would do would be get a handful of those cards the next time you're at a Caesars property anywhere. doesn't have to be Vegas, you know, if there's a closer one there. And then, you know, you, there's no ID check. You literally just swipe your player's card in the machine when you leave. And the, it has a little military symbol on it, whatever. Uh, you know, so they're technically, you know, they probably don't want me saying this, but they're transferable to, you know, anyone you want. So in essence, you know, my dad ended up giving me, uh, you know, hit one of his, and now I, you know, now I, I can park at all Caesars properties. I certainly, certainly wasn't going to spend 10000 on that Caesars car. That's insane. I mean, that, yeah, it is. So that's, so the point I'm making is I don't know now how many points they give you, you know, per dollar. It could have changed. I didn't, I didn't read that far. I saw the whole part about 10000 I'm like, forget this. So was that a, that was a good counterpart point to your thing, wasn't it? Yeah, so it actually was. I have to concede that one. So, but the po- I guess the point I'm making, I think we both can agree on this anyhow, is if you come here often enough that you've ever had to pay for parking or you're in the position that you, you would have to pay, then it makes sense to get that along with the fact you're going to get $250 for your trip as well. Um, I mean, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, so that, you, but you can get it without the $5,000 is the point. Like that, That's what I'm saying here. Is you don't have to. Yeah. You can just get the card and not spend the yeah. $5,000. That, that would be my, my suggestion. one thing. Yeah, that's one thing I've never done. Um, 
is pay for parking. And I'll tell you something else that these gre- these greedy cocksuckers started. You want to hear something else? What? So I went with my friend Jeannie uh, last month in February to a Golden Knights game. Now, you hockey game. Now, obviously, you wouldn't want to park at T-Mobile Center anyhow. I mean, it costs $50 to $100, but, you know, you're parking on the strip. There's a massive line. So, you know, if you're a local like we are that aren't staying at a hotel anyhow, what would you think? And you have free parking at other hotels. If you were me, Druff, and you're going to a hockey game, and again, you're not, you know, you, you live here. What would be your mode of getting to the hockey game for free in terms of parking? I go to a nearby uh, casino and park there and walk over. What casino would you go to? I would probably go to the uh, Park MGM. Okay. Well, this is what started this year, January 1st. Unless you are Noir, on every event that is at T-Mobile, only Noir is able to park for free. Everyone else that even has free parking... Has to pay twenty five dollars <laughs> at Park MGM. You're saying? You understand what I'm saying to you? So, oh yeah, at Park MGM, New York, New York, and MGM. Now, I'm sure like Mirage isn't going to isn't didn't institute this because it's so far down, no one's going to do this. So, this is exactly what happened. Genie has platinum or pearl or whatever it is that gets her garage parking, and you know she's on the strip. She was driving, so we go to New York, New York, thirty minutes before the hockey game. And guy, you know, and you see signs everywhere when you turn into that parking garage, $25, $25 parking. I'm like, why does it say that? And she's like, oh, it's fine. I have the card. So we get up there and they tell us it's $25. And Jeannie says, oh, no, I have the player's card. Guy says, are you noir? She says, no, but I have this and it's free parking. Not on game day anymore or not for special events anymore. So if, you know, concert, UFC fights, whatever. So Jeannie put up a fight. You know, she was like, no one's ever told me this. You know, I, I, I'll, you know, I don't have, she was kind of causing a scene. She got irritated. Now she's not like a cheap woman. You know, that's not the issue. And, you know, I, I would have paid for it as well. I mean, what are we going to do? You know, we got to park, got to go to the game. So she basically got them to say, okay, you know, I'm going to let you in, you know, because this is a new policy. You don't know about it, but this will be a one-time exception. So we didn't pay. We got in. But I remember just saying to myself, these sons of bitches, like, really? Like, I mean, I get it. Like, they're, you know, these are for profit businesses, but they're, I mean, so they're going to offer people free parking. And there's, no, and listen, this is the other thing. Afterwards, she was so annoyed by this. She went to the Players Club in New York, New York, and asked where on their website, where in any of their terms of services it say this. And it was nowhere to be found. Meaning, like, you know, she went to their parking fee page and, you know, just as she assumed she had qualified the car. There were no exceptions on the website about except for these days you can park. And nonetheless, uh, you know, they're going to charge you 25 bucks now, even so, even if you just were whoever, you're not even going to the game. You're just going parking in the garage and you don't, you're not no R. Yeah, that's crazy. Probably what, (laughs) what is that? Less than one. What is that? Less than 1% of the entire, player pool of mgm properties that are noir it's not, yes it's not like yeah i know it's very small percentage hard. yeah 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 so anyhow that's so but it's things like that that make me disgusted by the city that i so proudly call home like that's just too much come on like really you know and then uh, these restaurants uh, long, now that are charging the game, yeah how long that's a good question 
like an oh, hour I don't know. So we, if you got well, there in an hour. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah, no, I mean, I'd assume, you know, you go there. I didn't ask them that. You go there at two in the afternoon on game day. It's not going to be a problem. We got there an hour early, you know, because it's only it's right next door to, you know, so we were there. Game was at seven and we were there like six o'clock, five fifty five. And we were just stunned. Like, come on, really, people? And that was always my go-to. You know, I've been to a lot of NHL or Golden Knight hockey games, uh, playoff games. I've probably been to 40 games since they've been here, 50 games. I've been to a lot. Always parked at MGM. If I, you know, if I wanted to eat there first or always parked in Newark, never a problem. And, of course, the parking garage is half, is half empty. This was like a, 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 it was a Wednesday night. You know, it was a middle. Well, of course, I, you know, I can get it. it the weekends, it's going to be busy. Garage was more than half empty. I mean, it's New York, New York on a Wednesday night. But anyhow, that really like that right there is my number one pet peeve with this city. Like they're just going too far. And as we talked about, I'm telling you, with all these casinos that are opening up everywhere, if they continue along these pace, you know, continue along this pace, there is going to be a segment of people that become so alienated and disenfranchised with Vegas. They stop coming. People like San Lamar. Shout out to San Lamar. Like, you know what I mean? They're going to be people like that that are so principled that they are just annoyed. Yeah. To the nickel and diamond quarter. Like, who needs it? You know, and I hear this. I really, I'm already hearing it from people. And these aren't people that are cheap. These are people that some of them have lines of credit. You know, so, so you know, they're, they're, it's not, it's not the money that's going to break anyone. It's just the principle of it. Like, it's really obnoxious. And you don't even say anything. Like, you know, that should be on their website or, you know, they should have some kind of, I mean, you can't just spring it. It's just, it's just disgusting. It's like, come on. You know, come on, you're going to be that greedy. But anyhow, for people to know, there's still uh, a handful of places that you can park for free. Unfortunately, it kind of screws you uh, on the north or the south part of the strip because those are all MGM properties. But the Venetian and Palazzo, both uh, self-parking and valet are still free. The win, thankfully, they were smart about this. They were very smart. Uh, they for a while were charging and they're not either for I'm not sure about valet. They may be a charge for valet. Maybe not. I don't know. I've never valeted there. But the garage is free at the win as well. So you have those free properties. So, you know, if you ever go into the Mirage or Harris or, you know, and listen, I'll tell you something. You park there and you're there for a while. You're there 8, 10, 12 hours. You come out. It's 24, 36, 40 bucks. We're not talking four dollars for parking people. You know, imagine that. Imagine you fucking go and you got family in town or your vacation. You go to drive to another property. You get your ass fucking smoked. You lose a, you know, whatever it is, whatever it's, uh, you know, you consider being, you know, smoked. You lose a thousand dollars. You lose a couple thousand dollars. You're already pissed off and you're a little sour. Then you go. You have to wait in a line to get out. Okay, because remember, it's one by one. You got to put your, you know, ticket in, and then they don't take cash. People have to fumble around for the credit cards. You wait in that line. And then they're going to charge you $40, $50 on top of it. And to my knowledge, there's no system where you can get it comped, meaning you can go to a pit boss and be like, hey, I just lost 2000 or 1000 Look at my card. Let me get a comp for parking. No, they, they, don't, they don't have a system like that. There's nothing, you know, designed. Like, whereas, like, you know, the, the, the uh, Golden Nugget used to have a policy, which maybe they still do, where you got three hours for free if you weren't staying there and then you had to pay. But if you gambled, you literally, LOL, would just have to find any pit boss, and they would just scribble their signature on the ticket. And then, do you guys ever remember? Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Park at Golden, (laughs) 
and they would scribble it on there, and then you just show it to the person. Like, you know, the Golden Nugget, they're still old school. Like, there's actually a person that you have to interact with when you when you leave the parking garage. But anyhow, up, up on the uh, south side, the only place you could park uh, would be Tropicana. That doesn't charge parking. And then you'd have to crisscross. I mean, it's not the worst walk, but, you know, it's a good... 20 30 minutes is because you have to get through traffic and wait at lights so any i I don't want to rant about that but that really that that's my number one pet peeve is the nickel and diming these fucking concession fees like you know you look you get a receipt now at restaurants and they're charging you three different things that that they never charged you for not even food related things you know uh there was a thing on Vital Vegas the other day about a guy because you know pool season's open now. People are going to pool. He rented a lounge chair or a day bed, I should say, it was a day bed, and they charged him a resort fee on the day bed. I'm not making this up. <laughs> they charged. There was a resort fee on his receipt for the day bed. He wasn't staying at the hotel. Like this isn't a room, you know, res- resort charge. There was a resort fee for a fucking day bed. And then, anyhow. And there are a number of restaurants that do this concession fee. Yeah, the CNF fee. I've seen that, yeah. Supposedly, you can have that taken off, though, if you complain. You can. I've seen that. I've seen everyone say that if you, you know, call over a manager and say you don't want to pay this. But you know what? Most people, they don't even look. You know what I call that? That that is called a negative checkoff scam. Yeah. So let me think. Okay, so either way, you know, like I said, if you need the parking anyhow, get the card. You know, definitely spend the five thousand. You have six months, and you get two hundred fifty bucks. Stay a couple nights. Um, El Cortez made an announcement today. El Cortez is rarely ever in the news, but I will say, the El Cortez was the first job I ever had in Las Vegas. I don't know if anyone knows that. I worked at the El Cortez for about six weeks. I was what you would call a break-in craps dealer. Meaning, when I left, uh, when I first came to Vegas, I kind of just fucked around. You know, I had graduated college. I just sold a, a restaurant and bar that I owned. I didn't know what I was going to do out here. So a lot of it was, you know, okay, you know, kind of want to find a job and do something. But a lot of it was I was lonely. Well, not I was lonely, but I had no friends. I didn't know anyone out here. So I thought, you know what, you know, go to gaming school. Like, you're going to meet other young people. You're, you know, like, literally, I knew no one out here. So I went to gaming school. And then when you graduate gaming school, at least this was back then, it's going to be a little bit different now. They, the different gaming schools all have affiliations with different casinos, uh, mostly breaking houses. What I mean is when you graduate from a school, there's a certain casino they have an ongoing relationship with, ongoing relationship with, and they'll send you there when they think you're ready and you audition. So the gaming school I went to, which doesn't exist anymore, is called the Las Vegas School of Dealing. After about about four or five weeks, I was in school. And I studied to be uh, a craps dealer, which is the hardest game. You could go in there and learn blackjack and be out of there in four or five days. Blackjack's pretty simple. But craps, obviously, is the hardest game to deal. So I was there about a month. They sent me to the El Cortez when they thought I was ready. I show up with black pants and a white collar shirt, and they put me in a live game. And, of course, you know, you're petrified because it's the first time in your life you've ever dealt to real people with real money. And, you know, there, back then, in the early 2000s, the El Cortez was just full of fleas. And what fleas means, that's 
casino lingo for very, very low betters and betters that don't tip. They're just, you know, dollar betters, $3 betters. And back then, their craps game was a dollar crap game. So, okay, anyhow, moving along from that. Oh, yeah, and by the way, my average tip, this was 2002, guys. Uh, I made minimum wage, as, you know, everyone at El Cortez and most places still make now. So back then, minimum wage was uh, $5.25, and then we pooled our own tips over 24 hours. What do you think, 2002, my average tip was working at the El Cortez for about six weeks, a day? Uh, I will go with with Trader Ruski first. Yo, buddy. Fifteen bucks. Fifteen dollars a day? Okay, Druff. No, five L, five L. Fifty. Okay, fifty bucks. Okay, Druff. I would say thirty. The average tip in two thousand two for the month and a half I worked there was about eight dollars a day. <laughs> there were there were a couple there were a couple oh times, and, and and by the way we received them in cash too. This is how funny you know how fast things change. Back then, more casinos than not gave you your tips after 2 o'clock, meaning I say you work until 4 p.m. If you technically wanted, but, you know, whatever. You go the next day. But if you wanted to, uh, when the shift changed from swing shift in the graveyard, there was what's called a uh, tip committee, token committee. Token is a word for tip. And they would gather. And those are casino employees. Those are dealers. They're not like suits or you know supervisors and they count everything up okay amongst themselves in a room with their cameras everywhere and they just divide it equally by how many employees worked over that 24-hour period and they they don't round up like you don't get change so like it's seven dollars and 80 cents you get eight dollars and then the next day they minus you know anyhow so you get an envelope as soon as you walk in uh and it has the cash in it so i remember back then people would get excited the few times we broke $20 in a day. I remember times when there was literally a couple of singles in there, like two, three singles. But the thing is, you work there because it's basically on-the-job on training where you get a slight income. I mean, you know that going in. It's basically like an internship. Um, and then, you know, from there you move on. You know, you never – it's never a job. Now, now it might be different. You know, times have changed, and they also spent – like $80 million upgrading the place. Back when I worked there, it was an absolute dump. It was, it was definitely the most decrepit with the worst customers, uh, whatever you want to call it, out of every casino downtown. It was, you know, but it was where crap dealers learned how to deal craps. So anyhow, I worked there, and uh, again, it's nicer now. You know, they spent, after Jackie Gone died, uh, they spent, almost a hundred million refurbishing the place, which hadn't been refurbished since it was built. So anyhow, they were in the news today when they had a big announcement. Anyone want to guess what that announcement was? They're selling it. No, I'm kind of overblowing it. I guess it's not that exciting of a story, but nope. Uh, They, they did. Okay. The announcement was to implement a policy that only one other casino in Las Vegas has trader. your guess. What are the, what did the El Cortez announce today? A for drinks. No. They announced that starting uh, next month, you must be 21 or older to enter the property in any capacity. Oh, it's funny. I was just discussing this with with Benjamin because uh, he asked me on our trip we just took, 
when we walked by and there was a room service tray that had been sent back out of the room because the people were done. And I said, you know what's funny, Benjamin? I bet that was like $150 worth of food. And he says, what? And I said, yeah, it probably was. And he said, have we ever gotten room service? I said, we usually don't. But I'll tell you a time we got a $500 room service meal, but you wouldn't remember it because you were only three years old. And I told him about uh, Caesars Windsor. And the reason we did this was that was where I took my seven-star trip where you get the $500 food credit. And the only expensive restaurant there was a steakhouse where you have to walk through the casino to get to it. And the law there in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, was that if you're not 19, you cannot set foot in the casino. And they were refusing to bend that. So there's no way we could get to that steakhouse with Benjamin. And I couldn't just leave him by himself in the room at age three. So I told them I wouldn't have taken the Seven Stars trip here if had they told me of this. I said, this is a big thing you have to disclose to people. Yeah. A lot of people have kids under 19. How, do, how don't I know this story? I would think I would have known this. Yeah, so, no recollection so what, what happened was uh, I got them to agree to deliver the steakhouse food through room service. So I ordered the $500 meal through room service from that steakhouse and they brought it up. So I, I told them about that. And then but I mentioned, let him stay on the, they let him stay on the premises though. Yes. But he was on the premise in the hotel, but he couldn't go in the casino. So I said no, that, but this, but this is even the premises now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it's, it's, it's more, it. more harsh, but I, yeah. what, what I told him though, is I told him in the state of Nevada, it's different. And the reason we never have this issue in Nevada is that the Nevada state law is that uh, minors can walk through the casino at any point as long as they're constantly moving. They just can't stop. So I told him this whole thing. And then it's funny you mentioned this, that now they're they're completely barring uh, people who are under 21 from the El Cortez, which, of course, they can do if they want. Funny thing. Yeah. Okay. so two questions. Number one, I know you know this, Jeff, so I'll ask Trey Trederuski, what is the only other casino now? Of course, before the El Cortez made this announcement that barred anyone under twenty-one completely from the pre- from the premises. You know, hotel rooms, a restaurant, even just walking through, whatever. Can't even enter. What's the, the only other one that had the win? Oh, come on, the win. Are you kidding me? The win. You go in the win and you see uh, you see six-year-old. Uruguayan kids with Gucci pamper bags. Now, what's the only other casino, Druff? Actually, I, you'll be surprised. Right. I don't. I don't know you this one. About it on the show. You talked about it on the show. When did I talk about it? I must have forgotten. Well, before it opened, they made the announcement before they opened. Oh, I'm disappointed. Cosmopolitan? Are you? No, 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 no. Druff, I'm disappointed. You. you used to have the memory of a of an elephant. I'd say, Druff, what happened April 9th, 1984? Well, April 9th, 1994, I logged into the BBS, and <laughs> you, you don't remember, Druff? No, I don't remember oh, which one it is. It was the, it's the Circa. Oh, it's Circa, okay. Right before the Circa opened. So anyhow, that's going to happen, 21 or older starting, which is weird to me because you don't think of that hotel as something that there's anything remotely restaurants arcades anything for why do you bring a kid to begin with like i you know i i guess my point is it's, it's not a whole a prominent hotel where families are bringing kids and staying 
like even the you know for lower end hotels it's kind of just a weird thing that they would have but i guess it became some sort of problem maybe it is maybe the, you know since the pandemic people are bringing their kids with them and they're staying there all right i forgot to and i'm almost done with the vegas news and thank you you know very much for giving me this little form so a week ago if you drove by 215 and durango okay you're on the highway 215 is a uh highway in vegas that kind of just goes from one corner of vegas to the other you can go from henderson all the way uh to summerlin and up north towards like ann road if you crossed 215 and durango last week you'd see a big track of dirt maybe a sign but that's it just a ton of dirt now today as of a few days ago if you drive by 215 in las vegas and durango what would you see I don't know. <laughs> what would you, you see? Would see a, you would see a bunch of construction and workers and a little sign announcing the newest station casino that's being built. That's scheduled to open in 2024. Uh, so I forgot to mention this. There's, there's another casino. Now, this has already gone through every processing and, or you know, city planning, approvals, permits. It's going to open. In fact, they've already broke ground on it. And again, it is on Durango and 215 Stations Casino, which is a locals company. They have no presence at all on the strip, and it's expected to open in 2024. Take a guess. What do you think the name of this casino is going to be? Again, it's on Durango and 215. Is it Durango Station? Trader. Okay, I was going to give Trader Ruski because I knew that you did. It is Durango Station. Yes. And it is, uh, according to the layout and the plans, it's going to look like a mini Red Rock. Um, maybe scale to like a third. Like in terms of, you know, the number of rooms initially and the number of restaurants. So, yeah. Um, and in that corner of town, it is, it's actually funny because they're smart, those sons of bitches. Um, there is no casino, believe it or not, within a seven-mile radius of that area. The closest casino that people have from there are the Silverton, which is seven miles away, and the South Point, which is nine miles away. There's nothing closer to the uh, east. There's nothing closer to the west. And the closest to the north would be Red Rock from there. And that's still about 10 miles away. Yeah, I noticed that a while ago. That's kind of a no man's land for casinos. It is. So, I mean, it's ingenious what they're doing because they are going to get I mean, they're going to get that whole area. I mean, they're going to have it all to themselves. I mean, in terms of people that like to, you know, stay near their local casino and, you know, especially if you have a drink or two, you don't want to drive too far and, you know, just hot. You don't want to drive too far, whatever it may be. So, yeah, it's likely going to do well. Uh, But I only say sons of bitches because that is the only casino company in Las Vegas that I am DNI'd from. Yep. Station Casino. (laughs) Which means I'm not banned, I'm not barred, I'm called, what, it, what DNI means is do not invite. Which just means I can get no offer. He's no, no offer, basically. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a no man's son. Um, okay, one last, or actually two quick last things. The first official Vegas sponsored by a casino, NFT, is at the launch. Anyone know about this? No. The, again, Circa Casino is launching let me just read the article a vegas vicky nft 
Uh, article says, according to the Vegas Review Journal, if you ever wanted to own your own piece of Vegas, Vicky, downtown's iconic 25-foot-tall neon cowgirl, you're soon going to have your chance. Digitally, digitally, that is. Circa next week is set to launch a Vegas Vicky NFT collection that it says will make the first ever Las Vegas casino on the blockchain. The collection will feature a neon portrait of the iconic sign that was painted inside the casino earlier this year by artist Jason Borbet, who is known in the art world as Borbet. Uh, NFTs are non-fungible tokens or digital assets, blah, 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 goes on to explain it, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and let's see if there's anything more interesting. So I'm not going to just read this whole article about it. Uh, the idea to turn Vegas Vicky into an NFT, uh, was something that circus CEO Derek Stevens wasn't even considering until the artist brought it to his attention. And now they've gone into a partnership. Um, and you can go to the circus website if you like, for more information. Uh, you think this is going to be a trend, or will this be a fail, and this will be the last week? Nah, it's going to be a fail. The The, the NFT yeah. world, it's, it's already getting way oversaturated. Yeah. I think so, too. Trader Ruski, any thoughts? Vegas NFT? It's interesting. Yo, buddy. Okay. And then lastly, and uh, we'll be done. Forgive me. Uh, if you've talked about it, I know I sent you a link about this. Did you talk about Bill 14 SBN? No, I don't think so. That is the bill that has been written that will raise the minimum amount that hand pays are required for. Oh, no, I have talked about that. No? Actually, I sorry, I didn't talk about it. I posted about it on uh, Vegas Casino Talk. I don't believe I've talked about it yet. Okay. So on here. I'll let you go into the details of your opinions on this. Uh, I need to grab a glass of water, but this is what I'll say. Uh, right now, the threshold for any, and this will apply only to uh, slot machines and electronic table games, not sit-down table games with a live dealer. Right now, any sort of pay of $1,200 or more will lock up your machine and you'll be required to provide a social security number an ID and get a uh, jackpot form that's submitted both to you, you know, your own copy and then to the IRS. Uh, and then you have to claim that as income the next year, 1200 or more. Now, the silliest thing about this is even if you don't win $1,200, you still have to pay the taxes or I should say the machine still locks up and you're required to have the paperwork sent. And what I mean by that is two different things. Say you're playing a video poker machine and say you're stuck $1,000. Say you're stuck $800 and, oh, I'm so lucky I finally get out. You hit a royal for 2000 or you hit four aces and, you know, whatever it may be. And say you're only up a couple hundred dollars or even in a case you're still stuck. Still, machine will lock up. Still, the paperwork gets sent to the IRS. Even more silly in these digital table games that are being, you know, all the more you know popular now. Say you're betting six hundred dollars this is the most ridiculous of them all now most machines won't let you do this just because of this reason but some of them do i've seen it say you're betting six hundred dollars on an electronic blackjack machine and you win and you're like oh great i won six hundred dollars not quite 
what's going to happen is the machine is going to show that you won $1,200 because you're going to get your $600 that you won plus the $600 that you bet <laughs> returned you. And the machine will again lock up and you'll say to yourself, are you kidding me? So, I mean, that makes those kind of games. Same thing for roulette, by the way. People need to know this. You sit there and you're playing roulette and you bet, you know, say you bet a couple hundred dollars or even say you bet $600 on red or black. So, okay, you know, I'm stuck. I'm stuck 500 for the trip. I'm going to put 600 on red and black and just see if I can get even. You hit that red. You think you're going to get paid 600, you know, plus your 600 back. You're going to have a surprise. Machine is going to lock up. You won't be able to get a ticket. Yeah, but that's only on machines, though. Regular roulette, that doesn't occur. Well, that's what I said. I said electronic gaming. Not a a game where there's a live dealer. Right. I said that would be. So, anyhow, there is a bill, as I mentioned before, that looks like it's going to pass. They're actually waiting for a – well, this may not sound so good. No one – the casino industry, of course, is in support of it. And both Democrats and Republicans that helped orchestrate the bill are in favor of it. They're just waiting for the opinion of the IRS before they go any further so the new bill will increase that number which is so outdated again this law was initially passed when that was in uh, 1977 very good yeah 1200 since 1977 hand-paid jackpot the bill is to make it five thousand and one dollars for a hand pay and again this only applies to Slot machines, video poker, and electronic table games. And what that means is those are the ones where there's a virtual lady in a bathing suit. Would you like to play a hand? Let's play a hand. And then, you know, she's sitting there in a tropical location. Or I like a roulette machine, for instance, where uh, you, you know, the ball pops up automatically. These, those are in every casino. Or even something as silly as the worst table game in Vegas, which is what? And they have these electronic all over now. What's the worst table game you could play? Isn't it that wheel? Oh, God. Yes. Okay. The Big Six is what it's called. Yeah, okay. the Big Six. You're not on your e-game today, buddy. Did you not get sleep last night? You not I got the answer. Nutritious meals before video? I got the answer. I feel like... All right. Oh, you did. You're right. So, and I'm just kidding you, by the way. So, yeah. So, something like that, even. Like, you know, where there's a payout of, I don't know, I think it's 40 to 1 is the most. You know, well, you put 40 on it and you hit it. Guess what? You're not getting $1,600. You're going to get a lady coming over to you that's going to hand you paperwork, ask for your ID and social security number. And then when she hands you the $1,600, okay, unless you give her at least 100 bucks, she's likely just going to frown and walk away from you. Yeah, that's some of them aren't. Some that's them, actually very tilting about that. Other. Yeah, I, I hate that part of oh, it yeah, because unless you over tip them and like way over tip them. So that's a, oh. And I agree with all this. This is one thing I do agree. If you're going to just tip someone to be kind and give them twenty, forty dollars, don't even bother because they're not going to appreciate it and just save your money. You know, I've never given someone a twenty dollar tip or forty dollar tip when I've hit something and they look like they, you know, I've actually had people tur- like turn their back. Or not even say thank you. That's the worst. Yeah, I've had that too. Just I've had it where they just like snatch it out of my hand and storm off. It. So yeah, and again, you know, keep in mind one of their main jobs of why they're there is to process jackpots. <laughs> I mean, they're not like cooking you a stew. They're not serving you, you know, appetizers and drinks. I mean, they, you know, that's their job. That's why they're there. In fact, the majority of them are all over the floor for two reasons: to either change the little Tito tickets when they run out in a machine, you know little 
tickets you get when you cash out. They'll open it up or they walk around waiting for someone to hit jackpots. Like that's their job. That's why they're there. So that's a whole nother story. So, but anyhow, uh, that's still good news for anyone that likes to play slots, video poker, five thousands, well overdue. And I think with that, uh, I've done my Vegas news and I thank you for, I mean, I know it's probably a slow news line, slow news week anyhow, but I appreciate, uh, you giving me the opportunity, and I'm trying to think. Well, before you go on, and we, we still have two more topics to yeah. cover anyway, but uh, I want to comment on this, yeah, the, the 1,200 to 5,000. Uh, there's yeah, definitely a lot of support for this by casinos for a lot of different reasons. And uh, now there's been a lot of talk about this for years of changing it, and it hasn't gone through. So every time I hear about this, I don't get too excited. Though this one looks more serious than the ones in the past. But but still, don't get your hopes up too much because I've seen these fail many times before. But here are the reasons that the casinos hate hand pays. Number one, it kills the gambling momentum. So it's very exciting for the player to hit a big hand on video poker or hit a slot kind of you know, medium jackpot that type of thing, and watching the credit counter rise way up, especially if you were getting near zero and then you watch it all the way up. Very exciting. I'll tell you what's not exciting. Sitting around for 15, 20 minutes to wait for a casino employee to come over uh, and have you sign forms and, uh, and then eventually get paid in cash. And then you know, you've waited all this time. The machine's locked up. So you uh, that, that's not exciting to have that happen. That's much less exciting than watching the whole thing rise up in credits and then being able to continue playing with that much higher balance. Number two, yep. along the same lines, it gives gamblers a cooling off period to possibly quit. Casinos want gamblers to keep pressing their luck. They want them to maybe play even bigger, feeling they're getting lucky. What they don't want is the person to sit there for 10 to 20 minutes of downtime where they twiddle their thumbs and think, you know what, this might be enough for the night. Okay, I'm done. They, they want the person, they want the gambler to be in the mood to keep pressing. They don't want anything to stop that. Number three, it discourages play at higher limits. Now, certain high limit machines can be set to not lock up after every hand and, and then only go into hand pay mode when the person hits cash out. But that has to be done that has to be set like that at the player's request and the casino has to agree it's not automatic so the problem with a lot of high and middle high limit machines is that a lot of ordinary type hits on the machine will be more than twelve hundred dollars and trigger this uh hand pay and and gamblers hate that and so they'll just avoid these higher stakes machines also but like you said there's a technology now where you can not have to do to sign something every time, but you saying? have to ask them for right, it. Sorry, though it, it, it doesn't right. just happen automatically. Uh, number four, right? It, it it eats the money via tips. These you know those tips we just talked about, where they expect the hand pays every time you hit one, that otherwise might get lost back to the casino. So the casino would rather this goes in their pockets than the slot attendants. Number five, it makes gamblers feel uncomfortable and annoys them if they don't know how much they need to tip in order to satisfy these hand pay employees. So as we just mentioned, uh, gamblers can feel very frustrated. Instead of being thrilled, they just hit something that's fairly big. 
they end up feeling very awkward around this handpay employee, either feeling like they're being treated like a cheap ingrate for not tipping enough or over tipping to prevent that and feeling like they're giving away way too much money in tips just to be uh, socially acceptable. So uh, you got to save money. You got to save money for parking, too. Yeah. So, so casinos don't want gamblers. They don't want their happiness with hitting one of these things ruined by, by this type of bullshit. And then number six, um, this makes losing gamblers angry that they have to justify a win to the IRS and sometimes even pay taxes on it when they actually lost. So, uh, you know, you're, you're down $3,000. You, you hit a jackpot that's uh, $1,600. you are down 1400 But the paperwork shows you won 1600 So then you've got to uh, try to find a way on your taxes, if possible, to not have to pay the taxes on that, quote, win, that was really a loss. So that makes losing gamblers very frustrated, and the less of this, the better. And without these hand pays, these forms don't exist. So uh, raising the threshold helps that as well. And uh, also, number seven, last one here, it can make the player into a target. Some players do not like the attention of hitting something big, or not necessarily big, but even medium, and so you're sitting here waiting for the hand pay, and the bells are ringing, and, and then the they lights co- are going off. Lights are going off, and they're, and, they're, and they're coming off and paying you, and then you'll have people looking at what you won, so then the, the gamblers have to worry are they going to be followed to the parking element, lot. Shady element crowding around you. They crowd around you. They'll beg you for money. They, they might follow you to the parking lot. A lot of people just don't, don't want this to be seen or known. They don't want the attention. So that's another problem. So these are all reasons... The casino wants this raised, and it should be because it should keep up with inflation. There's no reason just because it was set for 1200 in 1977 that uh, now that 1200 is worth 5000 or it's the other way, now that 5000 is worth 1200 in 1977, that uh, they don't adjust that. So they should definitely have adjusted it a long time ago. I hope it happens, and that's all I have to say about that. All right, next one, and then I'm, I'm, I am done. Jeff, I want you to redeem yourself once and for all. I know this hasn't been talked about on the show, but I'm going to ask you. Okay, well, actually, you know what? I'll ask Trader Ruski first, because that's like the thousand to one shot that he knows what I'm about talking about. Trader Ruski, and I love you like a brother, Trader Ruski, but you don't even know the own governor. Are you there with us, buddy? Oh, buddy. Trader I'm here, Ruski. but I'm starting to fade. How could you be fading? Yeah, I thought you just woke up. What? Fading. I woke up at two. I'm gonna. I may have to go back to sleep. Ah, boy. Okay. Oh, yeah. You did well. Okay. So listen. We can let you go after this. Uh, You know, I gotta go roughly too soon. But let me ask you: Are you familiar with Project Jackpot Intercept? No. Okay. What do you think Project Jackpot Intercept is? I have no clue. All right, go back to sleep, buddy. But thank you for tuning in. You've made this a uh, splendid show with your contributions and your answers. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Brother, uh, go back, get some sleep. I'm sure you got a big day tomorrow, and, you know, we got March Madness and all that going on. So do you, do you have any parting words, Trader Ruski, before we move on here? Do you want a, anything going on in Trader Ruski's life? Uh, Druff drove by your house last week. He was right by the San Episcopo Road leading into your compound. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No, I didn't have any time to yeah. stop. Otherwise, I would have messaged you. But yeah, I, I, I did go through uh, San Luis Obispo. Yeah. All right. Good night, Trader Ruski. Or anything okay, else, Trader Ruski? You want to give I'll... a shout out to anyone? No, I'm good. Something of this. You guys. You're reading. 
Oh, is, is there perhaps a uh, a men's group meeting at seven in the morning? Oh, he does. It's at six. At six. Six. Yeah, not a yeah. That's funny. All right, Traderus, you call me. Listen. Uh-huh. On the weekend, what's going on on the weekend? No, today's. I'm saying I'll call you later. This today. is the weekend. weekend. Yeah. All right. I'll, oh yeah. Tech. I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is. But I mean, okay. <laughs> Trader Risky, call me later. Let's talk March Madness. Get some rest, buddy. Yep. Study up on your uh, local state uh, politicians and whatnot when you can. Okay. Very good. I want to know who the California right. state treasurer is soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Cool. All right. I druff. Yeah. You're a smart man. You got a memory like an elephant. I don't think we, you've ever talked about this. What is Project Jackpot Intercept? Actually, I don't know what that is. I know of a Project SEP, but that's got to be different. So, out of the 20 most, uh, by volume, states with slot machines that aren't Indian casinos. So, you know, take the top 20 states that have casino gambling you know, by the number of individual slot machines they have. Again, non-gambling. And 19 of them are a part of Project Jackpot Intercept. There's only one state that isn't. And that one state, of course, is what state? Nevada? Nevada. Yeah. What Project Jackpot Intercept is, in 19 states, they have a database and a law that I guess they all work together to enforce in which if you hit a jackpot, and this is going along with what we just talked about, jackpot. If you hit any kind of jackpot at all, the first thing they do is run your name through this database. And if you owe any child support to any of those states, your jackpot is withheld from you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah. That's why uh, Bad Guy 23 should not play any slot machines oh, outside Jesus. of Nevada. Oh, Jesus. All right. So the only state that isn't a part of this that has. You know, in the top twenty again of volume. I know it's a weird kind of category. What I mean is, what you know, maybe there are a couple states that only have a couple hundred slot machines, or only one Indian, whatever. Maybe okay. So Nevada is not part of it and hasn't been uh, for a number of years. This isn't something something relatively new within like the last five to ten years, but not you know something that you know has been going on for fifty years, uh, or nor has it been going on for only a year. You know, there's been a pilot program for quite some time. So. In the article that I'm reading, Harris, a, a spokesman for Harris, uh, said <laughs> that, uh, and there was a couple, you know, I don't know, women lobbyists that were giving all the reasons why Nevada should do this. Harris' response was, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not Harris, okay? Harris, is he's the spokesman for Nevada Gaming, said, we haven't done enough studying to determine who's hitting our jackpots to make it feasible to install this program. That's in essence what he said. Uh, so my thinking is, okay. And this, again, it's been, this has been proposed in Nevada for a number of years and it never, never gets any muster, any steam. My thinking is they just don't want to come out and say, they don't want people coming to Nevada and getting turned off because they know if they hit a jackpot, or if they win, they're not even going to get any of it. So they rather kind of just look the other way. Yeah, of course. Kind of almost like, uh, a slot jackpot kind of like don't ask don't tell policy. yes that, that's we what it is clinton and clinton was a president it's a jackpot don't ask and we won't tell you 
that's the only thing that would make sense to me. Why else wouldn't they want? Yeah, to that's why because it doesn't do them. Any, it it doesn't benefit them any because there's a lot of people coming from out of state. It's not really helping their own residents very much. So they're they're going to end up helping other states, which they don't give a crap about. They they want to take care of their own. They do, they don't want anything which is going to discourage people from coming to Vegas and losing money. Sure. So people, if you're out there, and I'm not saying, listen, you should support your kids, but just be aware. You end up going to, uh, I don't know, what's the one where you had a horse race in your son's name once? What no, that was at on? Harris, Philadelphia. You're at Harris, Philadelphia, and you're feeling a little lucky, but you're a little bit in the rears taking care of Johnny Boy and, and you know, uh, Monique. You hit a jackpot, you're not getting that money. All right, so I'll just ask you this real fast. And it's not an ethical thing. I know you both. You know, you and I both agree, obviously, parents should take care of their kids. Child support should be paid. That's not the question. But the question I'm going to ask you is, do you think that this should be installed in Vegas? Do um, you think that they should have a pro? Do you think if you are, okay, so do you think if you are arrears, it doesn't, it doesn't say like, you know, a month, three months. So let's just assume even a month. You know, it doesn't say how long you have to be for to be confiscated. But do you think if you're in arrears of child support and you need a jackpot just not even principle wise but i don't know maybe it's more the invasion of privacy i don't know whatever what is your argument uh, for it or against it how do you stand on that i have kind of mixed feelings on this i i actually think that if they're going to do this it needs to be more than just child support because uh that that is one form hold hold on hold on sorry i don't mean to interrupt let me ask you it this way then if you were the head of whatever head of gaming that had to approve it you were the man Okay, to decide. It came down to you. What would you do? If it was your choice to install it for the entire state of Nevada, what would you exactly do? See, I know the motivation here is for the state of Nevada to make more money. And uh, so the reason I'm answering this way here is because it would depend what uh, my motivation was. If if, If my motivation as the one who would be in the position to make this decision would be, I, I want Nevada to, I want the economy to do as well as possible. And sometimes you have to make decisions which uh, prevents individuals from collecting money that they're legitimately owed. And uh, uh, if, if, if we make, if we put this in place, it's going to hurt our state's economy. So we can't be the superhero for other states. So we're just not going to do it. Uh, that, that would be, the argument to not do it, and if if that's what you feel your job is, is to make the state the most money possible legally, then uh, that that would be the right decision. If you're, if you're doing from the standpoint like you think of all the people who are owed child support, mostly women who are struggling to get by, and uh, and then their irresponsible uh, baby daddies are just uh, gambling money away and not sending the child support they're supposed to send. Uh, you can have compassion for these people and, and say, you know, we really need to put another hurdle in for these people to dodge child support and, and to make it tougher for them yeah. when they try to do that. So I can see both sides of this. My problem, as I was saying, is that I think it should either not be done or it should be a system that encompasses more than just child support. What about legally owed judgments? You know, there's a judgment owed to me right now that you guys know about with uh, Mike Possum. Some of the bitches do that to you. And, and uh, I would love to have something in the system that whenever Mike Possum 
wins any kind of jackpot, that it would automatically be paid to me for the judgment. Instead, I would have to be aware that that's coming and then uh, quickly get paperwork filed to garnish it. But a lot, usually you don't know it's coming and, and he can claim he lost it back before I could touch it. So the, these are real challenges when there's money owed to you by someone who's hard to collect from that is still gambling a lot. And I, I don't think child support should be unique to this. And you may say, well, wait a minute, of course it should be unique. You know, supporting a child, what could be more noble than that? Well, the problem is child support. I've seen both sides of child support where I've seen deadbeat dads just completely leaving the mom high and dry and the mom has to pay for all the support, not only pay, but they have to do everything. And then, you know, the, the, the dad doesn't put in his part no matter what he's uh, legally required to do. And it's, and it's very fair that, that he should get paid for, uh, or that she should get paid for everything she's doing to support the kid. I've seen that. And I've also seen the other end where there's been abuse of the system to force one of the two spouses to overpay. And by the way, in one case, I've seen it where the woman was forced to pay the child support. That wasn't justified, where the guy was just lazy and didn't want to work. Right. And and was able to uh, basically trick the court into making her send him uh, alimony and child support every month that totally wasn't justified. This was a guy with with a career that he could have gone back to work and made good money at any time, and he made up all kinds of bullshit why he couldn't, and she was on the hook for it, and it was terrible. So I And I've seen this, of course, I've seen uh, men do this to uh, to women as well. Uh, I've seen it the other way around, too, where where women have uh, um, exploited men for ridiculous child support. In fact, also, I'm I'm personally against the whole lifestyle thing. I I think there there should be a ceiling to that, where just because someone's very rich doesn't mean that if there's a divorce, that the child should live that identical lifestyle with the other parent. They, They shouldn't there should be some standard to where they they don't go from the uh, the rich dad to the mom in in, in, a, in a, you know the poor mom in a in a terrible neighborhood back and forth. There should be some kind of uh, right. uh, standard, but it it shouldn't be seeking to be equal. There has to be some kind of ceiling, but a lot of times it isn't, and that's why sometimes you see these outrageous child support payments that rich guys have to make. To gold diggers they were once married to. I've seen this abused so many times, both with people I know personally and just stories I've read in the news. So I've seen both sides. There's, there's deadbeat dads who abuse it from that standpoint, and then there's uh, people who abuse it just to extract money out of their ex that they don't deserve. So I, I th- right. and of course, in, in all court judgments, there are ones that are too low and too high. So I don't think there's something unique about child support that deserves to be in the system and all other judgments don't. That, that's how I feel about it. But I can understand, yeah. like if there were a system where you could enter into, if, you're, if you have a court judgment against someone and you could enter this into a system where if that someone were to hit a jackpot that you would get it, I think I would actually support that. Because it would uh, make life tougher on those who dodge their debts, dodge their legal debts, so their legal judgments at yes. least. So um, th- that's that's where I could see doing it. I just I just don't like when just one thing is picked out of the hat because people have an emotional connection to it. So you hear child support, 
you automatically think of the uh, the hard working working woman who's just getting by to support her kid while the dad gallivants uh, between casinos and gambles like a degenerate and doesn't send her anything. And that happens. That definitely happens. But that's not the only situation. So, yeah, I that, agree. Now, Gruff, in your uh, old stomping grounds, this is just off the wire, actually. It's a very sad day this morning as people wake up in the greater Lake Tahoe area. Do you know why? No. A legendary hotel and casino announced yesterday they're shuttering their doors. Hmm. And I'm going to be honest to you, Druff. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to be honest to you. I've been to Tahoe a lot of uh, often uh funny enough the majority of the time i went was before i moved here i went to tahoe almost every year from my early teens up until maybe when i was in 20 i think i've been to tahoe maybe six or seven times since i've lived here but i've been to tahoe a lot and to be honest i don't think i've ever heard nor seen this casino hotel that the article saying is legendary uh that announced it's shuttering its doors today so that, that's a hint you know hmm. this casino hotel? No, I probably don't then. If, if you haven't heard of it, I'm going to have trouble coming up with it probably. I'll probably have heard of it once the you Lake say it. The Lake Tahoe Biltmore. The Lake Tahoe Biltmore? Yeah, I don't know what that is either. I, I've never... The Lake Tahoe Biltmore Hotel and Casino announced that they plan to close their doors. The wind down will begin immediately per required under regulations by Nevada Gaming that will begin on April 23rd and then will close for good at 5 a.m. on April 30th. Developers say demolition will then occur of the aging and deteriorating hotel and casino. Uh, The company that's bought it plans to rebuild it and rebrand it as a non-casino luxury resort with residences in its place. Okay, I'll 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 tell you why I haven't heard of it and why you haven't heard of it. Lake Tahoe is a lot bigger than people think it is. I'm talking about the lake itself. So Lake Tahoe is a fairly large lake by Western standards. It's nothing like the Great Lakes in the east, but it's uh, by Western standards, it's a pretty large lake. And it's actually uh, spans both uh, part of California and part of Nevada. Now, there's basically... Uh, various areas surrounding Lake Tahoe, but when people talk about Lake Tahoe, they typically mean the city of Stateline, which is not Prim. They, they had, Prim used to call itself Stateline. They had to change that because of this confusion. But Stateline is the city that that has Harris and Harvey's and Mont Blue, and that's usually what you think of. And that's actually the southeast corner of Lake Tahoe, and that's where the Heavenly Ski Resort is as well. And then the California side, which is uh, right next to State Line, you know, literally walking distance from from Harris, is called South Lake Tahoe. So that's the Lake Tahoe most people think of, and most people, unless they know the area well, don't realize there's a lot more to Lake Tahoe than that. So there's other areas of it. If you drive directly north, then you will end up in the Incline Village area, which is the like northwest corner. But I just thought I, I just thought I knew every casino at least. Now, well, no, I'll explain why though. Because it's surprising to know there's a casino I never even heard. Yeah, of. well, that's because it's uh, it's right there you know, on marketing. The, some, you know what I mean? Like marketing wise, advertisements. Yeah. 
Yeah, that surprises me a little bit too that I hadn't heard of it. But but it's it's right on the border of Nevada and California, but on the other side, on the very north end of Lake Tahoe, like the north center part of Lake Tahoe, kind of by Incline Village, but a little southwest of there. So that's another part of Lake Tahoe. Then the California side of Lake Tahoe, people really don't think of because there's no gambling there. So like Tahoe City, right. which is on the west side, has that and the North Star Resort is around there. The North Star Resort is a ski resort that is uh in that whole area by uh, by Tahoe City and Kings Beach and it's a, it's it's inland from there, but that's the general area. Now, do you know about the weird story that came from North Star Ski Resort in December involving a death? Mm-hmm. This is very strange. I don't think I do. Tell me, maybe, did we talk about it on there? No, no. But I posted about it on the forum at one point, but it's very weird. Um, okay, go ahead. Tell me. So there is a skier at the resort who is not a tourist. It's uh, actually a guy who managed a ski shop in Truckee, which is a little bit uh, northwest of where North Star is. So it was a local who skied a whole lot. He was an expert skier. And he decided to ski at North Star on Christmas Eve which was a very stormy and snowy day. Windy and snowy, and he, he went to the resort anyway. And then he scanned his pass at a chairlift at 11.30 a.m. while he was at the resort. That was the last anyone saw of him. He just vanished into thin air. So the theory was, for about two weeks, that it was pretty much like a whiteout when he was trying to ski. It was, it was so windy and, and snowy that he couldn't see where he was going, and probably had an accident and uh, fell off of a, a cliff somewhere at the resort. And no one was there to see it. And he's probably buried in snow. And somehow, you know, at some point when the snow melts, he'll be found. And that'll be the story. Well, that wasn't the story. He was found about two weeks later. He was found. His body was found. It was, it was buried in snow. But then it hadn't snowed for about two weeks. So then some snow melted and they found his body. Not at North Star Resort. But he was found three weeks or two weeks later, three miles away in a residential neighborhood, dead. Now it is very hard to walk with ski equipment. Like walking three miles is not easy. Even forget the storm. Just even without a storm, walking three miles with ski equipment iron is not easy. It's not like walking three miles normally. So. It doesn't appear he tried to make any phone calls. And it doesn't look like any foul play was involved. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with this. Yep, I know. And the, and the guy's truck was still parked at North Star, so he didn't drive it there. And he was found I not too far from from houses. Yeah, so, so it's never been determined fully what happened there. But the best That's guess is that he got uh, disoriented in some way because of the cold the cold and the storm and all that, and got lost, and then was wandering around trying to find a way, uh, tr- trying to find help, and he just barely missed being able to find it. Like, he he, fi- he got to that residential neighborhood, but didn't quite make it to anyone's door to knock on it, and just collapsed and died. So, it's a weird story. You don't well, see listen, things like I that. I will say this, though. Okay, and you tell me, true or false, as I remember legend has it, to this day, there's a young girl that used to work at a pizza parlor in Lake Tahoe that one day a haggard 
starving, cold. Todd Dandruff would tell us, wandered in, in the middle of a blizzard. He ordered a large pizza. Upon receiving the pizza, the girl left for a moment to go take another order. And then within minutes of checking on Druff, the pizza was gone. And she said to him, who stole your pizza? And Druff said, no one stole my pizza. I ate it. And she said, it's impossible. No one can eat a whole 24-inch pizza in less than five minutes. And Druff to this day still claims he was that hungry and that malnourished from that blizzard trip of being locked in a hotel room that he ate that whole pizza in under five minutes. Well, you're close. It, it, was, it, it was a 16-inch pizza, not 24. And okay. it was about 10 minutes. But other than that, you're correct. that uh, It was actually supposed to be a takeout pizza. And I walked over there in, the, in this... In a blizzard, though. You're right, blizzard, in a blizzard. So, so I walked over there, and then I, uh, they said, this is, this is takeout, right? I said, yeah. And I go, oh, wait a minute. It's, it's 10 degrees outside and snowing. I can't take this out. I can't walk this back to Harris. It'll be, it'll be frozen. So I said, never mind. It's, it's eat in. Sorry about that confusion here. So they said, okay. So they sat me down. They placed it in front of me. They, uh, uh, you know, they put a water down in front of me. And she walked away. And 10 minutes later, she came back. And the pizza was gone. And she said, what, what, what happened to the pizza? Where, where, where'd it go? And I said, I ate it. She says, what? How could you have eaten it so fast? I've hardly been gone. So I was very hungry. I was out there in the cold today. So, yeah, it was uh, the reason that it happened was because I was out there skiing the entire day and it was cold and it wasn't that windy, but I kind of like created my own wind by skiing down the hill fast. And also the chairlift makes its own wind. So that was enough when it was like 15 degrees the whole day to kind of just build up on me. And I actually had lost. I probably had like a mild hypothermia going on where it wasn't dangerous, but like I had wow. lost body heat. And my body wanted food very badly. So, um, so, so that's why I just kind of went after the pizza just super fast and ate the whole thing. I didn't even think about it. I just, uh, let me tell Yeah. When she just came Maybe. to me and said, where did it all go? I was like, Oh wow. I, I did eat that fast. I can't believe that. Now, now weren't you, weren't you trapped up there? Weren't you like, I was, home, but you couldn't, I, I was trapped for, for 10 days. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, if you had to be trapped by yourself uh, for 10 days? Yeah. Okay, so let's just add to this here now. If you had to be trapped by yourself for, we'll say, three weeks, okay, and you can't, not at home, okay, and it's alone, can't have your significant other, no son, no Ken Scaler, Master <laughs> Scaler, where would be your ideal place in Anywhere in the world that you've been to, though, it can't be something, oh, I want to, you know, somewhere you've been, okay, so like a specific location, you're trapped three weeks, so you're safe, you know, but, you know, whatever, you know, you're not like, you know, outside in the forest, but you know what I'm saying. Trapped, for, for instance, so like, you know, Tahoe, where would you pick to be trapped? And we'll say it's the same thing. We'll say w- weather. The reason why you're trapped is weather or some sort of natural disaster, like, you know, a hurricane. Uh, well, that would change tsunami, it because uh, I, I would flooding. I would pick something that's that's a nice place to be at outside. But like, no, give me, but tell me, get tell me where. Like, 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 say, like, give me, like, like, uh, like on the the uh, in Hawaii, tell, the Big Island, or so. Like you'd be like the Marriott Hawaii or the Four Seasons. Where where would the place be that you'd want to be trapped? 
uh, for three weeks. Hmm, that, that'd be it's a long time. But uh, so the okay. But I I was wondering if it would be a casino. It would not be a casino. No, it wouldn't be because I I would no, it would get depressing after a while. Like I was a when. I would get sick of it pretty fast, to be honest. Like, I wasn't thrilled about the whole thing in Tahoe, but I, I knew it was going to happen, and I just, I was going to earn seven star, and I just committed myself to it. And I, I but I, I wasn't thrilled. And I did ski at the beginning and end of that whole thing, so I, I, I did have that, but I couldn't ski in the middle because it was okay. so stormy. But, uh, okay. You know, it, it's one of these things where I, I wouldn't want it to be a casino unless the weather was so bad I couldn't do anything outside, then I would want it to be a casino because then at least there's something to do. Now, now let's turn it up a notch. Currently, as it stands now, meaning today, you had to either be trapped for three weeks indoors, okay, and you're you have full access to every amenity that's in the casino. Like you know, whatever restaurants are currently there, they'll be open, full menu, but you can't go outside. Okay, three weeks. Do you pick Commerce the way it is now? Though again, that's the key here. <laughs> or would you pick? Or would you pick the Orleans? In Vegas, <laughs> yeah, it's a good. Tell me, that's a good question, right? That is a good question. I, know, I think, I think, if it was commerce, circa however many years ago, you would have picked commerce. So, one hundred percent would be commerce. One sixty, I'll make some money. I'll play one hundred, two hundred. Maybe they'll be tired. I'll pump it up. But now you're going there. It's a fail site. Commerce is a fail site. And listen, Druff, like I said, you once lost your car at the Rio on lunch break. Every time you lose your player's card, it's five bucks too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making. I'm just saying you. You, you have a propensity. Well, an, another problem is there's there's not much as far as uh, food options there. There's like a number of little fast food things, but there's like only one real restaurant there. So well, that, whatever's open at full capacity is still open. But yeah. Yeah, or but the then the Orleans. I don't even what I do though. Like I guess I could. I know. I guess I could watch movies and. Uh, and you can't. You can't just sit in your room on the internet. Like you'd have to be out of your room. For we'll say twelve hours a day. No, I should be out of my room. No, then I'd have to use commerce because at least at least I could go subsist in the twenty forty game and not go crazy. Okay, last one I'll do, and then we'll be done. Would you pick if it came down to the old Hollywood Park, okay, casino poker room, or assuming there is a hotel there, or the Plaza downtown? And, the, and when I say the Hollywood Park, I mean everything that comes with it now. Do you remember the char- cast of characters? Oh, yeah. When did that place? Uh, so you get you get the 2000-ish era, Hollywood Park, or you get the Plaza downtown. I think I may have to go with the Plaza on that one. Okay. And then this will be the last one I'm going to give you. Okay. Would you pick the old, oh, Jesus, what is it called? Uh, what's what's the what's the hotel? It's it's torn down now. The hotel in Skid Row with all the murders and the crazy stories. Uh, uh, we talked about it. Uh, with, with the, the girl was found, the Asian girl was found dead in the water pipe. Um, oh my God, we we called them before. We prank called them on the old radio show. Come on, how don't you know this? This is in your city. Uh, I, I'm forgetting now. I got a Google. It was a long time ago. You know what ago. I'm talking about? Yeah, it was a long time ago, though. Uh, oh, uh, oh, the Cecil. The Cecil. Do you not even remember this? Yeah, I remember it, yeah. There was like there was like three serial killers that had stayed there. Okay. 
So you either have to stay for a week at the Cecil or the worst hostel in Las Vegas downtown. <laughs> now you can stay in now you can stay indoors. You're not forced to go outside. But you either have to stay at the Cecil in its prime. And listen, I'll be honest, I've never been there, but I've read about some of these hostels in Vegas. They literally have like twelve dollar a night hostels here. I don't know if you know that. And it ain't uh it ain't looking too uh too good there, kiddo. I, I think it'd actually take the Cecil. Oh, okay. Fair enough. All right. So before we get off this uh, Biltmore Tahoe, I didn't know anything about it, and I did a quick Google search, and I think I can see why it's being tore down. Three months ago, Carlos Larios, Google review. The room was so dirty, the TV didn't work. Winnie at the front desk, she's a old bag, okay? <laughs> Totally rude. Who calls women old bags anymore? Totally rude. I don't know why if she works there. I don't know why she works there if she is so miserable. One star out of five. Matthew Gillarducci, two months ago. Very, very disgusting place. Filthy. Furniture is trashed. You don't want to touch anything. I found a cup with water and ashes inside my room. I feel like I need to sanitize my body after staying here. I won't do it again. Okay, now here's another one four months ago. Josh Shane, no no air conditioner in the room, no hair dryer. The rooms haven't been updated since the Missoula flood. I don't even know when that was or what that was. We checked <laughs> in and got a room that didn't match what we paid for. Uh, the old woman behind the desk was just nasty. I guess that's Winnie the old bag. Oh, Winnie. Honestly, why does she work here if she hates her job so much? Surely she should be in a retirement home by now. <laughs> I must say the rest of the staff was nice, but that woman at the front desk makes this dumpy hotel so much worse. Okay? All right. J- Jacob Delica, five months ago. First off, this is the worst hotel experience I've ever dealt with in my life, and I am 75. There is no AC, so they had to give us a fan. Also, we didn't even get soap or shampoo. We had to go out and buy our own. Lastly, we had to fix the toilet by a plunger that they gave us. P.S. The carpet was not clean and the room had a bad odor. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah, well, it, that sounds like they let it go downhill. Yeah, the, the Biltmore many years ago was uh, known to be a brand, like a luxury brand, but Obviously, that's not the case. That that has happened to a well, lot of. Next week, if we get on early enough, let's try to call and talk to Winnie and get. To yeah, the we should. We should try to call Winnie. <laughs> they said the one guy called her an old bag, and the other said she should be in a retirement. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Pretty funny. So, I, I don't know. Any, I just was shocked. I, I just thought I knew every casino there. Or at least I'd heard the name, but. Uh, and when you hear Biltmore, you know, there's, I've been, to, I've stayed, I've been to the Biltmore in Miami. You would think, you know, that's a nice name. Have you ever been to a Biltmore before? Yeah, but it's a long time ago. See, I think this is one of those names that once meant something, like in the 80s, and, and then has gone downhill, and a lot of these places uh, haven't renovated or kept the place up. And I, I'm always concerned about this whenever I see that there's a once esteemed brand that is still operating and it's been around for a long time. Sometimes they survive on that. When whenever I see a lot of people complaining that it's run down or old or dirty, 
and that they went there because they remembered it being a good brand. That's why I stay away because the, the last thing I want to do is go to a hotel that was once nice in 1985. That doesn't do me any good today. It's, it's kind of like uh, dating a, a girl that was, was hot 35 years ago. You know, like that, that, doesn't, that does you not, not, no good right now. So, same concept. They hate this one. Another person, get rid of the... Someone else used the term old bag. There <laughs> must be old people staying here, because isn't that... That expression... Yeah, is that like, is an older thing. Like you know, you know maybe, maybe Winnie was hot back in, like, the mid-80s. Maybe that... Uh, she's gone downhill wow. with a hotel. And Lake Tahoe gets hot. They, they have 100 degrees. Oh, yeah. And it does, in fact, I was there... During a heat wave in uh, 2017, I was there in the summer, and it was 90 degrees. It's, it wasn't common, but it can happen. And it doesn't have to be 90 to need AC. You can need AC when it's way cooler than 90, especially if the sun is beating yeah, down in your room. Not a hotel. How can it, the most common complaint on here is no AC. I wonder if it's broken or if they... How can they not have AC there? Because... AC became more and more common over time. This wasn't something that was standard everywhere, and older hotels sometimes just don't have it in places that aren't, like, really hot. So I've seen this a lot. In fact, I stayed at a hotel in Colorado when I took my Colorado trip last summer that had no AC, and the shameful thing was that they renovated it in 1992. Now, how do you do a 1992 renovation and not put AC everywhere? So the funny thing, there were all these signs in the room about how you don't need AC, that this is a, that this place just naturally stays cool. It was bullshit. It got very. The first day was a cool day, but the second day was a hot day, and the place got very hot. And as I was checking out, I heard some guy complaining about it. I heard this guy checking in, going, "Well, uh, can you give me a room that has air conditioning? Like, do you have any air conditioning here? Because last time I was so hot." And then they're like, "Well, look, we're renovating now." By next year, like half the room should have air conditioning. So, like the whole sign in the room was bullshit. Obviously, if they're renovating now to put AC in, and it was bullshit because the second day it got quite hot there. So, that's incredible. That that's what happened. Any older hotel that isn't in an area that's always hot will often not have AC, and that can be a problem. I'm not saying it's common to find no AC. I'm saying it's not as shocking as you think it is in a place like Tahoe. Yeah. I would. I mean, you know, I've been to places like Laguna Beach, where you know, I, I get it, it's California, but I, I've stayed in a couple of hotels in Laguna Beach, and they none of them have air conditioning. It's just not like a thing. Well, that it's is common, uh, like right on the beach, because oh. what happens is the the ocean moderates both the hot and the cold, so those right. beach areas will sometimes uh, never get too hot and never get too cold. So. They, they need heat because it, it still gets cold enough at night in the winter where it'll get very cold in the room if they don't heat it. But they can get away without AC except on a few fluke days per year. So they will sometimes not have it in places like Laguna Beach. But uh, anything that's not like right on the water needs it. Yeah. Huh. Okay, let, let's let's move on. I want to discuss these last two topics okay, here. Okay, la- last thing. Last thing, la- last thing, and then we're done for sure. You do your little Druff Theater time. Uh, and that's that's good. And I know you also are a Vegas historian. Uh, I'm just going to ask you briefly because this was in the Las Vegas Review, Review Journal recently. If I say the name Rick Tabish to you, what does that mean? Who is Rick Tabish? He, he was the one who was involved in the the murder of uh, uh, of Ted Binion. Very good. 
So he was in the news recently because he has become now he he always came from a rich family, but he has been been in the news lately because he apparently made an absolute killing in what market? What do you think? In the, in the last few years, what would you guess? In crypto. Crypto, and he is building right now in North Dakota, which is his home state, the most expensive. I don't even know how this is possible. The most expensive call center in the world, which uh, he claims is going to cost over $2 billion, which he's funding himself with pro- proceeds from crypto. Um, anyhow, I was more curious. Have you ever talked about that whole thing on radio, the Rick Tabbitt? No, we should probably that talk about it sometime. I don't want to get into it now. And, but, and yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I know that. So I moved here right at the height, like right when that started. And that to us is like. I don't even know. I mean, I'd say it's like our OJ trial, but it was almost even bigger. I mean, that was that's probably the biggest trial, the most sensational trial that's ever occurred in the state of Nevada. And it's kind of interesting what happened, where everyone ended up now. Um, and I thought of it because of Laguna Beach. Uh, do you remember Rick Tavish's lover slash Ted Binion's girlfriend? Do you remember her name? I'm forgetting it right now. Sandra Murphy. She runs an art gallery in Laguna Beach. Uh, Rick Tabish now, obviously, uh, is starting a or funding a $2 billion call center. But I think when you do one of your, whether I'm here or not, when you do one of your Vegas lore stories, you know, because that's over 20 years old, uh, I would talk about that. That's a really interesting whole story. Uh, they serve prison, and then they later get a, got acquitted. They got caught in the middle of the night. They li- He literally... Do you remember where where do you remember why they got arrested initially? It wasn't even for the murder because initially the corner. Well, yeah, they they were they were getting this uh, silver. They got caught digging up his silver, which he just buried literally in a vacant lot in Vegas or in in Pahrump. Like it wasn't even on his own property. Like there was just like an area, like a thing of land that was out nowhere, and he buried like several billion or several million dollars of silver. Anyhow. Talk about that sometimes. That's just a great story. So anyhow, uh, again, thank you for your time and, and letting me do the Vegas stuff. Uh, I'll stick with you. I know you said I'm sorry. Two more things. There was one about the guy before you, the World Series bracelet, getting arrested, and then the other one was what? About, about the Caesars match with Wyndham. Okay. All right. So listen, I'm going to get a small snack. So you start off, and then I'm going to mute myself, obviously. But I'll be here. I'll be listening, and I'll interject. But you okay. take over. You've given me a lot of airtime. Again, thank you for your uh, for your gracious uh, hospitality tonight. Hey, well, um, thanks. Thanks for coming on here. Sure, so. are we even on the air? Yeah, yeah sure we're, we're here. Now it's going. We only, we only lost 30 seconds, so we're fine. The archives, it'll be fixed. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, let's do... Uh, which one's more interesting? Well, no, I'm just gonna I, I'm, I'm just gonna do an order here. So we're gonna be doing the uh, the bracelet winner who got arrested. It's not a long story, but yeah, do it. Okay, okay, go ahead, go on. So I won a bracelet on July 4th, 2005. It was event number 36, and it was three thousand dollar limit hold'em. I've talked about that many times in this show, and I looked at uh, card player after that to see uh, if there was an article about it, and there was. In fact, I was featured very prominently on cardplayer.com, which is a very big site for poker news back then. Still is somewhat. And uh, 
Then I saw the following day that there was somebody else who had just won a bracelet, his first and only bracelet. And it was John Hennigan. But wait, but wait, not Johnny World Hennigan. Not the well-known John Hennigan. No, 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 no. This was John Hennigan spelled differently. The last name was spelled H-E-N-E-G-H-A-N. The well-known John Hennigan is just John Hennigan the way you would expect it to be spelled. This one is spelled like John Hennigan. And I had so many people who were fans of poker that would contact me about my bracelet win. And they say, oh, did you see right after you, John Hennigan won another bracelet? I go, no, 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 no. It's not John Hennigan. They said, no, no, it is. I saw it. I go, no, no. It's John Hennigan. They said, what? I said, John Hennigan. Look at the spelling. It's not the same guy. No, no, it's John Hennigan. I go, no, 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 it's not. It's John Hennigan. No, there's not two John Hennigans. No, 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 there is. I didn't know it either, but there apparently is a second John Hennigan who spells his name differently, like John Hennigan. That was the only thing I knew about John Hennigan, was that he was the guy who won the bracelet right after mine. He won event 37 in 2005. I won event number 36 in 2005. He won the $1,000 No Limit Hold'em. And I won the $3,000 limit hold'em. But his began a day, or it be, it, yeah, it began and ended a day after mine. So his win was on July 5th. Then I didn't really think much of him. Like, why would I? Why would I think about John Hennigan? But I didn't hear anything about him. I didn't hear about any future tournaments that he got deep in. I didn't really hear any stories about him. In fact, I didn't know much about him at all, other than that he was just uh, a guy who looked older than me, who won a bracelet right after me. I hadn't heard of him before, and I did not really follow him after. Well, indeed, he did not cash another event anywhere. Forget the World Series. He didn't cash any tournaments for another three years. His next cash was in May 2008 at the $1,500 No Limit Hold'em where he finished 75th for 8K. Then he never had another World Series cash to this day. He has two World Series caches in his lifetime, 05 and 08. And that's it. But you may say, well, maybe he just quit poker. Answer, no. The rest of his caches, and I think maybe he uh, spent or chunked off the winnings by then, starting in 09 he was playing low-stakes tournaments. So the caches he started accumulating were in a $230 tournament, a $330 tournament, $230 tournament, And these are small tournaments he was playing around Las Vegas. The Rio Daily Deep Stacks, which is pretty telling because when someone plays the Deep Stacks during the summer in the Rio, what that means is they can't afford to play the bracelet events. You don't see people who play the bracelet events playing the Deep Stacks. The Deep Stacks are for people who want to play at the World Series but can't really afford to play in the World Series. I'm not saying that derisively. I'm just saying that's the fact of who plays them. So like in 2015, 2016, he's playing the Rio Daily Deep Stacks. Then he's playing at the Orleans. Then he started showing up in 
small tournaments in Florida. So it's the St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa, Florida, Tampa again, Hollywood, Florida, West Palm Beach, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. So the last cash was not too long ago. It was at the $250 No Limit Hold'em Seniors 50-plus event, which I would love to say that indicates he's old, but now I qualify for that as well. Anyway, on the date he cashed, though, I was not 50 yet. I was 49. But anyway, he finished 7th there for uh, $1,000 on October 18th. You're saying if you would have chosen the Orleans to live at other than Commerce, you could have played with them in one of those. Yes, I, I was actually thinking of mentioning that. But anyway, uh, I, I, looking at this, it appears that this is a guy who won uh, 611000 in his bracelet win, but then either chunked off the money or uh, spent the money and then didn't have much money to continue playing poker. Because, as I said, if he had it, then he would not have been playing the deep stacks 10 years later. I, I realize 10 years later is a long time, but still. This isn't a guy who just took his ball and went home and was happy with that win. By the way, that uh, bracelet win was his first cash ever. And again, he's not a young guy. So why am I talking about all this? Well, it was revealed that John Hennigan was arrested. And he was arrested for a pretty high-profile situation. He was one of the people arrested for the January 6th Capitol Riots. Not only that, but his girlfriend, who is older than he is, his girlfriend is in is like 67 or something. I think he's 58 and she's 67. His girlfriend is actually better known than he is, but not in poker. John Hennigan's girlfriend is a TV chef who occasionally appears on this uh, syndicated TV show called Daytime that's based out of Florida and I think broadcasts on like 140 stations around the country. Now, she's not on there every day, but I think she has like a monthly segment about cooking gluten-free. And that's her big gimmick, is that she is a gluten-free chef and that she teaches you how to uh, make good meals, even if you have to keep gluten-free. That, that's her big thing, is uh, being the gluten-free chef. And her name is uh, Carol Kaczynski. Now, she's not really famous, but she is somewhat known because of that show she has. And she's done these uh, gluten-free cookbooks. She's kind of like one of these uh, moderately notable people, but not famous by any means, but really John Hennigan, other than that uh, what appears to be a fluke bracelet win 17 years ago, really uh, isn't known in poker. And when people hear that name, they assume everyone's talking about the John Hennigan, who is very well known in poker. So, here's what happened. Apparently, John Hennigan and his girlfriend, Carol Kaczynski, were in the U.S. Capitol building that they went in there with that mob. But before you get too excited and think that uh, they're going to be facing many years in prison, they probably won't because it appears they didn't do anything violent and they didn't destroy anything and they didn't disturb anything. It looks like they just kind of went in and milled around, which is still a crime, obviously. 
and clearly the, the government wants to make an example out of the people who invaded the Capitol that day. But as far as those that did invade the Capitol, they were the least as far as uh, causing trouble. They were just there. They came in, they milled around with the crowd, and they left. So it took a while. Now, he wasn't shocked by this arrest, even though the arrest was uh, recent. He was told uh, as long ago as June that they were investigating him. They They interviewed him, in fact, in June of 2021. So it's not like they showed up at his door and he's like, what? How do you find me? Like It wasn't like that. It was uh, So even though the arrest occurred in February of 2022, which was more than a year after the incident occurred, only uh, five months later, they had already identified him and, and interviewed him. Now, how did they figure out it was him? It's not like he signed a guest book as he uh, stormed into the Capitol. Well, the government tracked his involvement in the Capitol riot via a warrant that they served to Google. This warrant allowed the government to look up all the devices which appeared to be in the Capitol building during the January 6th riots. And then they cross-referenced these devices to their owners and then got the pictures of these owners and then looked at the video footage of inside the building and went to go see if they matched. And they found a fairly clear picture of John Hennigan and his girlfriend, Carol Kaczynski, walking around in there. And I've seen the picture, and it looks just like them. So it was definitely them. They were there. And they were able to connect the whole thing. Now, there's a little complication to this whole thing, because Carol Kaczynski, remember, she's uh, 67, so she's no youngster. And uh, she was previously married, and her husband died. So she's actually a widow. Her phone was actually still registered under her dead husband's name, even though he's been dead since 2017. Now, that isn't necessarily scandalous, because you know how it is. You have a, you have a phone that's registered to a name, and even if the person whose name it's in dies, you don't necessarily run to the phone company and say, hey, change it to my name. You may just keep paying the bill, and you know, who cares? It's a dead person's name. It doesn't really matter. So that may have been why she did it. It may have not been to hide from anything. But that, that made it a, a little bit harder to track the whole thing for the government, though they eventually figured it out. And I'm not sure why they took so long to arrest him from uh, June of 2021 to February of 2022, when they realized it was him. You'd think they would have arrested him at that point, or at least very shortly after interviewing him. I'm guessing he already has an attorney, given that he's had all this notice before being arrested. And I'm guessing he will not get a very severe penalty. He didn't do anything violent. He didn't destroy or tamper with anything. So I I bet they're just going to get him to plead to something. And then he may not actually serve any time behind bars. These will be federal charges. So it does make it a bit harder to avoid uh, prison time. But I could see him making some plea that does avoid the prison time. And uh, they get him him and uh, Carol to plead guilty to this uh, lesser charge. Uh, the way they found that uh, they found Carol, though, was uh, they they identified John Hennigan from his device, but they still didn't know who the, quote, dark-haired female companion was. So they uh, figured that out by just tracking 
his own life. They, they found that he changed his uh, phone billing address to her house. And then once they got a picture of her, then like, oh, yeah, she looks just like the dark-haired female companion. It's got to be her. So that was... They, they actually weren't able to identify her from her device, but they were able to identify him and saw he lived with her and then saw that uh, she looked just like his companion there. So that was that. So the lesson in the whole thing, aside from don't be the one to win a bracelet after Druff, is if you're going to invade the U.S. Capitol building, turn off your phone. This isn't making huge news in poker because no one's even thought of him in many years. He went from a bracelet winner to a low-stakes player. And no one really notices him. So I don't think many people noticed him at the time other than the similar name. In fact, the similar name may have, may have made people not notice him because they thought he was the other John Hannigan. I mean, I had a lot of people who told me, yeah, I saw you and then John Hannigan right after that. And they, I, I, I told so many people it was getting irritating to have to have the same conversation that it's not the same John Hennigan. So now I'm thinking in the future, we're going to run a contest. First half hour of the show, after the intro and whatnot, give a brief description of each one of these guys. And then later on in the show, we do the contest, which is called You Name the Hennigan. And we give certain amount of details, some maybe obscure, some a little bit more. And then that person has to name the correct Hennigan to win just a little... Prize, <laughs> nothing too great. But there's only you know. two of them, right? They're, 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 you name the John Hennigan or just any Hennigan? No, the two Hennigans. Oh, the two. Okay, so it's between the two, so the two John Hennigans. Which one is married to Carol? Which one is Mar- Ka- Carol Kaczynski? Yeah, Carol Baskin, for instance. <laughs> and then they say the name, and it's you understand which one would Druff live with if he was or play with if he had to seclude himself at the Orleans. Okay, which one would you find on a Friday night playing the biggest mixed games in Bellagio? Which one is bald-headed? Do you see where I'm going with yeah. this? Yeah, You name the Hennigan. <laughs> now, that Chinese guy, what is his name? Very nice man. Uh, Tyrone. Is it? He would be a perfect guest to play our inaugural You Name the Hennigan contest. Does he call in anymore? Yeah, yeah, he called into the anniversary show. Oh, oh, oh wow. He must have done that earlier, early in the morning. I assume, because I wasn't there for that. Yeah, you weren't there. You're right. I think it was just before you came on. Okay. Well, either way, uh, and tell me one more time. I'm sorry. I I, I listen, but does the uh, Ryder Hennigan, does he still, does he play poker now? Yes, he, 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 he won a seniors tournament in October 2021. He just plays for very low stakes. Oh, so he recently played. Yes, he, so that's, the, that's the funny thing. He's been playing. He, he, he didn't appear in any handed mob results for three years after the bracelet. And then he had like a, an 8K cash in 08. And then starting from 09, he's playing these like $150 buy-in tournaments for the last 12 years. The last 13 years now, I guess. So I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, it, it's definitely not the same as the uh, bald-headed John Hennigan. You don't see him at the Orleans playing $150. No, I would ace this game. Don't ever put me on as you name the Hennigan, because I would... I would. Yeah, that well. wouldn't be too tough for you. That's true. Yeah. By the way, there was a question in the thread when I posted about this in uh, late February about the political leaning of the typical poker player. They're saying that the more poker players re- lean right or left, because obviously this guy is, is uh, 
leaning very right to uh, enter the Capitol and, and protests of uh, Trump not winning the election. But what about the typical poker player? So I said, well, I don't know about just regular poker players, but as far as poker pros go, while there are some on the right, there are far more people who are on the left that are poker pros than you would otherwise expect. It, it's How def- about that Andrew Barber? Well, he's one of them, yeah. So I liken it to the situation in Hollywood where there's kind of a guilt that they're making a lot of money doing something that they don't feel they really deserve to make that much money for what they're doing. So here they're playing a game in Hollywood. They're acting. So they look and they go, look what a lavish lifestyle I get to live and all the money I get to make. And and what am I doing for the world? And so they start to have kind of an existential crisis and they start to believe, well, if I at least support the politics that purport to be the ones that are helping the little guy, the, the common man... That'll make me feel better about myself. So that's how they go that direction. And, and that's, uh, that's what happens in poker, too. Now, a phenomenon I noticed that is the opposite of this is in the casino advantage player world, it is very right-wing. You have very few left-wing casino advantage players. They're, they're almost all on the right. Not all of them hard right, but they're almost all right of center. Listen, I'm not making this up. You're going to think I am. Notably... What you're saying right now, poker player Daniel Coleman went on this whole thing about how it's not right. He, he makes poker players make this much money and and we're not helping the world and poor people are this. Do you remember that? He went on this whole rant and then he actually kind of quit, took a hiatus, hiatus from poker. Do you remember when he did it? Uh, yeah, I think it was... Uh... I don't remember specifically. Right after he won, it was right after he won one drop for. That's what I was gonna say. It was after he won like a very large tournament. Yeah. Right. Convenient, huh? Yeah, and uh, there was also like he's he's beating people for all kinds of money, and then he's not giving it back to anybody. He's not uh, just he wins giving it all away. Million, and then he starts whining. Yeah. Like, really. Fuck yourself. <laughs> like then don't buy into a million dollar tournament. I'm. Uh, ugh. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, it was it was very stupid. I know it's. Uh, I see so much of this, and uh, you know, I, I if you have these legitimate beliefs, if this is just uh, the way you feel about politics, you've just always been left wing your whole life, and this is just what matches with your personality. That's fine. I, I don't expect everybody to agree with me or see the world the way I do. It's just when. They're doing it for that reason, where they're doing it like, I feel like I'm a bad person for making this much money playing a game, and other people are, are, are working these tough nine-to-five jobs and making a fraction of what I do. What can I do to feel good about myself? Oh, I know. I'll, I'll vote for Democrats. That's not a good reason to be a Democrat or to be left-wing. It's just not. It's a, it shouldn't be to make yourself feel like a good person. So if, if these are truly your beliefs then fine. If, the, if that happens to match with your opinion, for the most part, fine. But but for that reason, it's, it's, it's very stupid if you're just doing it to make yourself feel better. And, and that's often my criticism of many on the left, is that they prefer to do what makes themselves feel good that they're helping rather than actually help. And I've always been against that in all forms. I'm always against symbolism replacing substance. 
So I, I don't want to go on a political rant here, but uh, those type of uh, poker limousine liberals r- really irritate me. Uh, f- and I'm not irritated by legitimate liberals who just have those beliefs that happen to be different than mine. That that does not irritate me. It's, it's the limousine liberals who do it to feel good about themselves. They irritate me. What does that mean? Limousine liberals. I've never heard that. A limousine liberal is somebody who wants to, who is rich or at least semi-rich and wants to live the good life and they don't want to give up any of that stuff, but they they take uh, left-wing positions either to sound good or to feel good about themselves, but they don't actually want to uh, give anything up or really uh, do anything substantive to help anyone. That, that's there's a lot of limousine liberals in Hollywood, or also uh, alternatively, where they always talk about wanting to help the less fortunate, but they don't want to be around them. They'll be the ones who who talk about uh, that. You know, we've got to pay teachers better, and uh, um, we've got to support our public schools, blah blah blah. And then they send their kids to private school. That that's a perfect example of a limousine liberal. Got it. Anyway. Uh, last topic we have here is about a loophole that has been closed and a lot of people are angry about it. I understand why it was closed and I was wondering when this was going to happen and the answer is 2022 and in fact more accurately now. So the Wyndham has they have various partnerships with Caesars you may have seen when you've walked through Caesars properties in Vegas, these obnoxious uh, timeshare presentations that are actually in the casinos. I think they finally did away with them, but they actually had them there for a while where they actually had space in the casinos to sell timeshares at Wyndham Wyndham timeshare properties. So Wyndham and Caesars have had a long-time partnership in various ways, but one of the partnerships they had was a reciprocal status match to Diamond. Diamond is the highest status at Wyndham, and as you probably know, it's the second highest status at Caesars. And I'm ignoring Diamond Plus and Diamond Elite. We're just talking about the tiers. Uh, so you and we're could, not counting that status that they gave to the party supply guy. Remember that? Yeah, that, that was chairman. Yeah, that that was done away with. But yeah, we're not counting chairman either. The, okay. He was the only chairman ever. But the trick that could be used was... Endless matching back and forth to stay diamond in both programs without ever utilizing any services at either place, meaning you didn't have to gamble and you didn't have to stay at any Wyndham properties. And yet you could be diamond forever for free. How? Well, you do have to start off diamond in one of these two places in some way that didn't involve this match. But once you were either diamond at Wyndham or Diamond at Caesars, then you could immediately match to the other. Not immediately, but within like a week they would process it. So then you'd be Diamond at both places. But here's where the trick comes in, or used to come in. Remember, the Caesars year goes from February 1st to January 31st. And the Wyndham year was the regular calendar year, January 1st to December 31st. So what about the month of January? Well, Let's say you are both Wyndham Diamond and Caesars Diamond via status match. doesn't matter which way you matched, but you're both at the moment on January 1st. 
Well, or let's say December 31st. You're, you're, you're diamond both, okay? January 1st, bang. Wyndham lowers you back to their lowest level, which I forgot what it is, but whatever their lowest level is, because it's January 1st and you didn't earn it from the previous calendar year. But Caesars has not lowered you yet because they don't lower you till February 1st. So all you have to do is go on the website on January 1st and match back to Wyndham Diamond because you're still Caesars Diamond. You won't be in a month, but right now you are. So now you can match right back to Wyndham Diamond. So now January 1st, you're back to Diamond in both places. Well, February 1st comes and Caesars lowers you back to gold. No problem. Why? Because now you're Wyndham Diamond for the rest of the year, thanks to that match you just did to Caesars. So now you match back to Caesars Diamond. And every year you do the same thing. And you never have to do anything to earn it on either side. So there were people who were staying Diamond in both programs, of course, Caesars being the more important one, for years and years and years for free. I was shocked that Caesars didn't catch on to this. Well, starting this year, they caught on to it. The reason they caught on to it is like the reason that most exploits in the casino world end. And what is that, Brandon? Why do most exploits end? Because people get greedy. Well, yeah, too many people do them. The, the word gets out. Yeah. yeah, people either get greedy or or they tell everybody. Like remember with the Indians with the bot. right the Indians with the bot. Yeah, that's a good example. So and they really are Indians. We're not saying it to be derogatory. <laughs> I mean, they're admittedly Indians. Yes, yes. So do you remember why though they wanted to get to like one point four million tiers to get one of those experiences? Remember the experiences that you get above? Yeah, they wanted like a cruise experience. Yeah, sons of bitches. Yeah, I kept right, telling them not to. Also, I kept telling them to. Cool down with it. Yeah. They, they wouldn't listen to me. You said it would be over. You said it would end it all for... And it did. Yep. It did. It was a sad day back then. You remember that sad day? Yeah, I remember the sad day. So, anyway, uh, I knew there was a problem because uh, I needed it now for the first time. I never did this before. I matched two Wyndham. I will admit I matched two Wyndham Diamond from Caesars. But I never matched back. I actually earned my last Caesars Diamond status. But it was expiring. It expired on January 31st, 2022. And I went back to gold. So I said, all right, for the first time ever, I'm going to do this Wyndham thing. For the first time ever, I'm going to match back from Wyndham. So to be clear, I'm not one of these people who's been doing it year after year after year. I I earned my last diamond the old-fashioned way by playing video poker. But this year, I was going to do it. I think you did it in a blizzard, if I don't... No, it wasn't a blizzard. It was was in Tahoe, but it was not a blizzard. It was was good weather that day. Anyway. The blizzard, that was your last seven star. That was my last seven star. Yeah, yeah. You were close. And that was the same time with the pizza, with the girl. With the girl, yeah, and the pizza, yes. Go on. So, going back to the Wyndham situation, I went to match to Caesars in early February... And it said to wait uh, seven days, and I should be matched back to Diamond. I hit that button, and I just felt funny. I just felt like it's not going to work. Sometimes I just get that feeling. Something's not going to work. Even though I have no reason to say it, I just have a feeling that it's not going to work. Well, my feeling was correct, because weeks passed, and I did not get my match. And I went on some Facebook groups where this was being discussed, and 
Almost everybody else was in the same boat. A few people got matched somehow, but just about everybody there was saying the same thing, that they matched on or near February 1st, and they were not getting put back to Diamond like they expected. So I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. This could be the end of the whole thing. Well, I had a small moment of optimism when I reached a department at Caesars that actually has knowledgeable people. In fact, I'm going to give you guys a tip. You should get out a pen right now and write this down, or at least save this timestamp of the show. I'm going to give you some valuable information here, and I'm serious. If you're having trouble reaching anyone at Total Rewards, which is now called Caesars Rewards, to complain about something that's messed up or about your account and you're tired of getting the Philippines, you're tired of getting idiots by email, you want someone who has some power and has some visibility into your Caesars Rewards account, I'm going to give you a phone number. 877-716-4500. It's not a secret number. Hold on. Even I want to write that down. Let's go again with it now. 877 what? 877-716-4500. And then follow the prompts to get to Caesars Rewards, not the credit card, but the, just the regular Caesars Rewards. And then it will give you a bothersome message that they're transferring you to room reservations, but just ignore that. It's an incorrect message. It's such a, a fail on Caesars that even though they're not transferring you to room reservations, that's like their standard transfer message. So you sit there believing a room reservations person is going to come on. They're, they're not. It's actually not room res- reservations. It's just typical Caesars fail. <laughs> Anyway, once someone gets on, you will get someone who is working at the Total Service Central team, and that is a Las Vegas-based employee who has both knowledge and authority to help you, and very important, Las Vegas-based, not in the Philippines. So if you're having Caesars Rewards-related issues, that's who you should call. However, there is one downside. The hours are laughably bad. You can call that hotline from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. on weekdays Pacific time. (laughs) No idea why they knock off at 1, but they apparently do. Now, this is not a new phone number. It's been around for many years, but it's just not well publicized. And it's good it's not well publicized because you can reach people there, where if you try to call any other Caesars number, you'll be going crazy to reach someone meaningful at Caesars Rewards. So I did call this number, and I spoke to them about this Wyndham matter. And they told me that Wyndham has been very slow sending them the list of people who are qualified to match. And that other years, they were not slow. For some reason, they're very slow this year. They said part of the reason was that there is more to match than ever. I was told that 9,000 people put in for the same match that I did. I think the reason for this is because of the pandemic. I think people didn't play as much in 2021. And for that reason, there's a lot more people wanting to keep their diamond status in this fashion. In fact, that's the reason uh, I'm doing it. So they told me the good news was that they told Wyndham is finally ready. And by the way, I called Wyndham about this. They told me the opposite. They told me that they're waiting on Caesars 
But I, this person sounded pretty convincing. They told me the whole story about the 9,000 people, and they're, they're about to get the list, and it's going to come out any day. And they had just gotten an update that it was going to be done on uh, Friday, March 11th. That they were likely to receive the list on that day, and if not then, then by uh, Monday, March 14th. So we're broadcasting this right now in the early morning of March 19th. So why don't I sound happy? Well, they decided instead, right on March 11th, that regardless of what's sent over by Wyndham, that they're going to put an end to this endless status matching. That while they are keeping the status match program intact, if you got your Wyndham status from a previous status match from Caesars, then you cannot match back. So you had to have earned your Wyndham Diamond to get your Caesars Diamond. That means either through hotel stays or through a credit card match. So I'm hearing mixed stories about whether the credit card match really works. But if you got your Wyndham Diamond for being a Caesars Diamond, as I did, then you cannot match back to become a Caesars Diamond as you could in the past. And I think it's because there were 9,000 people pending and it made them look into why there are so many people. Is there any way to get a Wyndham Diamond without staying at Wyndham, without matching from Caesars? Well, here's the unfortunate thing. I believe I could probably do it by one of these credit card matches. But I'm already Wyndham Diamond because I already got the Wyndham Diamond match from Caesars. So I can't undiamond myself and rediamond myself. I'm, I'm diamond now till the end of 2022. I can't just be undiamond. So I'm screwed in that way. So a lot of you people can't, are like denounce your. You can't denounce your diamond. No, I can't renounce my diamond status. I can say no. I want to be lowered back down. They'd really wonder why I'd be asking for that too. Now there's some people who are even in worse shape than I am. Some people remember I said some got matched somehow. Some were able to get matched. Most weren't, but a few were somehow. They got notice from Caesars. Speaking of renouncing your status. They didn't get their status renounced. They got their status revoked. So they were diamond at Caesars for a few weeks and then lowered back to gold. And they were told that the terms have changed. Some people said that they wanted to sue Caesars for this. And I said, nope, you cannot. They can do whatever the hell they want with their rewards program. And they can change the well, rules, and they can lower your status at any time. Wrong. They could sue Caesars. You can sue anyone. No, you just won't win. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, that is out the window. So, the, the whole Wyndham trick of matching back and forth is gone. So, don't bother with that. And also, while Caesars is still doing a status match with other properties, a lot of other properties... It's only for new cards. I got, I got all excited about that one the other night. Yeah, it's only for new cards. So you, if you have an existing Caesars Rewards card, forget that. So between that and the lowering of people to gold who once had platinum because they have the credit card, Caesars is getting real tight with their statuses. They're tired of giving away that. All of them are. All of them are. Every single one of them are. 
That's why I said people are concerned about MGM taking over the Cosmo. All the programs have deteriorated massively over the last half decade to a decade. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, I do have a suggestion to people, but I don't know if... uh, If you guys know more about this, please let me know, because I'm new to this. I've known about it for many years, but I'm new to actually doing it. The Founders card is a card you can get. It's like some kind of like little club you're joining or whatever, and one of the benefits is Caesar's Diamond, and that is still in effect. However, the price you pay for the Founders card is wildly different. The retail price is five ninety five. You can find coupons online pretty easily that will bring it down to four ninety five. Sorry, it's five ninety five plus a laughable ninety five dollar uh, initiation fee. You can find coupons pretty easily online that bring it down to four ninety five and no initiation fee. But then that's where it ends. There's coupons that claim to be as low as ninety nine dollars. It's BS. That doesn't work anymore. So. I have been looking for ways to get it cheaper. I was told, and this was maybe three years ago, so I don't know if this still works, but I was told if you sign up for their trial, that is, you don't pay anything, but you sign up for the free trial, and then you cancel the free trial, and then wait a few weeks, they will send you a an email begging to have you back for $295. But I don't know if that still works. And interestingly, I signed up for the free trial, and what it says is we're going to email you details, and I never got the email. So I wonder if this free trial even still exists. But if you guys uh, know how to get the Founders card cheaper, I have to imagine with some of you that you've used this Founders card, it's not exactly a secret on how to get Diamond. It's been something that's been known for years. So if you... No, presently a way to get the founders card for cheaper than this four ninety five, preferably two ninety five or cheaper. Please let me know because I'm I'm currently sitting here, and what I am. Now? Don't just be all about yourself. Okay, we are I'm currently here sitting you. here as uh, pathetic gold members. It's not just you. We are pathetic gold members here, mm-hmm. and it's it's very sad. We were one seven I'll stars. I'll become platinum when I charge ten thousand dollars on my Caesar's card, <laughs> which I'm not going to do. So this this is outrageous. This is an outrage. Travesty. It's a travesty. And look, I, I understand why they killed the the Wyndham match. I mean, yeah, that was being exploited. I'm not happy they killed it, but I understand why. The Indians. Yeah, probably probably the Indians' fault again. I mean, to kill the platinum parking is really crappy. Just give people the damn platinum parking benefit with a credit card. I mean, to take that away is just, that's just especially bad. $10,000. So, let me know info about the founder's card if you have it. Let us know. You can let me know, and then I'll tell you. Well, you don't always tell me everything. I told, we had this conversation, we actually had this conversation the other night, and I told you Mm -hmm. that I will give any information... Provided to me about the founder's card to you. I know, I know you did, and uh, and I will. So so keep that in mind. Anything you tell me about the founder's card, I, I'm going to have to share with Brandon. 
So uh, you're, you're telling him to. But you, you can tell him. If you feel comfortable telling him instead of me, you can tell him and then he can tell me. It doesn't have to go through me. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. But you can text me, 775-372-8355 about the Founders card. Or any other way that uh, you can presently get a diamond match without actually playing. If I were closer to Tahoe, I would just go there. I even have some free room offers there. It's just so far. It's just such a pain now, in the ass. Now, what about that guy you got fired, the short order cook? Did you ever hear anything back from him? <laughs> Remember, he was he was uh, he was uh, what's the word? Night owling, a second job, and closing up shop early. Well, I, I got know, two. I, I actually got two people. That. I got two people uh, in trouble I'm there. I think you were wrong about that one. That it said on the sign they close at seven, but they close at six thirty, so the guy can leave for his other job. <laughs> right? Am I right with this one? Does memory serve me right? Yeah, so um, there were actually, yes, you're right. There were two things that happened on the same trip. The and girl that you scared, the manager who thought you were aggressive when you weren't aggressive. Yes, there were, the so there were, there were two things. There, one, one was about a person I never got to see who I complained about. This was, uh, as Brandon said, it was the only restaurant open at that time of night, so it wasn't even like I had other choices. Like, I wasn't trying to be a hard ass. I just wanted food, and there was a blizzard outside. I couldn't go anywhere. So I, I played like a long video poker session and I go up to their top floor where they serve a uh, cheap breakfast from like 11 a.m. to 6 a.m. And they, the sign's all over the place. In fact, they have a giant sign on the side of the building promoting this, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I go up there at, at like 5.35. It's not like I showed up at 5.55. I showed up at 5.35. And they go, oh, yeah, we can't do that. We can't make the breakfast for you. The cook is gone. I said, what do you mean he's gone? Like he, went, he, he, he left. So I said, oh, is he sick or something? No, 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 no. He had to go to his other job. And I said, well, what, what? Is that just today? No, no, he leaves every day at 5.30 to go to his other job. <laughs> and I said, but the sign says this is open till 6. Well, yeah, we know it says that, but... Uh, it's actually 5.30 because he's got another job that starts at 6, so he's got to uh, leave here and get over there by 6, so he has to leave at 5.30. And I said, well, then why don't they say it ends at 5.30? Well, because he's not technically supposed to be doing this. And I said, well, why hasn't he gotten in trouble for this? And they said, well, we've actually gotten a lot of complaints, but for some reason it doesn't change, so we, we don't know why management isn't doing anything about this. So I go, this is insane. Like, if they want to make the hours 5.30, fine, but this guy can't just cut out half an hour early every day and the reason i was pissed is i was hungry and i went to a restaurant that was heavily advertised to be open till six and every day and it actually closes at five thirty. you knew if you went to sleep on an empty stomach you wouldn't have a good sleep and you'd have stomach pains am i right no that wasn't it i was just really hungry i wanted to eat so well, what happened if you went to sleep after for 10 12 hours wouldn't it be a bad sleep because you're you had stomach no pain? not really it just but I, I just wouldn't feel good uh, you know it's just like i wanted to eat then i just really wanted to eat i didn't want to try to go to bed hungry so uh, it's a dumb reason if they told me the guy was sick i would have just accepted it but it was that he did this every single day because he took another job that starts at six i wasn't accepting so i said they either got to change the hours or, or the posted hours or uh or make the guy stay Anyway, so I made a complaint. I went down to the front desk. And I said, this is going to sound weird. But the bartender told me that this guy, this cook up there at this high profile breakfast you serve till six leaves at 530 every day to go to a different job. Do you guys know about this? And they actually said, no. 
<laughs> and I said, but I, I thought, I was told this has been the case for months. They said, well, we've never heard about this. Just no one must, probably nobody comes down and tells us. You were the first one. So I said, okay, well, <laughs> who do I take this to? So they uh, told me to take it to the food and beverage manager. So I, what I did is I left a message for him. I didn't speak to him, but I left a message for him. And I said, okay, you know what? Just want to let you know this. I'm not asking for anything. I'm, I, I'm not looking for a food credit or anything like that. I, I don't want you to do anything for me. I just, this just for your own information. And I told him about the 530 versus 6 and the chef that was cutting off early every day and that they've known about it for months. Well, someone checked on it a short time later. They were serving food up till 6. So... <laughs> that got taken care of also. I should have been paid for this. I really cleaned things up. Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, we, we have... Before we go, there's there's one guy who wants to call in here. I've been delaying him. Uh, this guy in the... This, I gotta go to sleep, buddy. Well, it's a question for you, though. That's, that's why... That's why. That's it. I'll give him a few minutes to call. I've, I've been stalling him for a long time. I don't know if he's uh, still there, but in the 708 area code, there's one area code I don't know. I don't know where that is. I could Google it, but Do I don't know f- who it is. Am I getting? No, I have no idea who it is, but I, I, I don't think it's anyone that uh, you'd mind talking to. I just think it's uh, kind of a random listener. He's texted me before. All right. It has something to do with, uh, with comps. Okay, we hey, got him. Uh, uh, hello? Yeah, we got him on here. Here he is. Cook County. Go ahead, Cook County. You're on the fraud show. Okay, uh, so Brandon, I I, thought, I heard you were a crap steal, and I wanted to ask you this. Is I, I I know your experience in this, so uh, I know you don't get rated on your odds on the pass line, but correct, do you get you do get rated on odds on comebacks. The reason why I'm asking is because I went to the casino uh, and just did a pass line and odds. I had very low comps or very low reward points from seniors. And then the next day, or the next week, I uh, come back and I do uh, pass line and odds, and two combats and odds, and mm-hmm. my odds it went up dramatically. And it, I, I got like platinum in a day because I did like 10 times the odds for the, the odds bets. So I was wondering if the casino differentiates from that because I think it's kind of hard for them to tell if that's a put bet or a combat with odds. But put you're only supposed to get you're easy. only supposed to get co- are rated on your flat bets and then place bets. And then if someone's consistently betting props, you know, hard ways, uh, you know, things of that nature or the field, then you could include that. The craps is obviously as I'm sure you understand, the hardest game to to really rate because there's so much variance in you know, someone can have a couple hundred dollars on the layout and, you know, say you bet, for instance, the $300 six, for instance, you're not going to get bet, you know, that, you know, that's it. That's all you bet. Or maybe, okay, a $300 six and a $300 10. So you think, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a lot of action. You have $600 out there, but the dice could roll, you know, 20 times without you getting a decision, win or lose. Um, so, but in general, to answer your question, flat bets are to be rated Combats and the odds behind the pass sign are not supposed to be <clears throat> just as when you're laying on the don't pass, the lay bets aren't either. Okay. But that right. doesn't mean that doesn't mean someone inadvertently didn't see what you were betting. Like you said, you know, got confused or maybe just didn't know how to properly rate. Uh, but you're going to find that from time to time, your ratings are never going to be consistent with craps. It's always going to depend on the person who's rating you, how much they're paying attention and just, 
you know, basically how thorough they are and following what you're doing. Not only that, I'm surprised they would rate the odds bets at all because those are even money. No, they don't. Oh, what do you mean? No, the flat bet they rate because the flat bet they have they have. What was huh? What's even money? I'm talking about the the, the odds bets are not. Uh, those don't the have odds, a house edge. The odds aren't even. I mean, the odds bet they don't have a house. I mean, I meant even. I meant zero EV in the beginning. The odds bets aren't rated. That's and I'm agreeing with that. Yeah. They're they not even money. They're they're even uh, even odds to win. It's uh it's uh, zero EV. Yes, exactly. So, but again, the yeah. main th- the main thing is you're gonna pull your hair out of your head if you try to figure out why was I rated this time versus last time more, last time less. It's very inconsistent. I mean, it it just it very is, and it also depends again on how much someone's paying attention. It also okay. This is the biggest problem. If you're playing craps at a full table. Normally, what they will do is they'll rate you based on what you bet before the come out roll and then your first bet after. So meaning, you know, an example, say, say you have five dollars in the pass line and then say, you, t- you know, the point six or eight and you take five times odds. So you put twenty five behind there and then you do some place bets, for instance. OK, so say you bet fifty four across. You're probably going to get a rating like sixty dollars. But then. There's a seven out and say you start pressing your bet. Say, you know, you come out 135 across or 270 across. A lot of times it's going to be that first wager that they saw and that's what they're going to base it on. You get what I'm saying? Unless it's someone that's right. through and sees if you increase or lower your bets. But in general, uh, the, the best thing that you're going to get from craps is they're obviously going to see how much time you played and they're going to see, be able to see what your win or loss total is. Based on, of course, you're using a card, what you buy in, and what you cash out. So that you know that part is easy, but it's it's not easy to, to, to track someone. You know, I mean, so say right. someone you know every so often is betting a forty-five dollar horn high yo, fifty dollar horn high twelve, but then they don't for five rolls. You know what I mean? It's hard to get a consistent amount, especially if you're not paying attention. So that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, there's no right. real easy way. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So. The, the, yeah, it was just was strange to me because I didn't do any uh, hard ways. Or, uh, I, I just did pass line odds, come bets odds. And one day I got rated this, and the uh, next next week, where I think I really bet the same stuff, but it wasn't really any difference. Then I get like five times higher ratings. So likely, what money. happened is they incorrectly rated you the second time. That's more likely yeah. than not what happened. Yeah, yeah, and that's gonna that's that's you know. Like I said, there's really no solution. It was like that 20 years ago when, when I got into the industry. It was like that before, and you know, you know, I'm certain it's like it now. It's just very, very hard. Um, that's why some people, and I'm not recommending this at all, but that's why some people even will play the virtual craps, you know, the pop-up craps or the individual one, because everything then is just you know computer computer rated, and you know, there's not going to be a mistake. Um, but I, you right. know, craps is, but you know, craps is a social game. So most people like rather playing it, you know, with groups of people versus playing a little, you know, a little machine by themselves or with like one other person. Um, but what you yeah, can do, you know, offers. Okay. Yeah. So listen, this like, is what I would, this is what I would do. Um, when you're being rated, especially in craps, a lot of it is subjective. So if you're concerned, what I would do is as soon as you color up or unfortunately, if you lose, and, and, you know, you don't have anything to color up. But when your session is over, I'd kindly walk over to a floor person or a pip 
I don't know how your casino works. If they have boxmen, floormen, some of them have pit clerks, and ask what your rating was, ask what your average, or ask what your average bet was, and ask what your win loss was, and ask how much or how how long you played, your time of play. Three things: win loss, average bet, how much, how long you played, because those are the three major components in determining a rating. And if you more or less agree with them then fine. I mean, don't, you know, question them over five, seven dollars. Cause again, it is subjective. <laughs> but if, but if you think that like the time is wrong, they only have you playing for 18 minutes and you played for 45 minutes or an hour. If you think the average bet is that big of a discrepancy, then be polite about it, but disagree and explain why. And most of the time they'll either compromise with you or they'll just flat out change it. But that's the only way you have to keep on top of it. If you just assume they're going to get it right and you leave, and then you just, you know, ask next time or, you know, you're never going to get it switched the next day or the next week when you come back. So if you don't mind, you know, some people don't like the confrontation of even talking to, you know, you know what I mean? But it, it's fine. They don't mind it. And, and you know, it's, it's not embarrassing, whatever. You pull them aside politely and you just ask them time average bet and, you know, win loss. And that's it. And then if, if they disagree, then just, you know, politely correct them and they'll, they'll work with you. And that's the best way to do it. If you really want to maximize what you get, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. And my casino offers a hundred times odds, so I thought they were rating me on the odds for some reason, and they made, they, they they decided to change it because. Well, see, this I is a problem. This is a problem. Yeah. Casinos, casinos, like everything else, uh, you know, right now that's going on, uh, are, are short staffed, and a lot of times you wouldn't think this, but they will literally have somebody over in dice that doesn't even know dice. Okay, that they're, they're huh. you know their their specialty or the games they dealt before they became a floor person or a box person was roulette or blackjack or carnival games. So I guarantee you, you know, you're not going to know because you're going to see them, you know, watching the game, looking like they know what's going on. Or in actuality, they don't know what's going on. I can tell you. I mean, <laughs> I that happened when I was in the business a lot. You would just, you know, unfortunately, due to you know people calling in sick, people, you know on a lunch break, whatever the circumstances dictate people on vacation, having to put someone in the dice pit that isn't qualified to be in the dice pit. And you just basically, that person prays to God that nothing bad happens to the point where the dealers can't handle it, where there isn't like a jackpot where, where, you know, they're forced to have to use expertise. They don't have to solve a situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely don't I, assume, yeah. definitely don't assume Whoever you see supervising a dice game knows dice. That's a big mistake <laughs> to make. So, yeah, but, you know, I know, especially now. Yeah. I, yeah. I know people yeah, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I know people like that, that care about wanting to be rated absolutely to the T, you know, correctly. And every time they're now, again, these aren't people that are betting five, $10 a hand. I mean, you, you need to be at least bet a significant amount to, to, you know, warrant being rated. But I know people that every time they're done with their session, mainly mainly these are bl- these are blackjack players. But they'll speak with a host or not a host, excuse me. They'll speak with a floor person as soon as they're done, and they'll make sure that what they believe they should be rated is fair along what what you know the host has or the you know the floor person has them rated, and they confirm every time. I know people that every time they're done, they speak with someone just to make sure it's accurate. So, and you should. You should do that because you want to maximize. I mean, listen, you know this. You're playing a negative expectation game, so at least right. make sure you're getting the maximum in terms of you know comps, perks, offers, free play, whatever it may be, to compensate for the fact that you're playing a game that you can't win over the long run. That's the simplest answer. Exactly. So do you think there's a possibility that 
Uh, because when you have the com- when the combats moved in a number, you put your odds there, and like they look very much like place bets. Like, right, I, sure, I, absolutely. At that time, yeah. Yep. And he thinks that those are place bets, but they're combats. Yep, they're so glancing you, you think, over. That, that they're glancing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're glancing over the little box, okay, that has other bets surrounding it, and they may very, they may have thought that the second time, whereas the first time they paid closer look, or the game wasn't as busy, and they only credited you for your flat bet, for you know, and not your odds bet. So, so absolutely, that's a that's a that's a very distinct possibility. Sure. Sounds sounds good. Hey, Brandon, I uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on the show yeah. and uh, th- taking my question. And uh, drop, no I really enjoy the show. So keep you keep up the good work, but, both of you. Hey, awesome, and thanks for coming. But really, do that if it means a lot to you. There's no shame or embarrassment when you're done with your session. Just confirm what they have you in the system as versus what you believe is a fair rating. And again, speak up, you know, always politely, of course, but speak up if you think there's a wide difference in what you've been rated. And they'll, you know, nine out of ten times they'll work with you. They'll adjust it. They'll, they'll, you know what I mean. You know, they're not there to be exactly to you. You know, they'll, 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 exactly. You know what I mean. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, thanks for listening. Hey, are you, do you uh, do you post on PFA? Are you just a listener? Uh, not, you- not really. No, I, I play poker a lot, but I play craps for fun. You know, because I know it's a negative EV, so I kind of just uh, you know, I, play, I like to play just for entertainment because of all the social aspect of it. So right. Oh, that's that's what I was saying. Yeah. Wait, but you're not a yeah. forum poster. You're just a radio listener. You're uh, yeah, just the- a radio listener. Okay, yeah. cool. How long have you been listening for? Uh, about a couple, two, about two, three years now. Oh, awesome. All right, cool. Cool. Well, nice to meet you, and good luck. If, hey, nice, nice what's the longest? Well. What's the longest role you've ever had? Been a part of? Oh, uh, let's see. Maybe. Uh, let we go by time or number of roles. I don't. Know, I can't. No, remember, just I time because yeah, I don't ever keep yeah. track of you know how many roles. <laughs> yeah, but like maybe, you know, uh, like, have six, you ever called 45 like forty-five minutes? Yeah, that's a good role. That's a real good role. Do you, yeah, do you remember? Do you remember roughly? Do you remember roughly what you made? When all was yeah, said and done? Yeah, I think, well, so, so, well, I, I, so I made five fires, but I, I didn't have money on the fire bet because that was a horrible bet. But I made fire bets for almost everybody else on the table, but I had five numbers. And mm-hmm. so I, the only number I didn't hit score was a six, which is the easiest one. So it, it, uh, I made roughly maybe around maybe two to $3,000 or so on that one. So. Okay, that's not bad. Were yeah. you, were you yeah. power pressing at all? Like, were you incrementally ra- raising your bets after each number, or did you kind of just I, grind I was just it keep, out? I was just keeping them, yeah, I was just kind of keeping them flat. I mean, I, I what I do is my strategy is play uh, uh, pass line odds. Uh, 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 I usually do four to five times odds. My concealed offer is 100, but I, that's just, I don't have a bankroll for that. And it, 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 then I do a combat with five times odds, whatever number that goes to, it doesn't matter. And you yep. know, I do I do two two combats with odds, two combats with two odds, and the pass line with odds. So I have three yep. numbers all the time. Well, it seems like funny. you know how to play. I mean, obviously, you stay away from the hard ways. You stay away from yeah. You know the the one roll prop bets that that you know pay right. off. Right, I never do those. You stay away from the horn bets, and obviously, you stay away from the field. Um, and and, yeah, and, the, I mean, that's, and the fire right, the fire is horrible, right? It's I mean, listen. The way I look at things like that, if you're just a rec player, there's nothing wrong with it because it's just a fun bet. But it, but if it's yeah. something you play every day and a lot, then yeah, you're gonna lose, you know, potentially thousands of dollars over a long period of time. I mean, it's a ne- it's a very very bad negative expectation bet. But the thing is, I always tell people, if you're just a rec and you want to have fun, those things hit, you know, then just enjoy it, you know. But just know at least be educated to know. 
that over the long run, you know, it, it's it's going to affect your EV severely. I mean, it's going to lower it even worse. You know, it's going to lo- yeah. increase your negative EV is what I should be saying. Um, but, Sounds- you know, like it's, it's, it's a social game and, you know, people just like to root together and they make long shot bets and sometimes they hit. But if you how often do you play craps? About once a week. OK, well, you know. Like I said, it, you know, as long as you know and you're educated to know that, hey, you know what, this isn't the best bet, but I enjoy it and it's fun. It's you know, it's a cute little, it's a cool little sweat. Then there's nothing wrong with that. But just know it's Sounds you know, good. It's, it's the bets. The other bets that you're making are great bets. I mean, if you're going to play the game as best you can, you know, the old adage is, you know, flat bet with the small with the smallest amount you're required to bet as a flat bet, and then take the highest amount of odds, and then you're going to you know, periodically break as close to even as possible if that's all you bet. The only obviously edge they're ever going to have is on that small flat bet. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, they, they offer 100 times odds. I've never seen anyone do it, ever, not once. What's I've the minimum bet? Uh, What's the, what, what, the minimum I mean, bet? Uh, well, it, it depends on the time of day, but it's usually about $15, sometimes 10 Well, you see why now. It's, it requires you to put down $1,500 for 100-time yeah, odds. Right. Yeah. I never, <laughs> I, I, in 11 years since they had that, I've never seen one person do it. What, 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 what I do see people do, what I do see people do, which is really, really tilting, is put $100 on the pass line and another $100 for their odds, which, which, is, which is, you know. Yeah, I know. Which single do. odds. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense because the, the player in craps has an advantage on that first roll only. But after the first roll and a point's established, obviously the casino has the advantage from that point forward. So it doesn't make any sense. And it's, you know what it is? It's just people that are uneducated. I mean, it, it is. Right. I, you know, so in Vegas, for the most part, it's three, four, five, uh, three times. Yeah, the I've seen that. So when I used to play, my strategy always was just the, the minimum, you know, whatever the minimum was for the pass line and then the max odds, which, you know, you know again, they're not going to bury you because it's three, four, five, you know, those no, no strip. Right. Other than I think. The Barbary Coast, and then later on, I don't know if it was a Cromwell or or whatever, one of the incarnations of the Cromwell, Bill's Gaming Hall, they had 100-time odds for a brief period there. Uh, but outside of that, it's just it's straight three, four, five. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like you know what you're doing. Well, what casino is it? I mean, not that you have to give away your location if you don't want to. Is it, is it a big – it It's a, a big... Caesars property. It's oh, a okay. Caesars property. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, but, yeah, so um, – yeah, so Debbie, the hundred. I usually do like five times odds just because that's what the bankroll I have well, is for. For everyone, I'll tell you numbers. honestly, it's better to play. I mean, you know, if you care and you really just want to milk it for all it's worth, it's better to play the time of day if you can when you know the odds or or when you know the table minimum is the lowest, just so you can bet right, lower right, and right. bet more. I mean, you know, I, I'm just yeah. you know, there's a there's a difference if you're gonna play once a week forever, you know, or once a week for you know years and years, you know. Fifteen, thirty dollars, forty dollars, fifty dollars that you're giving up every session—that's going to add up to tens and thousands of dollars over the long run. So you know what I mean, right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But again, it's a social it's just, game, and if you like it, and it, obviously yeah. you're you're betting within your means, and it's more of a recreation to you, you know, than anything else, and it's a hobby. Then just you know, as long as you're in control, then you know that's fine. You know, just enjoy it. I mean, that's what the game's for. A lot of people love it. A lot of people absolutely yeah. love. It. That was my first love ever. That's why I got into dealing. I love the game. You know, it, it's like when you catch those like 45 minute rolls, I once caught an hour roll and there's nothing like it in all of gambling. 
Like I just, yeah, nothing like it. you get into this, you get into this feeling where you just feel like the role's never going to end. It's just amazing. Like it just, it, it's right. Especially you when you're doing it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Especially when you do. I've always been a bad yeah. shooter. I've never been a good shooter. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've shot maybe for 15 minutes at the most, but I've never, I've never rolled the dice longer than that. I've never had like that kind of a role. Um, right. Know. And I, I like to, I like, I like to do partly for comp hustling too. And I like to, you know, kind of set, take a little, take a couple, take a minute, a, a less, a, about a minute to set the dice. That way it yeah. goes a little longer, you know, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And you know, the other thing I'll say is they even know that it's hard to track craps because people vary their bets and there's so much going on, especially a busy game. So, you know, really I implore that you ask somebody what your ratings are, because if it isn't correct, they're, you know, they're likely not even going to give you any, any resistance at all. They'll likely just adjust it or compromise because they know they make mistakes. It's a very hard game to track. I mean, you have eight people on one side, a jammed up game. You have eight people on one side, eight people on the other side. You could have 16 people playing, you know, in a crowded full game and, you know, bets are everywhere. It's, it's very hard, even for an experienced person to track it right. So definitely talk with them next time and get the most out. Of, make sure you're getting the most comp wise out of your play. That's my number one rule. Like exploit Sounds it to the, good. you know very what I mean? Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good advice. So Sounds thanks good. for well, calling in. Thanks again. Thanks yeah, again. Nice. And have a good, have a good rest of the show. All right. Nice meeting you. All right. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. All right. See, so if everyone was that normal on the site. <laughs> radio, I was a good kid. You know, I was a good kid. Yeah. Nice guy. Nice guy. All right, well, I'm I'm so, done yeah, here. I, he seems I, like he knows what he's doing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, he he does. Yeah, no, it was a good good conversation. Uh, so, but no, I'm done here though. I'm I'm going to shut it down. We're oh, over. Uh, yeah, I got to wake up in two hours. Um, I'm trying to think. No, yeah, there's nothing else. There's not. Oh, uh, okay. I got to tell you one other thing. So once radio's off, real fast before I I crash. But what when when's the next show? When are you coming back? Next show should be in a week on Friday the twenty oh, fifth. Friday. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for letting me know. And I didn't even know the radio was tonight. So I'm glad you texted me. And, you know, I'm glad glad to be back again. Yeah, most people and, didn't know. Uh, I kind of just... Just to give people an update, uh, it's actually a perfect situation. Right after we did the anniversary show, uh, almost, I guess, is it... Oh, yeah, over two weeks ago now, uh, I was getting inundated with calls from Sharif four or five, six times a day, wanting me to send him the, the $2,000 that he promised for half a million. And, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, like, hey, you know, this, 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 trying to just kind of, you know, change the subject and you know, ask him questions. And funny enough, by the way, he never asked me about the stuff we were going to send him, and he never gave me an address. So, and again, I think it, it definitely, you know, you and I talked about this probably definitely was a different person. But anyhow, now it's been about a week, maybe six days since I've heard, I haven't heard from him. So I think it's a new person that's taken over the phone number. And I think they gave up like, cause the old Sharif was so persistent. He'd keep going, but it literally like he hit me hard for maybe a week after we did the show. And then obviously he relented or whoever that person is behind the phone relented but it's still good to know i have the number and they respond so fast that down the road we can uh potentially uh, you know incorporate it again if you know what i mean yeah good that's funny we got a new sharif here but yeah all right we'll we'll run with it that's funny a new sharif yeah all right, <laughs> all right well thanks for having me uh do me a favor call me 
real fast when the radio's over. Yeah, that'll be in about uh, so make it fast. In about two I'm minutes. Going to bed soon. All right, I'm going to bed soon too. All right, well, thank you everybody for listening, and thank you for coming on for this long, Brandon. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. So as I said, trying to stick this to Friday. So right now it looks like the next show will be on Friday the 25th of March. And we'll try to stay on Friday for as long as we can. But you know how it changes. Sometimes it will have to be another day. If you know about the Founders card, please let me know. I don't want to pay 495. I don't even want to pay 395. But if you have some info on how to get it cheaper, please pass it along to me. If it's something you don't want posted on the forum, no problem. I will keep it quiet if you so desire. I will have to tell Brandon, but I won't post it if you ask me not to. But yeah, Caesars is clamping down with those matches. They want you to earn your status, even the stupid platinum, which is useless other than free parking. Ended up being a long show. Didn't expect it to be, but we just ended up talking about a lot of stuff once Brandon came on here. That happens. So I'll get this in the archives a little bit later on. And we'll be back next week. Sorry for the long break, but I needed to give you guys a chance to hear all 13 hours. But I hope you're caught up now. So thank you to those who called in tonight, such as the last caller we just had from the 708, Matt the Rat, Desert Runner, and I hope I didn't forget anybody. That is all for tonight. And only one thing left to say. Shalom.